The Coco Nation Show is an unscripted, live, and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own, and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation Show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged, and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation. The world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Nation Show, episode 338. And from my dashboard here, I do show one viewer on Facebook. Yeah, I just jumped in there and it let me in. Okay, cool. Oh, good. It it fixed itself. Maybe somehow <laughs> accidentally it works. <laughs> First row problems. All right. All right. Uh, let's see who we got on the show today. Oh, I forgot to push this button over here. Uh, there it is. There's the one I need. Okay, we got a big panel today. Let's see. First up, we got Rick Uland. Hey, everyone. All right. Next over, yours truly. Then we got Ron Delvo. Hi, it's not Ron. Okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> next, and next over, we got Not Ken Waters. What? Huh? Ooh, where? What? <laughs> I'm so confused. <laughs> All right, next over, Mark Overhoser. Hello there, glad to be here. And Dale Curtis-Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. Brian Weasler. Hello, and welcome and to the show. Mikey Furman. Hey, everybody. And last row we got Jason, the Coco Man. Hello, everyone. I think it might be a long show, so I've come prepared. <laughs> All right. And we got uh, Exile in Paradise. Howdy, howdy, everyone. Welcome to the show. Okay. And Nick Marentes. Good day, everyone. Welcome to the show. And last but not least, Bob Emery. Hey, I took Nick's place today. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and sneaking in <laughs> into the la absolutely last second, we got Loopy Malibu. Greetings, Paul. Okay. I think he just came here to watch Bob solder. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. No, Tips I and tricks. My son's working on his uh on a truck and he's making a lot of noise just on the other side of the wall behind my PC, so I'm not gonna be able to do a lot. I'll mostly be on mute and looking pretty. Okay. Zero for two. Keep going. No, I'm just kidding. 
Uh, let's see. In the chat, we've got Henry Gernhardt, Sixie, Tom Eric Gunderson, uh, J. E. Jones, 3141, and Wayne. Wayne Curtis Campbell. That's it so far. Uh, let's see. And so far, we had one viewer on Facebook, but he yeah, disappeared. I'm, I'm gone. Oh, well, you guys stay there. Well, I'm back on Twitch because I've got things to do there. <laughs> oh, Mark, okay. but you got the uh, the private message from uh, Mark Overholzer there in their chat? Uh, no, I have not. Says I'm not seeing a link to the Coco Nation Facebook page for today's broadcast. Because whenever I try to do it, it tells me no permissions. <laughs> oh, we're not worthy. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's forms you have to fill out to get permission. So I, I have not been able to create a uh, event on um, Facebook. Uh, all the other events, the other channels seem to work fine. Just, just not Facebook. Normally, when we start streaming, it creates a, a notice on our main page on the Coco Show Connection Show, but it's not there today. Yeah, I think there's there's something broken in that link. Uh, I may just end up having to just to delete it and re-add Facebook. Um, you know, you from uh, restream. So I think that may be the next thing I'm going to have to do. But I gotta, I may have to get uh, Terry involved with that. So. Okay. Um, all right. First up, uh, Mikey, I believe. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Mikey was at a, an event last weekend and he's got some stuff to talk about. Yeah. I had no time to, uh, to think about exactly what to say. So <laughs> just wing yeah, it. um, it's just like the rest of us. Right, wing it. Well, when you ask for a time slot, you get one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Careful what you wish for. <laughs> is, uh, is my screen up here? Yeah. Yes. Show report, Bay Area Tandy Assembly Meetup 2023. Yeah. So um, I think you guys all know about the big Tandy Assembly that's in Ohio. I, I personally just cannot justify flying you know to Ohio and then driving uh we'd have to go to Columbus I think and then drive down to uh Springfield yeah. Ohio you go to Japan there's a lot more a uh -oh. lot more interesting stuff for uh for the XYL over there <laughs> XYL as in um that's him radio speak for used to be a young lady uh -huh. uh, as in you, my wife are you saying she used to be a young lady uh, well, well yeah. was, now you're in trouble, Mikey. <laughs> see, girlfriend. See, that's why I never used that term because I just knew that was bound to get me uh -oh. in trouble. I said, I, I that, that was the sound of somebody stepping into something, I think. There, <laughs> I think so. Yes, you better stick to right. electronic Im impulses here. <laughs> so, um, I've never been to uh, to attend the assembly, um. But when I uh, saw, uh, I actually think I heard it from the from the news here, and then I went uh, went looking around for the uh, the announcement. It was actually uh, actually this one here. This is what uh, Arno posted. I'm like, hmm. Well, uh, 
you know, I should probably uh, go since uh, San Francisco is basically an hour hour drive uh, for me. And sometimes we go there anyway, just for like, usually we go there for dim sum, cheap dim sum, tasty cheap dim sum. So uh, I decided that uh, I should sign up and go. And he asked if uh, people wanted to give uh, lightning talks. So um of course I gave uh I gave a little talk about um you know flexing the color computer since uh, everybody everybody else was uh, talking about you know the model the model computers so yeah it was a pretty small event uh, this this I'm showing here is on my webpage this is the the detailed write up I'm not going to sit here and and uh read through it Actually, I'm gonna just switch to uh, switch to some pictures here. So it it was a pretty small event. Um, I think uh, last picture here, yeah. So there were if you count, there are 14 people in this picture and one person. This particular picture, Arno. Uh, I don't think there's. Uh, I don't think I have the one that has a picture of Arno, but. Uh, I was going to ask you, Mikey, because I remember Arno had said that they basically they have a restriction how many people they could have there, and they actually quote unquote sold out. But then, like half people didn't actually show up for the show. Uh yeah, there were a good. Uh, um, I don't know if it's in any of these. Sorry, I'm flipping through these quickly. But uh, okay, so this this picture is uh, Arthur uh, Gleckler, the author of Weird, which you guys talked about Weird uh, sometime like a month or two ago, right? Yeah, it's a Tier Same Model One Three game. Yeah, the so he the I guess the author is here in the San Francisco Bay Area. But if you look uh, over his shoulder, you see that on the table there, there's all of the name badges. So there's about at least ten, ten to fifteen name badges sitting there on the table of people that didn't show up. So would it be fair to just read them off now? <laughs> blame shame blame yeah, shame them all yeah <laughs> and, and this is why airlines oversell exactly. yeah <laughs> hotels overbook uh-huh so here here i am uh talking to um you know this this is actually before before the show actually started but uh talking to uh, some of the people um, now, Mikey, did you actually take your cocoa down there? Because I did see a cocoa in one of the pictures. Was that yours or no? Uh, I didn't bring any. Um, I didn't bring any hardware this time uh, because uh, I was uh, I was on vacation until about uh, the middle of uh, October, and uh, I didn't really have that much time to. You know, I did. I I didn't want to uh, stress myself out. Um, we have enough. We have enough things going on with my uh, with my day job. I just said, well, I'll just show up and give a talk. Um, the okay. only thing, Fair. only thing I brought was you can see my uh, in this picture. You can see my poster uh, with all of the QR codes on it, and the same poster I brought to uh, VCF West. So I didn't bring anything with me. But if they have the event again, I probably I will. Hopefully, I'll have a little more time to prepare. Okay, and, so did, so somebody else did bring a cocoa though, or was there more than uh, one? Yeah, or? yeah, it's uh, somebody else brought a cocoa three uh, with an interesting 
it's an interesting monitor setup. Um, it doesn't. He has some had some kind of monitor that can actually do the 15 kilohertz RGB. And uh, I don't. I don't have a good. There isn't a uh, a good picture of of this one here. Um, but uh, he apparently his monitor, since it can do regular RGB, there's no scan converter. It's pretty interesting. I guess it's an older monitor. But he didn't. He didn't really show that much. Like, wasn't really showing a project. Uh, he just, I guess, just showed up and brought a, brought his cocoa and just. Just for fun, I think. Guy's name was uh, Duncan. I don't remember. Don't remember the last name offhand. I hadn't. Uh, don't remember. Me. Uh, it's uh, this guy right here with the uh, Sharp X sixty-eight thousand uh, shirt. His. This is the guy here with this gray shirt, kind of next to me, or a little bit behind and next to me, uh, that brought the uh, brought the cocoa. So. Hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering who that is because I don't think it's anybody we we know personally. You had never met him before at Cocoa Fest? Uh, no, not that I remember. Uh, so uh, some of the the uh, this is not all of the exhibits um, that were there. This is just about half the half the table. Um, but uh, Arno, who's a, a professor at San Francisco State University and the host of the of the event, um, he brought his uh, TRS IO, which basically hooks an ESP module into model one, model three, model four, um, and they have software on that. You can do things like FTP, and it connects into the retro store. So he he showed the, uh, that board, and then right in the lower corner of this picture, you can see there's a little speaker sitting on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was. Uh, Michael Vessel, and he uh, has a card that hooks up to a Model 1 that's a speech synthesis board. Um, it emulates the original, um, uh, I guess they called it Talker 80, uh, was what the original one was called. Uh, if I remember correctly, it's kind of like a box uh, with this. I don't know if I remember if it has a speaker or not, but it plugs into the back of the Model 1. And it has a speech synthesis board, so he has a modern version of that. And then um, one of these Model 100s here, um, the guy actually uh, apparently changed the CPU to a uh, normally it has a 8085 Intel CPU, uh, but he replaced it with the Z80. And then after doing that, apparently you can get CPM to run on the thing. I'd never heard of that before, actually. That was interesting. I haven't either. <laughs> yeah. I like it. CPM. CPM so it's kind of similar to, there was some uh, Epson, one of those little Epson portable computers that they had back way back in those days. Uh, there was some Epson computer that also had um, very similar LCD, uh, CMOS uh, computer, battery powered that ran, ran, um, uh, ran CPM as well. So they did have a couple of portable CPM computers, but I've never seen it on a Model 100. I'll have to have to look at that. And then I don't remember what the other what the other things are. And then uh, Duncan, it's uh, Coco, who he was playing. What was he playing? He tried playing um, the the Donkey Kong transcode and and a few other like he just played some games on it. Basically, was what he did. 
Uh, so any more pictures here? Okay, uh, that's that's yeah, it, for that's this, it for this set. Uh, there's one that, more set of pictures. Set of pictures here. So this is um, this guy's named the Lawrence. He has a pretty interesting uh, website. Uh, it's called I think it's called my dash trs dash eighty dot com. I think that's the name of the website. And uh, he's got all kinds of uh, interesting stuff on there. He's actually got a, an emulator written in TypeScript for a model. Don't know if it's a one or a three. Um, but uh, you can basically, kind of similar to what we have for the uh, Color Computer Archive, um, where some of the games, you can click a button and it runs uh, XROR in your browser. You can run run stuff. He's got an IDE. He's got all kinds of inter pretty interesting tools. Um, it'd be interesting to do something similar for uh, for the Coco. Um, and we can run XOR in uh, in a browser. That's that's not that hard to do. But uh, he actually has a whole IDE where you can do programming and it assembles and runs it. So it's a pretty pretty convenient uh, development environment, I think. And you can even like save stuff locally. Like if you do use that to say program something, you want to keep a copy yourself. I'm sure you can save it. I I don't think it's I don't think it's uh, it's tied only to the to the web by any means. I I think yeah I think you can save save it and load the stuff back in. Um, basically, the the IDE you know has has a, a editor assembler and uh, debugger and the emulator all built into one. So apparently what he said was when you're in the editor, when you're typing, every key you press, he said it actually reassembles the whole thing because it, it and, and then loads it in the emulator. We found that pretty crazy that the the modern computer is so fast that it can assemble the whole program uh, after pretty much every you know, I don't know if it's every key press or every time you push enter or whatever. He said it just assembles the whole thing and uploads it and restarts the emulator <laughs> and it does it in milliseconds. Wow. <laughs> that was pretty crazy. Uh, I mean, you know, we have our modern computers are so fast compared to... So does it know, do syntax checking then and tell you like you did a mistake here so I can't assemble this or something? Uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't really give a live, uh, live demo of the IDE. Because um, he's know, bothering uh, to do that already, where he's assembling every instruction you do, then you could literally have it do okay. syntax checking right off the bat. I can see the, the little rover dog in the corner saying, "I fixed seventeen syntax errors for you." <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, in he's not fa not facing, but in this picture, uh, this guy with the white uh, shirt here is uh, Arno Puder, the the sponsor of the event. So there's and and Arno is here facing. Uh, they have two two of these group pictures. Uh, one Arno took this one. Sasha took the picture, and Arno is there. So this guy here with the green plaid on the left uh, is uh, Tim Mann, and Tim Mann wrote uh, an early TRS eighty Model One emulator um, XTRS, and um, then this is the this guy's name Lawrence that has the IDE. There's Arthur again, and then uh, 
the other presenter uh, was in the back. Michael Vessel is back here. So, yeah, it's a, a very small, basically very small, intimate event. Um, you know, it's a lot, a lot nicer actually than um, something like VCF, where there's uh, you know hundreds or thousands of people, and and you can't move. You can actually have conversations with people and ask them. I think that's I think that's uh, that's pretty much it for this set of pictures. So, and then I had one. One pic one picture of my own was uh, this one, which is uh so um no it's a little crooked, but uh, a wide angle view of the of the entire room. So, yeah, that was uh, Tandy Assembly, uh Bay Area Tandy Assembly Meetup, was the name of the event. So, then did you talk to Arno near the end event? Like, does it sound like he thinks it's a success and wants to do another one, or or have you got any indication of that so far? Uh, he basically at the end, uh, as I as I describe in the write up, as the, at the end of the event, uh, you know, we all gathered back in a circle, and he basically got the feedback from everybody, and um, it really sounds like the people that that came, including me, uh, you know, I I personally went to the Silicon Valley Color Computer Users Group uh, back back in the day. Uh, that was held at uh, Dyson Corporation in Santa Clara. You know, like Dyson floppy disks. Okay. Well, uh, cool. They had a lot. They in their auditorium. They had uh, sponsored a lot of uh, users groups, including the Color Computer Group and the uh, Time Mix Sinclair Group. You know, met in the Dyson uh, auditorium, and uh, I missed that kind of feeling of you know, uh, kind of kind of exactly the same as what we get at. Well, it's a little bit different than than Coco Fest. Uh, it's just one you know one evening, but you have a presentation, and then you know there's a little bit of a uh, little bit of business meeting or whatever, and then the rest of the time people just mill about and and talk, you know, mill about and talk about whatever. So um, I basically said, yeah, if you had another event, I would show up again, um, and most of the other people uh, did. Um, there was some comment that, for some reason, a lot of people here on the West Coast don't don't know why they don't like coming to events. Um, this I don't think this in general that comment uh, really had anything to do with the human malware. Um, I think it's just a just a general thing. Some people like you know like showing up and and talking to people and meeting people and and learning about their projects and other people don't but um it really sounds like uh they're going to organize something in early 2024 um and Arno asked whether um you know we wanted to do a bigger show and you know something more formal like a more formal tandy assembly you know it takes a lot of time time and effort to to uh get everything set up um, and the response to that was yes, but this is just starting. This is the very first one. If it continues and it grows bigger and bigger, and there's more interest and more people show up, you know, uh, then probably after some time can think about having a more formal event. So it sounds like there there's nothing scheduled, but the consensus of everybody was that yeah, I think we want to meet again uh, sometime you know next year. 
and do something similar. So, okay, yeah, because Arno, I know when he was first talking about organizing this on the Tier City Discord a couple months ago, they were originally talking about doing Tandy Assembly West. And I think yeah. that's the long-term goal. Um, but he said like, that was too much for him to want to bite off on his first try. So we just wanted to do a quick little meeting, gather up, see what kind of interest there was, what kind of presentations would happen, that type of thing. So it sounds like it was basically a user group style meeting, as you were mentioning. And uh, right. it's too bad that a bunch of people signed up didn't show up, though, because he was actually like you scan the QR code, you went and signed up. And then once you hit the maximum allowed by the fire agency or whatever as to how many people you could have in the room at once. He had to cut it off. And I know some people had said, oh, shoot, I didn't get my name in in time. And then, you know, half of them don't show up. So they could have gone, right. which is too bad. But yeah. Um, you know, that that does that does happen. So maybe and how, how did people react to your like, I, I'm imagining most of these people are probably model one, three, four type people yeah. and not the uh, the Cocoa people. How did they react to your flex thing? How, what kind of questions did you get from them? What kind of reaction did you get? Uh, the, uh, I didn't, I didn't talk about the, uh, the lightning talk, but, um, and I think, I think I should probably, uh, I should, we should probably wrap this up in the next couple of minutes here. Um, just so that the show doesn't drag on, um, people were actually genuinely interested in my talk. Um, they said it was pretty interesting. Um, you know, uh, if you guys watched my YouTube video, my lightning talk was simply a uh, summary of the flexing the color computer project uh how i got how i got into flex um you know about my restoration and of course i go into all of the details of my videos so it was just like a a when i time it was about a 10 10 minute talk but it came out about uh 13 minutes on on youtube because um i don't uh if I like really like the subject, really into the subject I'm presenting about, I don't even I, I start reading the slide and then I just I just go. And uh, <laughs> so um, I stay on the, the slides help basically help me stay on topic so that I t I'm talking generally about what's on the slide. Um, YouTube, I talked more about the uh, video mode than I did in 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 the real in-person talk. Uh, stay on target. The, the flex video mode. But. Uh, yeah, people were interested in it, and uh, I should probably. It probably would have been good if I had a demo, like actually brought a machine with me. But I didn't want to, um, you know, since this was the first time for the event, I didn't, and I didn't have a whole lot of time. I wanted to keep it uh, keep it simple. So, and so how long did the meeting last? I think it was originally scheduled for three hours. Is that basically what happened, or did they go a bit longer because of talks and visiting and stuff? Or uh, there wasn't, yeah, it was scheduled for 2 to 5 p.m. And um, it, uh, we started a little bit late. Uh, I think Arno was waiting to see if more people showed up. Uh, and then there wasn't really a hard, hard ending time. And so, somebody went out for supper afterwards and kept the discussion going from what I read yeah, on your, your blog. Right, right. Uh, we, um, so the I I had my talk my lightning talk was the last one so that was from roughly about 3:45 to 4 a couple minutes after 4 okay and then we had the uh the the conclusion you know the the feedback session 
And then we were pretty much there talking, you know, from four to five something. And then we helped uh, help shut down the, you know, put put the room back in the classroom. So um, the um, the police officer who was uh, walking around the around the campus, uh, you know, checking, making sure everything is in order. She stopped by and said, hey, I, I didn't have you on my schedule. And she's like, it's no no, you know, it's no no problem. It's just the, uh, can I go? Can I lock? She was basically asking, can I lock the exterior door? And 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 Arno said, sure, go ahead and lock it. So apparently there was no, you know, it, we were we were there until uh, after the feedback session. A couple people started to peel off because that was about five o'clock, and then um, we were there until almost six thirty was when we actually left to go to dinner. So. Okay. Well, it sounds like, aside from the size being smaller than expected because of all the no-shows, it sounds like it was a pretty successful event. So I, and it does sound like you guys are, are planning, or maybe not actually you guys, but Arno was planning on having another one uh, next year, which would be really awesome too. So anybody in the San Francisco area, uh, whenever they decide the next one is, should definitely pop by, you think, if you have a Coco or any of the tier city interests, of any of the tier cities for that matter. Yeah, and uh, I'm probably going to bring some hardware uh I should probably demo uh, Flex and probably uh, Nitrous Nine. Uh, probably de- Nitrous Nine as well. Maybe I can give a lightning. You know, if uh, if there are more lightning talks, maybe instead of talking about my project, I can talk about Curtis's project. But just slam it. <laughs> hey, maybe both running at the same time. Right. Yeah, we need to get Flex running as a task under Nitrous Nine. That'd be awesome. Uh it could probably be done level two you could depend- be do it i think it just it just depends on where the uh where the kernel goes in the mem the the nitrous nine part goes in the memory map yeah that would be the i'm not volunteering the- to write that by the way but it would be a cool project <laughs> <laughs> yes you did <laughs> no i didn't <laughs> i mean the documentation is good enough uh it would not be very hard to replace the uh, the disk driver and the file management system with OS nine calls, that would actually and, yeah. and even even the terminal, it would actually be a relatively easy thing to do. Yeah, and it would shrink it actually because you would need all that code right in the sixty four k workspace. You would just slam it off as a SWI two call. Yeah, or series of them. Oh, uh, like like I needed another project, huh? Well, what did I start? <laughs> Feature what, creep. What did I start? <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, well, thanks. Thanks for uh, talking about that. I, I I could have read your blog. It's listed in the news and it's in the news links. If you download them off of Discord, there for anybody who's catching this after the fact. Uh, but I thought it would be really good to get a firsthand experience from somebody who's actually there. Um, yeah. Was there any questions from the panel about uh, either the the Flex uh, Lightning Talk or the show itself here from the panel? And any questions from the chat? I've been able to monitor chat the last bit, so I didn't see if there's anything. No, there's no questions in chat that I can see. I, I do like the fact that you had a, a, a Z80 in a it was running CPM on a Model 100, though. That's that's mind boggling. I haven't heard yeah, that. Yeah, uh, my my uh, last time I checked, my Model 100 still works, but I'm not going to go. Uh, <laughs> I I had to open it up to remove the uh, battery uh, when I repaired it last time, so uh, I'm not going to open that up again unless I really need to. 
Okay. And uh, Nick Morenis, I wanted to ask you, because you were a Tier City Model 1-3 guy before you became a Coco guy in the early 80s. Uh, had you heard of or played the game Weird? Yes. And uh, it was very weird. <laughs> <laughs> so appropriately named. Yeah. yeah I've I, all, it, it, it was distributed by Big Five Software. Towards the end, uh, Big Five generally wrote their own um, games. Um, by I think the guy was Bill Hogue, and they were all very good games. Anything from uh, Big Five was generally uh, regarded as a very good, good quality arcade game. But towards the end, he started to uh, move away from the TRS-80, and he went over to the Atari, and uh, he uh, licensed or he started carrying games from other authors. And Weird was, I think, the last one uh, before Bill uh, Big Five uh, moved away completely from uh, the TRS-80. And uh, yeah, it was it was weird. Uh, I did I didn't really like it myself. It was just too weird. Now you know how we feel about Neutroid. Anyway, <laughs> I was going no, to uh, a lot weirder. I was going to ask them to try to run uh, Donut Dilemma, but um, I didn't get a chance. <laughs> Like have have Arno or somebody run Donut Dilemma on their uh, on their. That'd be a good one for the next one. Yeah, Nick can kind of cover several. You can get you can have Donut Dilemma or Neutroid even on both the Model One Threes and on the Cocos, and people can actually see the progression between the two. And yeah, since another uh, guy that brought his Coco there is a seems to be a bit of a games player who's running transcodes, he could be the one to demonstrate the Coco versions of those, <laughs> so he doesn't tie up your system. The the ti- the timing should be okay for um for uh, Australia too. So yeah, since it's a, a university campus, uh, I did not uh, put any of my devices on the on the Wi-Fi. I didn't have time, but I think uh, I think most uh, most schools you can get just get on the public Wi-Fi. I think or uh, Arno gave the can give you the access or whatever. Yeah, because one thing I was a bit disappointed with it, I was hoping they would stream it. Yeah, just so some of us could catch it. Does that just come up the discussion on the after discussion at all, or? Uh, it 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 did not. Um, so I, again, I I thought about uh bringing my uh tripod and the and the extra phone, but I just wanted to keep it. Uh, I I barely I I barely left in time to get there early, like you guys were. You guys were doing the news about it was about uh, twelve thirty, I think, here, and I'm like, okay, uh, I'm going to get to San Francisco by one thirty. I got to leave now. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's cool. I, I'm I, I'm glad that there's another version of that show going on the West Coast because, as you mentioned, just going to Springfield is a bit of a pain in the ass because you have to fly. There's no real airport in Springfield itself, so then you have to take an Uber or taxi or whatever and drive to a different town from where you landed. To attend yeah. the show and the hotels tend to be really expensive Springfield too. I think they're like 200 plus a night or something like that. Like they're, they're not cheap. They're quite a bit more expensive than says Chicago for Cocoa Fest or VCF is. So it's, it's uh, not a cheap trip. If, if they have it at, um, uh, 10 I thought they had it at, uh, uh, Marriott, uh, courtyard hotel. Um, that's a, that's a more upscale brand name. Yeah, and uh, Coco Fest a, was bit... always at uh, Fairfield Inn. That's the more, uh, that's the middle middle tier, so it's a little cheaper. 
Well, it, it's even more expensive to stay at hotels if you don't stay at that hotel. Even the other hotels in the area are more expensive because it is a small town and there's not a lot of competition. So mm. the, the people that stay there are more business travelers versus, uh, uh, you know, entertainment yep. or vacation. Oh, okay. See, that, that's the opposite. Like small towns here, you can get a room for like 40 bucks a night. Like it's super cheap because they're trying to attract anybody to come in. So okay, I guess it just works differently. There's not a lot of options there either. It's it's pretty small. <laughs> so bring a camper. So <laughs> yeah, there you yeah, tent. It's park on the front lawn or something. Uh, I mean, you're going for a business convention center vibe in a small town. That's where the money comes in because everyone's business travel, business expense. We don't care what it costs. Yeah, it's true. We're in Springfield. You know, they have the they have the conference room. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's it's kind of you're stuck because there's not a good convention center in your forty dollar um, room. No, you uh, barely got a restaurant if you're lucky. Okay. <laughs> you know, meet in a uh, restaurant, like, but they'll kick us out in an hour. Like definitely the, want to uh, pay Coca- more than forty dollars for a room. The Coco Fest at the Holiday Inn that was uh, barely held together with uh, oh with, right with uh, stucco or whatever. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, our room yeah, sucked. We, when, well, when, Coco when we Fest has a better holiday in now. So yes, that... we do. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, thank thank you, Mikey. I didn't <clears throat> see any other thing in some chat here. We're really asking any questions or anything. So um, we will be covering these uh, two things, both the Tandy Assembly review that Mikey did, as well as his lightning talk. I'll cover that on the news. And if you're on the Discord, you can go into the news uh, listings that are in the news channel, and you can actually grab the links and go to them directly, and, and you can watch the video and read the blog. I think I posted the links in the attendee assembly um, Discord channel, the direct links to the web page and the video in there as well, if I remember correctly. Okay. Don't remember. Uh, don't remember if I how much spamming I did this time. <laughs> All right. It was cool. You got to go down there. So thank thanks for coming by and, and telling us about it and giving us a yep. first hand perspective. Thanks for convincing me to come on here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, then I added that extra project for you. Right. <laughs> All right. Mission accomplished. Update well, us anytime. <laughs> well, ne- next up, let's see what Bob is doing. My mic working? Yes. Yep. Yes. All right. Well, so those of you who've been watching the stream so far, you probably noticed in a little corner of uh, of the screen here, there's been a guy soldering on a white circuit board. Bob, you want to explain to everybody that's viewing and watching what exactly are you doing? So basically, I am building the world's first Color Computer 3 entirely from new parts. In other words, no Color Computers will die to make this live. Um, The main thing that makes it possible is the fact that I have the Gimme X now. So everything else is pretty much commonly available parts the 6309s are still made pias can be found memory chips everything but the gimme and the gimme x is out there so we know that it's possible so somebody will make a new one eventually and this is basically rocky hills uh work coming to life here he's done a nice job with this board I'm really glad that he's got not just the resistor nomenclature reference, but the actual values on the board makes it a lot easier to verify what I'm doing as I go. 
Um, I'm going to switch my screen here to my desktop. So you can see I'm using Rocky's uh, online Cocoa 3 bill of materials as I go. And it's pretty neat because as you hover over something, it shows you exactly where they go on the board. Then I can check the box as they're placed. So all the green stuff is placed. that and that and that's cool it's got a built-in checklist yeah that helps uh you can use that to order directly from digikey i believe most of the parts not everything is available there but and you don't have to scan from the top left to the bottom right looking for r17 right it highlights it for you kind <laughs> of come over here figure out where that one goes yeah I just want to mention, Bob, uh, Chad in the chat here, he's, he's mentioned that uh, you sound fine on your stream, but you're a little bit muffled coming through in here. I'm not sure what's causing that, but you're going to keep the stream going throughout the show and probably past that, right? Um, or have you I don't know. Decided I mean, to... I'm, I'm not going to go through and do the entire board today, but I'm going to at least try and get all the resistors in for today and maybe some sockets or capacitors. And do you have a schedule you're kind of following? Like, are you doing this every day or every second day or once a week? Or are you doing planning? No, no particular schedule. Just working until I don't feel like working anymore. <laughs> that sounds like retirement. Yeah. Right. And it was, uh, yeah, keep it fun. Yeah. Quite a bit of uh, cabling setting up the multi-cam setup here today. So. And it's still, obviously, I'm not quite right. It's always fun when you're sharing your desktop and can't figure out which mouse is the right one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm so, grabbing the wrong mouse here. The board that you have is a Rev 110, Rev 1.1.0, but the website says Rev 1.2.0. Is there some sort of difference that is highlighted that... Um, that Basically, aware what of? he's been doing is going through and trying to make it more like Tandy's original. So maybe rerouting some of the auto-routed stuff. Uh, but I have actually noticed like one resistor slightly out of sync with where it shows up on the bill of materials here. Okay. Yeah, but, that's what I was wondering is if there was a trap waiting somewhere. Yeah, luckily everything is labeled pretty clearly on the board. So even in that case, it was obvious, you know, where it needed to go. So I'm trying to remember, did, has, has Pedro himself put one of these boards together and, and verified it works? Or are you the first person that's actually going through uh, the whole thing from scratch? I'm not sure if he has built one for the Coco 3. I'm pretty sure he's built Coco 2s. And he is actually uh, working. He has a new version of this board coming out, a purple version. And I will be ordering one of those from him as well, because who doesn't want a purple board? And you're planning on doing some summary videos of this, too, for your channel, too, correct? Yeah, I'm actually recording my overhead camera uh, directly as well as an over-the-shoulder, so... I'll kind of do a time lapse of this, probably. Okay. 
Any questions from the panel or from the chat here on on this project that Bob's working on? We will be popping to him occasionally as the show goes on, uh, just to see how he's doing. And it sounds like if you want to get slightly clearer audio from Bob, there maybe just you know nip into his stream for a little bit and take a listen there. So, are you having fun with it, Bob? So far, yeah, I love soldering. Uh, the only not fun part is trying to figure out where the hell I put my 2K resistors. <laughs> that is the uh, point behind all electronics hobbyism is where did I put the insert thing here? I do have one question. Um, are Gimme X's becoming available again, or is uh, what's 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 up with uh, Ed Snyder these days? I know he's dribbling a few things out here and there. Uh, no, it's not available again yet. Um, the chip that it's using did have a couple batches that came out. The price is still triple or whatever higher than it was before the plague hit. Um, I'm not sure. Nobody's really heard from it as far as, you know, what his plans are is it like, there's a possibility. Maybe you could maybe change the chip, but that might take some reprogramming, redesign, et cetera. Um, or if maybe they're, he's waiting to see if you know they continue to come down price and continue to get manufactured in bigger bulk so that people can actually get them because the last batch they put up was sold out like within a day, and that's with a ton of people on waiting orders too. So um, no real progress to say except that the chips finally became available again for the first time in a year and a half, fairly recently at a much increased cost. And I it think should Alan... not be very hard. To yeah, I think Alan change. 8-bit zone is trying to do a new version of one. Mm. Right, but the problem is we're we're all fighting over one Atmel product or another. So yeah, because Kogu VJ is using the same chip and it's got the same issue. So right, I think he so, uses yeah. Altera. Okay. Which well, is Intel right now. In in any case, any alternative is just as hard to difficult. It's difficult to find is the one that you've got now. So why do the effort? Well, maybe from looking in the thing? Discord, because I asked Gary Becker about this, and then there's a discussion on some of these chips here, but there are, there are some alternative chips apparently that aren't as hard to get right now and are at still decent prices. Now, yeah. how much retooling you have to do on the board, et cetera, to get those to work, I have no idea how much reprogramming. The one I saw mentioned that was only like $12 a chip instead of 30 or 40 that the current one's going for Um I think they mentioned it had half the RAM of the one that's used in the current Kimi X, but everything mm -hmm. else is pretty well the same, if I understood it right. I'm not a hardware guy, but uh, it sounds like there are some possible alternatives, but some compromises may need to be made or the price might have to go up. Yeah, also, too, the, uh, the, the, the male connector for the Gimme that would you know allow you to take that board and go in, from what I understand, is not a cheap item either. I've seen prices like $20 and $35 just for the socket. Not the socket that the, you know, it'd be the male version of the socket to go in, you know, that allow the board to go into the, into the gimme. So you look at a single chip and a, in a single socket, you already got $50 wrapped up in the project and you haven't even started anything project else. Yet. Mm. I think uh, Ed Snyder made his own uh, connector for the male he socket. Did. He did because the, the, the socket itself, the manufactured socket was so expensive. And so I think he looked at an alternative, a 3D printed one, but. So, yeah, I guess the other alternative is if you get Pedro to design a, a new version of the Coco 3 motherboard that kind of bypasses that. And, you know, or maybe, just use a different socket system. Yeah, right. well, that's what I'm kind of getting at. Like you, you could plug in the uh, whatever you said the chip is from Intel 
directly into the board rather than trying to adapt it to fit in the gimme. So it'd be if more you... like a surface mount uh, solder. Right. Could, could you uh, get those are going to be these days? Those are going to be BGA chips, ball grid array. There are no pins on like sticking out of the sides. It just has little pads on the bottom with solder balls, but those well, are actually take... not that hard to solder. But it does right. take some right. practice. I think but your best it... Go ahead. best alternative would be a through pin socket to put in the cocoa motherboard. Desolder the gimme socket and put some adapter that you made into that point. Yeah, like straight headers or something. Exactly, yep. but even that's a pain. Right, yeah. and, and that would be nice, but I think the, and I'm making an obvious statement here, but I think the initial intent was is that you could pop out the gimme and pop this in and be going. Right. Right. So, does anyone know exactly which chip it is that he would be needing? Oh, you mean the FPGA? Yeah. Um, It was, uh, what I was remember it? was it was some kind of uh, Altera Cyclone was uh, it cyclone, cyclone five four? or something, and those are those are older chips now. Yeah, and, the, right. the model number of the chip is on the Discord. Uh, okay, I have to look because I have the same one as the Coco VGA. Yeah, that's a Cyclone um, four or five or something like that. Those are those are older chips now, and if the primary business for FPGAs these days is you know uh, automotive or uh, other applications, they're probably going to use a little bit newer chips than ones that are like 10 years old. So. Well, equip, equipment that I work on at work used Cyclone 2s and 5s. And I could scare some up. This is kind of sad, like the that old product I had that used the 16550. If nothing had ever happened to make it unavailable it would probably still be available today just kind of cranking along on the old tooling forever but because yeah. it had to be replaced a couple of years ago it's never coming back because everyone's already replaced it and so who needs a serial when you have ethernet well yeah but <laughs> it's the, it's the same problem the the old uh, these old chips would still be made today if they'd never stopped making them but now that they've stopped making them yeah they're being replaced yeah. with something, you know. It's an Altera Cyclone 4, it looks like. Okay. So the one that you didn't mention. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. and Gary had a, a very interesting observation on the Discord this week that uh, if it becomes required or possible to redesign, that he would like looking at a Xilinx FPGA chip. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of like the other major strain of FPGAs next yeah, to Altera. I've seen them things everywhere. Uh, well, apparently they're still expensive, and, but they're, I mean they're available, but they're a bit more expensive still, and the the lots are smaller. So it's it's you know still yeah, just kind of rocky times for them as well. But uh, I, I think that would be interesting if there was a way. I mean, if we have to go through the effort then if there's a way to make it, you know, future-proof somewhat, you need this much minimum, and here's how you could adapt it up to anything else that becomes available down the down the line. It's really not very difficult to, uh, once you have the uh, Verilog or VHDL design, 
it's really not very difficult to port it to a different one. Um, the the primary th the primary thing that you have to deal with, and I have done this on some some projects. Um, on I've ported a couple different projects to the you know since I have uh the DE one and DE two boards, I've ported other projects to those boards, and really kind of all I had to do was going and change where change where all the pins went. You know where's where's the PS two keyboard uh, connector. Where's the uh, the VGA output? Where's the serial port? Where does this thing go? Where does the you know where do, you you just change where all where all the pins are uh, in 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 the code and you can it's relatively easy to port things. Now there are there are problems like timing and you know the, uh, there might be different RAM or you know if we're talking about a, a simple sixty eight oh nine computer, well that's not really that big of a deal. If it's more complicated, then it would get, you know, you have a lot more issues. But I'd say the gaming probably is more complicated than the 6809. <laughs> yeah. Plus, okay, it probably runs cool. at higher clock speed. Yeah. So well, it, he's got the 2.86 megahertz option where if you have static RAM, RAM upgrades in there, where he doesn't have to do dynamic RAM refresh cycles, it actually steals that back for the CPU. And that's how it runs at almost three megahertz. Yeah. But the, the, the video is 3.8. 3.58 whatever megahertz and yeah. all that processing has to be uh you know has to be you done. have to divide it down for h sync and v sync and all that stuff yeah but that's the base clock yeah asparagus hmm. no there's no asparagus in the gimme x at all curtis did you say this <laughs> curtis did you say it was the cycle and floor or four yes oh well, why didn't you guys say so i got a whole box of them so <laughs> <laughs> Don't you don't mean you have a things, whole truckload? Don't let those things <laughs> loose. It might suck up all of the all of the cocos in the world. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Brian, you had uh, something that dovetailed in, into this? Apparently, uh, yeah, he's got uh, Gimme X's in there while you have So, anyway. Um, You're up. Okay. So, uh, a while back, uh, I had shared some stuff um, from a George... Uh, uh, Betha, I think is how his name's pronounced. I think some of you guys probably re remember him from some Cocoa Fest in times past. Yeah, I do. And uh, I had uh, stayed in touch with his niece um, uh, since his passing and everything. And uh, we were chatting. Well, she kind of reached out to me here and wanted uh, if I'd be interested in some stuff here. And uh, so I'll go ahead and start sharing what I have here and we can kind of talk as we go. Um, looking forward to everybody's input on what some of this stuff is. Um, I mean, I can look it up. I just haven't had a chance. So you'll it'll make sense here in a moment. But the first thing I'll show here when I switch the camera. Uh, here we go. Nope, not that. Wrong one. That would be there. no signal. There we go. So one of the first things that she had there, and this doesn't exactly time in, though, but this was a mouse pad from one of the Cocoa Fest, the 16th annual last Cocoa Fest. I just wanted to show that one real quick there. So um, was anybody at the 16th annual? This is not when I was there. I, I, I went up until I think 2003, and then I didn't show up again until like 2016. So okay, I missed this one. Okay. Well, that was the first thing I wanted to, to show there. Okay. So uh, one thing I'll share is uh, in, in, talking to, in talking to her, um, uh, George was an electrical engineer. And some of this stuff's going to make sense here in a second when you, uh, when you see some of the things. So... 
I hope some of this focuses here. So what she had was a whole bunch of, a whole box full of chips that he had. And is this coming through okay here for you guys? Yeah, I see 6821s of PIAs. Yeah, here's a sleeve of, uh, there was three 6821s in here. And uh, we all know what, what that does there. That's uh, in the cocoa. Okay. Uh, the next thing here was a sleeve that was labeled uh, RS-DOS. And I think, and uh, some of you hardware guys there, Rick and Mark, uh, let me see if I can zoom in here. So I apologize. I would, my camera just doesn't seem to be wanting to focus like it was before. So uh, hopefully these kind of come in okay here for us. There Might not like that blue background. Oh, there that, you go. That coming into focus for you guys now. Yeah, Mark or or do you know like was this something like would this come from Radio Shack this way? Looking at the number, it's a twenty six dash, and they had like thirty three, thirty four on it. You know that I mean, would the ROM the way they labeled it like that would have come? I don't like, recognize it. Usually, if if you had a replacement ROM, it was still a mask ROM. Okay, but I don't remember. Anything for the Coco Three? Somebody just had a, maybe had a nice labeler and they just did their own. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's the other thing I was thinking too. Is that he just burned his own ROMs and labeled them this way with uh, with dates on them or part numbers? Huh. And yeah, part numbers. it looks like uh, the one that I can see the twenty six thirty one thirty three. That's an mm -hmm. FD five hundred two. That makes yep. sense. Oh, okay. So picture here, and you can put together your whole Coco out of custom ROMs. And that would make sense because uh, well, here I can show you this next. Here, there's, here's another sleeve right here, and it's actually labeled FD502. And I don't think I don't know how many of them are programmed, but you can see here. Whoops. Well, the the label that's on there that says the uh, oh on the label on the sleeve mm -hmm. that you've just pulled away. Yep. Ah, the uh, on down there. So that kind of looks like a. Radio Shack labeling. Yeah, and I have a few more here that'll that has this labeling here. And uh, you know, like he might have ordered this part from, from Radio Shack and this is how they would have shipped it. So there are some here's some other chips that are here. There's some proper ones. Seventeen seventy three, that's a disc controller than the later yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. The rest are just uh, regular ROMs that are in here that aren't don't have any uh, sticker over them. So programmed either. Yep. Hopefully the bits didn't fall out. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, there might not have been any there to lose. Oh, they just wandered around a little. Yeah. Let's see here. Just try to keep this in order here myself a little bit here. Go here. Right. There we are. Let me slide these back into the sleeve here. And that that MX number that was on that other sleeve. What was that? MX sixty four twenty nine. Ah, the main clock crystal for a uh, couple of three. The twenty eight. Yep, sixty three. Yep. That's the one that Bill and I uh, took out of our Coco 3 at work and put a 32 megahertz to overclock. Of course, you know, cassette became incompatible, et cetera, but it was a work machine, so we didn't care. Right. Okay, so I'll go on here. I know Mark's looking up something there. 
So then there's also several sleeves here of processors. So here's a, you know, 6309 here. Here's a sleeve with a single 68, whoops, 6809. Let me back the camera up just a little bit here. There we are. So you can't quite read the number though, because I know the holes, but that's a, just a, it's just a 6809. 6809. Here's a sleeve of four 6309s. Do you know if they're B's or C's or which, which version? Um, whoops, upside down here. So we have uh, uh, the HD63B09EP. Okay, that's two megahertz radio lens. HD63B09, yeah, they're all the same. Okay. That three megahertz mode I was mentioning on the Gimme X probably would be better with a C, even though most of the Bs can overclock fairly well. And then here's a sleeve of a whole, here's a sleeve of nine. 63 or 6809s here whole brand new sleeve so i'm not sure where you know like if you got some of those from radio shack or where he got it all she's unsure it was just in a whole box of stuff there that she asked me if i was interested in well those are st bands so probably not radio shack correct yep i would agree with you there well radio shack would have uh, pushed more of the motorola ones yeah and i think these have the uh these have the logo yeah it's kind of that bullseye logo right here Hitachi. is that Hitachi? Hitachi? Yeah. okay yeah. That's a Hitachi logo. Okay, so let's see. Let me grab the next group of stuff here. Um, so some of this here, and I think this is what you're referring to here, Mark. So, and this actually has his name on it. So this here is a 74LS30. Uh-huh. And uh, you can see it has like the Radio Shack, like he would have ordered it, even had like his name right here. Like he would have ordered the part and they would have came in to a Radio Shack store or something like that and he would have picked it up. Yeah, the part number is not right though. Uh, Radio Shack typically had uh, either MX or AMX prefix on ICs. Okay. Is this something maybe he might have ordered from electrical supply place and they would have shipped it this way maybe then? Yeah, probably. Okay. Uh, okay. fact that it's since I'm here, LS30. Um, Here's a couple more. Uh, um, yeah, the LS30 didn't have an MX number on it. Okay, so here's a this here says S74 uh, LS30, and it has part number equals MX7264. I was going to go grab some of the service manuals and start comparing what some of these went to. Yeah, I'm actually poking through the uh, Coco 3 manual now. So the the LS30, um, which is a 8-in-1 NAND gate, uh, doesn't have an MX number associated with it, at least okay. on this manual. Maybe it's a Coco 1 and 2 part or something? Or from a disk controller or some other hardware piece? You know, but like the uh, the Gimme chip is actually a... Uh, uh, MX seventy two sixty three. No, I'm sorry. MX seventy two fifty nine is like the gimme chip. Oh boy, I really can't even read this number here. These are. I pick the I... best times to wander away. The yeah, I know. <laughs> it's just the cheapest chips. NAND gate. Andy stuck. They're in multi packs and everything else. Tandy just bought whatever was cheap that week. It's a common chip. This one here is a 74LS 
two, 244. Okay. Yeah. Buffer buffer. yeah. Yep. That's an AMX and, 3864. And we have here a 74LS138. Little sleeve okay. of those. Cool. Yep. I could use all those, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> they fit right in breadboards. I need them. <laughs> uh, 74LS748. That's a little different. Tri State. Gee, I don't remember. I don't know. 74 LS 240. Little sleeve yeah, of those that's here. Pretty common. Uh, here's another little sleeve of. Oh, uh, boy, I can't focus here on this one. It's an NEC chip here. I guess I can probably take it out of the sleeve. Ram. It's got to be ram. Those sleeves look a little bit, a little yellowed. Yeah. What don't? <laughs> right? That means it's vintage. That's right. That's why I'm yellowed. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Let me see if I can get this. I thought it was jaundice. Coffee. You're going to focus? Come on, focus. Well, that camera doesn't like anything. No, no, not today. Usually it's working really well for me. Does it have a manual camera. focus mode or is it only automatic? It's supposed to be automatic here. Well, I know I it's supposed to be, but is there a manual show. override you can do to? Uh, not that I know of. Oh, okay. Come on. Do you need Today's a white presentation background? brought to you in blurry vision. Sorry, guys. Halo vision. <laughs> so I can kind of trick it a little bit and. I wonder if a white background will help. If you, if you put it in the palm of your hand and have your palm in the field of view, would that work? Yeah, that usually helps. A little picture of your face. Well, not it needs it needs the extra contrast. The chip's too small. Lay it okay. in your hand, and it'll focus white, on it. White didn't help. <laughs> now we have oh, a blurry hand. hand. All right. Yeah, there it goes. Oh, there we go. It wants to uh, almost. Uh, What's weird is the camera's at 90 degrees of where I'm at, so. Oh, well. I guess anyway, you just have to read the number. It's a NEC. It's a 6819 FUO 96 D4125 or D41256. Ram chip. That's what I thought. Yeah, 256K yeah. Ram chip. Probably 150 nanosecond or 120, the dash. 12 or 15 at the end of it. Okay. It's just an odd brand name. So they got a weird number. Yeah. <laughs> no, NEC. Like a, NEC would probably be, he said D41256. I said, yep. I already knew it was an NEC part, even okay. from the blurry vision. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see here. That's impressive, Mikey. <laughs> it's the blurry chip identification. Uh, That's one of them fuzzy logic challenge. chips, I think. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, let's see. Here. Let me grab the but next the thing. Speck here. of dust on there, he, they can get just perfect. <laughs> Fuzzy chip challenge. Uh, these here say it's a DM7416. National Semiconductor. Yeah. 7416s. Some gates. A gate of some sort. Um, 416 is, uh, yeah, what is it? Uh, four, four, dual four input NAND or something? <clears throat> This is a 74 HC133. Exenberger. Jeez, I'm old. 
Today on Name That Chip. Oh, boy, this is uh, the printing on these is really light. Okay. Oh, yeah, 7416. That's the chip that blows up in your disk controller if you unplug the drives when the controller. These are, oh, oh the, buffered, the buffered cable driver. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> these are just a 7400 here, is what these are. Kind of hard to see them, okay. more, more blurry vision, but 7400s. You mean 7400? Yes. Um, here we have some 74LS14s. Boy, that is just not happy today when it comes to this focusing. Gosh darn it. Well, she's going to focus a little bit better because I really wanted to show you guys some things here. Well, yeah, you got it for a second there. You yeah, need a background. Yeah, you need a background with the pattern in it, like a mouse, one of those fancy desktop or, mouse patterns. Or your desk. Why don't you just go, go to my desk right Oh, here? yeah, there you go. Let it focus on the wood grain. There you go. Hey. hey, it did. There it goes. Signetics or something like that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, these, yeah, these are 74 LS14s is what this is here. I want to get back a little bit further. There we go. Okay. So then let's see. What do we have here? Here's a little sleeve here that just has some uh, uh, 8718s, 8718Es, E7. Oh, these are just some different ROMs, or uh, that, that was the date code you gave us, nineteen eighty-seven. Okay. Yep. Yeah, you need the big long number that you don't want to read. There's no. <laughs> I don't think. I don't think. I don't think there's any way for us to know what that really is. Yeah. What's the uh, label on the outside of the box say? Oh. Aristos. One NEC forty-one two fifty-six. I wonder if they are uh, flash ROMs. Yeah, there might be a one-shot ROM called a PROM. Okay. And I can certainly try to put them in my reader and see what... Right. See what yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think the box is helping. I think it's been re, repurposed. Yeah, those, those are static RAMs. That's kind of what I thought, too. <laughs> these are some... Uh, these are 41... Uh, 46 or 464s. Yeah. 41, 46, oh, 44 64s. One bit by 64. It says 128K RAM chips on the outside, but... No, that's probably yeah, pulled. Oh, no, actually, no, the 128, well, 120 would be 16 chips, wouldn't it? Well, they got those have extra, uh, those are 18 pins. So are they 44, 64s? Uh, it just says uh, KM41464. P. Those are 64K by 4 bits. 61K by 4. Oh, so that's like the four uh, yeah, chips in a 120K yeah. Coco 3, then? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Ones. Or the pair of them that are They'd in those. Probably, uh, they probably the later six Coco twos. Yeah. Yeah. They probably came out of a Coco three. And that's a cassette box, isn't it? I'm not sure. Yeah. Exactly what it, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's a cassette box. What's yeah. That? It's one of those uh, cassette mailers. The, yeah. The plastic ones. I have a whole pack. Got a quick question from Wayne Campbell in the chat. He said, what does the P in six, three B O nine EP stand for? Plastic, uh, plastic uh, package. There you go. Wayne. Versus ceramic or uh, some other material. Those are 2810 dip ICs. <laughs> <laughs> wow, there's some insight. Yeah, they just, uh, they just say RGB DOS is what they say on the outside here. Okay. 
Okay, that's Roger Krupski's uh, DOS for probably his uh, SCSI controller for the Cocoa, I would guess. Oh, come on. No one's going to call me on that? And then we had a little, uh, just a... They're ceramics. Just a little <laughs> envelope here of some uh, various size uh, sockets. Good world. Oh. Ew. Yep. And then uh, just more sockets. Here's a whole wedge of them all. Looks like, what, five of them? Six of them all kind of swooshed together. <laughs> Unfortunately, the pins on the bottom one got a little bent from packaging. That's why you swish them together. <laughs> and then... Uh, I really won't need to take them out of the bag here, but this is just a bag full of various uh, size capacitors and stuff that are in here. A nice little set of that stuff. And then here's the, the next two things are the, uh, the, the part I was going to say the, what's the expression? Uh, Fiona or resistance or the, <laughs> I can't oh. Piece of the resistance. Piece of the Okay, so this is an MX6-6201. I got three of them. This is the this is the salt oh. chip. Oh, okay. New ones. Brand new salt chips. Find those three again. New old stock. Awesome. Now we know who to write to. Three bucks and 38 <laughs> cents. I'll take them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, you're committed now. You showed the price there, Brian. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, no, no getting away. No getting away from that. And then, hey, that was nineteen eighty dollars. Okay, five bucks, six bucks. And uh, three guesses as to what these are. Mine. <laughs> Mine. <laughs> this is three brand new gimme chips in a, mm. in a sleeve right Are they now. all 87s? I can't quite read the date. These are all 87s. Yes, they are. That's wow. why and That's I, why Rick said, gimme, gimme, gimme. And I have, <laughs> I, have tested, <laughs> I have tested them and they all work. I popped nice. them into Coco's. That was one so. of your better dad jokes, Jason. <laughs> I do what I can. So I was really excited but when I saw this because I didn't even really realize these were in there until they uh, until I got the box. So the salt chips and these gimmies were nice, nice little. Uh, mm -hmm. So basically, you 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 got three uh, three of um, unobtainium. Three, right. three new cocos from. So basically, you have to order three of those boards Bob's working on right now because you're ready to go. I got sockets, <laughs> I got chips, and I got, got, I got the, the whole, salts whole and the gimmies and the CPUs and the RAM right? and yeah, just. Does anybody have any idea what a B might have been? There was a little B, a little sticker with a B written in it. Anybody have idea what that might have meant? At first, send them to me. I'll, I'll 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 find <laughs> out. Just send them all to me. <laughs> At first, I thought maybe somebody tested these and these were bad gimme chips that came out, you know, and somebody swapped them out for good ones. But I've right. them all. It, it's North. fairly obvious what the sticker B was for was that they're now for Brian. Oh, they're Brian. Brian's. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're Brian's. Right. They're, or they're badass <laughs> chips. One of the they're, chips. They're, they're bad. They're bad you know, chips. You need to send them to me for. Uh, for th thorough testing. going over troubleshooting testing, yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah. but all it three is. of them seem to have a different silk screening. Yeah, they <coughs> come from different places. Six, sixty in the chat, Karen. He's saying Tandy loved to call things B for no apparent reason. <laughs> I did notice Tandy does use those like hole punch stickers to mark chips with. They used to use them to mark like upgraded multi pack pals. They just like those little rounds. It looked like they punched stickers out of a. With a whole punch. So, sometimes different colors. Yeah. 
Are you guys are made from all over the place. You've got Korea, you've got Mexico. What does the far left one say? This one here, this says Korea. Yeah, the, the two, one on each end looked identical. Two Koreas and, yeah, Mexico. Hmm. But it looks like they're all the same manufacturer, right? Well, they, they, they came out of two different plants. Uh, right. Different plants, but... But same logo. Just same yeah, that's VLSI's logo. logo, isn't it? Or am I remembering that wrong? Um, oh. VTI? Yeah, it's I don't think it's, I don't think it's VLSI. I think it's like VTI or something like that. You see the Tandy Corporation on the middle one. This one here? Yeah. Yeah, the TC. Definitely can. Uh, it's, v, it's VLSI. Sorry. C. That's hot. Okay. That, those were, that was a nice little uh, find in there. Yes, and then let's see here. Let me back up just a little bit here. Then this was also in there, and I haven't been able to identify who made this. Oh, it, it was a memory upgrade. New two fifty sixes. Now let me uh, let me back up just a little bit here, and I'll show. Whoops, well, I keep pressing the wrong button on the camera. So there's this one here. There, this was was in there. Now here's this early? one here. What's that? Is that one of the early Cloud Nines? Yeah, that's, that's what I was wondering. thinking too. Well, I'm wondering because here's a, here's a Cloud Nine that maybe you guys have seen before. Yeah, I had one of yeah. those. I think we had one of those at the last uh, Coco Fest auction. Yep, and this might be the one because <laughs> I did I bid on that and I bought that one. So. Okay, so <laughs> so you so, can see the cloud. You can see the Cloud Nine right here. Yeah, and, and I, you can see. Go ahead. And I actually took that and showed it to uh, Mark. Mark, okay, and. Uh, uh, just to jog some old memory says, Hey, we got one of these. You remember, remember this? <laughs> so you see so. here, here's the long row of pins right here. And here's the short yeah, row of uh, pins. So this would have, this would have sat in here in this little notch right here. This is where the RF box would have been on the cocoa, right? As it sat in there. Now this one here, you can see the long row of pins is right here and the short row. So this would set like this around around the uh, the RF box. The RF box would have sat right here then. Whoops, why I'm just not... There we are. Uh, actually, I think the RF box is on the other cutout. No, it's right here. I'll, I'll show you here in a second. Sure. Let me okay. uh, let me do this. Yeah. Let me, uh, I could be backwards. No, no, that's fine. Let me uh, let me just show... Let me do this here as a perspective. So here's here's yet another similar... I'll My say, Coco still has screws in it, so... So let me take the top off this guy here. How do you have a cocoa with screws in it? <laughs> yeah, what is that? I don't understand. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, so you can see this one here looks a lot like that the oh, one that I showed. Okay. So here's here here's a Cloud Nine right here, and you can see how its profile looks very similar. Now this one here does not say Cloud Nine right here, and it doesn't have any markings on it as well. But you can see the chip, the socket's a little different where these are laying down, these are upright. But well, I know Paul Barton made a few 512K boards himself with Sims uh, early on. And then some of them, I think, had to use eight chip Sims and others could use eight or nine, if I remember correctly. Okay. Are, there, are there really any differences or is it just the lay down sockets are throwing well, off the perspective? Um, so like if you, these, <laughs> these, the, yeah. these traces right here. They're not on here. This is oh, mostly okay. so differences. Yeah. So the footprint of the circuit board is the same, but the traces are different. 
Maybe it's a Canadian knockoff. And uh, so then let me, so as a perspective, let me set this right here. Here's the one that was in with the stuff that I was just sharing. It would set like this as far as how it would plug in. So like I said, I just haven't been able to identify this one and, this one here. That's an eight chip sim version, not a nine. One one last question for you, Brian. If yeah. you flip over the the one, the the lower one, the the other brown one. This one. What do the traces on the bottom of that look like? Nothing. Wow, that's way different. Oh yeah, they're there. Yeah, they're, they're there. there. Okay, I just want to catch them. But it's like, did they just put the bottom on the top of the two different brown boards we're looking at there? Like flip the layers. Yeah, is that just the oh, yeah, bottom from the bottom to the top? To the top of that. Yeah, this one here, I know, is not seated in there very, very tightly, yeah. so I can take. So here's this one here. That one's more complicated by far. Yeah. So someone did some simplification, but okay, cool. We should, we should. I mean, ask Mark at some point. Did how many revisions of that board did he make? Yeah, he might have, I, you know, relayed it out. I thought about maybe might. taking some pictures and try to email him or or something and. Or maybe even just bring this to the fest next year, and maybe he might, right. like you said, maybe he had different versions of the board, and it wasn't until this one here that he actually decided to put some put uh, his logo name on, on it. there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because I'm trying to remember. Like, there's the eight pin or the eight chip versions of the nine chip, and the nine chip had the ECC error correcting stuff added, if I remember correctly. Okay, and there was a changeover at some point in the '90s, I think, when we started getting the first sim based boards that uh, they switched between which of the two types you needed. Yeah, because the eight pin uh, ones or the eight chip ones were the ones for Macs, if I remember originally, and then the nines were for PCs, or is it the other way around? I can't remember now. Okay, I'm not sure. The nine pin uh, ones have parity. Most PCs use those mostly. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, I think it was Macs used the eights, and then uh, PCs used the nines, and everybody switched to nines because it was cheaper, of course, because it was a much bigger market. Yeah, I think just used uh nines but like generic pcs would use eights or nines so i yeah so that's kind of interesting like so i've been on a little, little bit of a discovery trying to figure out <laughs> um who's this my you made that one yeah that's nicely done it's a solder mask and and it's using eight chip because you can see the missing socket or pads for the ninth right. uh so I can't. I'm. I'm trying to uh, mine the um, uh, wayback machine, and uh, I see the solder mask one with the straight up uh, sockets. I haven't seen the seen a solder mask one with the side sockets, the slanted sockets yet, and I haven't seen the non solder mask one at all. Is that an eighty-seven? Give me there. That green one's intriguing because it has the extra solder mask. It's obviously been like extra money's produced. been spent on doing yeah. that, but it yeah. has no name on it. That's, yeah, that's, there's just nothing there. It even oh, has the jumper labeled. What is that? C. What What is under the jumper? The, yeah. Well, this is C uh, CN four. Right. So and, they obviously and this is CN three on this side here. So they paid money to solder silk screen it, but they didn't put their name on it. Right, and yeah, they could have <laughs> right there or something. But the name wouldn't be underneath the Sims, would it? No, I did pop the Sims out. There's nothing, okay. Yeah, there's nothing underneath there other than 
more silk screening for the layout of the of the uh, the socket is all that's underneath there. Wow. So anyway, so I, it's been this is kind of a mystery item, I guess. Uh, this one goes here. Nick, do you remember if uh, Ian Maverick if he sold five toll case sim upgrades from Australia? I'm just wondering, maybe it's one of his. No, I don't recall that. Um, let's see here. Is that everything that was in that, that lot? I think it is. So, yeah. So I just wanted to kind of, kind of share that a little bit. I thought it was kind of timely. I, I, I had planned on sharing this stuff this week and then, uh, Bob, uh, was going to be doing his soldering. And so I thought, well, boy, this might be kind of, kind of nice. Cause here's all the different parts or many of the parts as far as ICs go. Well, um, this was. The guy with the skin condition that used to come to the fest for yep. like 20, 30 years. Yeah. Yep. Cool. That is him. Uh, there we go. Yeah, he was at Rainbow Fest. as where I first met him for right. Cocoa Fest. Yeah, he. Uh, I've been chatting, like I said, with his niece and stuff, and she said that he uh, he was electrical engineer. That was his. Uh, as we did for a living. Um, uh, I have a couple of his Psyquest uh, drives and. Um, also, let's hear, uh, drawn a blank on the controller that the SideQuest uh, used. The, um, uh, what was that company that did the SCSI drive? Um, Them guys uh, who did RGB DOS, if I remember. Yeah, there was a, there was a company that did the, uh, did the SCSI Kenton. drive. Kenton. Kenton, thank you. Yep. Yep. So I have, uh, I have two, two of the controllers and two of the drives that he had. Um, I haven't had a chance to get them going to see what interesting things might be on those <laughs> on those drives that he might have uh, that he might have uh, saved though. But um, yeah, so this this was in a box of um, uh, of a uh, stuff that she that they that they found, and she reached out to me, and it's like absolutely, yeah, I'd, I'll I'll take it. Of course, I thought the <laughs> box was kind of neat though. <laughs> this is the box it all came in. This side is the top, <laughs> <laughs> and on the, here it says. Uh, uh, Side turn up before opening, so obviously, you so go. you didn't uh, you didn't open it up and spill the contents all over the floor. So I just thought that was kind of a uh, kind of interesting, though. So, but uh, I will mention one thing about the Canton Electronics uh, SCSI controller because I do remember the demo for this at Rainbow Fest. Um, his was the only version because there's SCSI from a few other companies as well, but his was more fully implemented. You could actually hook two Cocos, so you could have two masters on one SCSI drive that share the same hard drive. And he actually demoed that on a Cocoa 1 and 2, 64K. Didn't even need a Cocoa 3 for that. And that was one part of the demo that always struck out to me. It was a bit more expensive than some of the other hard drive solutions at the time, so I never bought one. But it, I thought that was really cool. You could run one hard drive shared between two physical Cocos. Very cool. Yeah. So, well, can I... I um, go ahead. Uh, oh, since we were talking about RAM upgrades uh, with the SIM... I thought I'd just show you the one I made uh, back in the day. I'll just share a screen. So that's that's the uh, RAM upgrade that I actually made using Sims. It's pretty. Wow, yours is compact. Wow, look at that. Yeah, that, yeah. Is that like a, a cable? You got a cable going over to the other. Yeah, uh, I got a cable. Yeah. Wow, that's super clean. And I like how you have the gimme pinned right down, so that thing will never escape. <laughs> Stay. That's how they came. Well, oh, really? not all of them, but but yeah, yeah some uh, a lot did, of Coco yeah. threes came up with that. Yeah, probably because it's Australian. They knew they might fall out. 
Oh, they're upside down. Well, right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the thing is, that thing does down. work its way loose. I mean, a lot of people get a Coco 3 and think it's it's dead and it's just push the gimme back That's down. That's right, yeah. Voila. That's right. Anyway. Do you, do you still have that by any chance? Uh, yeah. I, uh, it's in my um, my Power Coco 3, yes. Now, did you, did you just make this one for yourself or was this something that yeah. you were... Okay. Yeah, I made it for myself, that one. So it's a completely unique one-off? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Now, is your hardware so, skills like your software skills? You had no bugs and didn't have to make any revisions to this? It was just bad. Oh, out. no bugs, of course. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no bugs. No bugs, worms? It just <laughs> right in. Worked, worked the it's first time. It's just perfection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you clip All the right. two capacitors? Yes, yes, they, they are clipped. And I think they're... Oh, is it down here? Or? Yeah, this is a well, PAL board, so it might be a bit different than what yeah, we used it, to. It's in a different place, but okay. yeah, there are two. Now, did you do this just because, like, can I do it? Or did you do it because, hey, I think I can make it cheaper than what radio? I think it's because Nick's cheap. But um, I'll let Nick answer. I'm trying to think why I did it, because I did have a 512K RAM board before that. I think I might have had a Tandy one, which was, you know, those... 16, those, 41, uh, 256s. Yep. Yeah, those down. donut fries. You yeah, know, donut yeah, the, the coffee warmer. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You might so, have done this for cooling, basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I did, I think, because um, I got my hands on a few um, sims from an IBM PC, and I thought, oh, I wonder if it'll work if I do this. And I built it, and, of course, bug-free, it worked first pop. There you go. <laughs> Is that white square thing a re refit chip? Um, white square thing. Yeah, next to the power supply. Oh, oh the power. Oh, gee, oh, I don't know. Sink there. Yeah, it's melted that to the side thing. of the case heat sink. It looks yeah. like one of those thermal resistors. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. think it's um, it's not melted, but it's yeah stuck on just for heat dissipation. We don't have one of those, do we, in our machines? No, I, I don't, don't think so. Yeah, this is a yeah. power one. Yeah, That's this ceramic. gives me a whole new segment idea. Um, why did Nick Morentes do that? <laughs> <laughs> or can Nick Morentes remember why he did that? Right. <laughs> Actually, if you want to wait a bit, I'll see if I can Custom switch over. I'll just do a stop. Is that Paint Shop Pro you're using? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I use. <laughs> Yeah, it's is a it good program. Old, is it an old version? Yes, version we're, seven. We're yeah, I use six. No. Oh, yeah, yeah oh, seven was the last one. Hang on, I'm almost there, guys. That's a great program. It is. It's easy. It's Here not... it comes. I'm cool. just going to share. Uh, where the freak is it? There it is. There's the uh, the main board a bit more oh, nice. complete so that's a power motherboard and there's you can see the ram upgrade note the cpu is sideways mm -hmm. okay yeah and that buffer chip too yeah that's different yeah yeah they're both uh well because we're upside down the the chips tipped over how come your <laughs> rf10 is black it's camouflage uh, man. It, it's rust it's rusted a bit <laughs> Oh, 
Sorry. Patina, I mean, it's more than bit if it's that dark. It's patina. <laughs> it was silver. <laughs> it looks like it's been through a house fire or something, that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I haven't. Uh... Now, does that uh, top of that case have the um, screen in it? No, no, it doesn't. We didn't. I have think only screen. Canada did that, if I remember. Right, it's Australia. You don't and the power supplies, can... the power supplies, we don't have that metal, um, that metal RF um, cage around the transformer. We just got a piece of cardboard. That's well, because, you, you, that's because like the, got... the computer is the least amount to worry about that's going to kill you. Right, right. But yeah. The safest <laughs> thing around is that voltage. Yeah, because every other living thing in Australia wants to kill you, so. That black square <laughs> thing is a kindling for uh yeah, No, it's it's a little rubber bumper. Mm-hmm. So uh, it pressed on the top of the lid just to keep it down. Note the ROM chip, the extended, uh, the super extended basic is in a ROM. That's how they came mm-hmm. out over here. That was the window, Is the window not covered? That's no, it's covered. Foil. It's got a, it's covered, got a silver yeah. foil on there. But yeah, the power ones that came with a ROM. Because the ROM had to be changed to uh, suit 50. Yeah, the Gimme X has to be uh, booted up in PAL mode, for example. Or the Gimme X. The Gimme. Yeah. The oh, gimme. so they just yeah. used the actual EEPROM to do that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Not a mask. They didn't have masked ROMs. They, did, they had an EEPROM. And, and Probably it was the, always... we'll do the lower production run. Right. Does that yeah. even have a window, or is that the really cheesy ones where the, the silver sticker actually comprise the side I, 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 I think it has a I think it has a window okay yeah no that memory is very, very clean yeah that's nice work. Well, yeah well I wanted it to look uh, as minimal as possible so that was what I came yes. up with it's nicely done um note the two connectors one two that was the board that then connected beneath the motherboard and it converted the RGB from the uh, Gibby into a PAL um, composite. Yeah, which is why your so, PAL color set is is the same as RGB, whereas our NTSC has yeah. completely different colors. So the composite output on the Gibby is not wide up. It's actually um, yeah disconnected, mm. or because mm. we 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 can't use the NTSC output. So they had to regenerate the composite. Uh, off the RGB. That was that little satellite card you had underneath. Yeah, it goes underneath. Yeah, and it plugged in through those two connectors there. Yeah, I remember you showing that. Uh, well, it's been years now, but yeah, neat. Anyway, so that's a PAL Coco three, but with my RAM board on there. You just made everybody in Europe envious because, of course, they could have been running PAL Coco 3s, but they never got sold there directly. No, no, that's right. <laughs> well, and a word, right. a word that you don't hear very often is that that, that memory upgrade looked very professional. So, yeah, and, and bug, and free. bug free. <laughs> and bug free. Oh, it's usually oh, something you don't hear on this show without the qualifier un in front of it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I just realized I got one more thing I can show you. Uh-oh. It's not uh, another version of Neutroid, is it? Please don't. Uh, <laughs> uh, have you seen it already, have you? No. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Give me time. Uh, well, now we get one? Neutroid Revolutions to come after Reloaded? <laughs> I prefer Regurgitated. 
<laughs> there's the satellite board. Oh, the power. Yeah, Under, the power dot underneath board. the um, motherboard. Yeah, I like how the foil how it kind of reflects, or you can kind of see it. That's kind of a it just mm-hmm. yeah, you, you can see underneath the actual yeah. board. Yeah, neat perspective. <laughs> and that's the uh, RGB output connector. Mm. And all those little annoying clips to hold that on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. They're all there still. Okay, well, that's it. That's the tour of the Powell Coco. Okay. Uh, let's see. Well, thanks, Brian, for showing all that stuff. I'm, I'm glad it didn't get thrown out. Yeah, I was uh, very, I was very excited to get it and very uh, privileged to to have it. And um, she's been very complimentary too. And uh, you know, glad to see that uh, you know the stuff from her uncle is going to continue on. So, yeah. Okay. By the way, sixty in the chat says, "Huh, I've never taken the board out of my Coco Three. I didn't know that was there. I think he's referring to the PAL daughter board." Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see, I think next up we had Rick. Oh, you sure. have a story to tell us? Well, yeah, this is just a very, very short thing. Um, so what it amounts to, let's see. Which just one just wait till he zooms you up there, uh, Rick. Okay. Uh, there yeah, I need to spotlight Rick. Well, basically, not much to go on, but uh, here's our tax dollars at work. Um, this did have the correct address on it, and it showed back up a month from the time I sent it. So if anybody's waiting on um, firmware upgrades for their Cocoa I.O., and they haven't got them yet, please contact me because I'm just now getting things back. So, uh, And this is so nicely covered up the name of who they previously, who you sent it right, to. I don't right. know who it is. I did decode this one, but it took a while. Yes, your tax dollars at work. We must make sure that we cover up any evidence of where this was supposed to go before we uh, <laughs> remove it from. Uh... Oh, and I did get uh, one acquisition. And there's no, and there's no. I, I believe there is no David Ladd Boulevard. So I think that's why it says no such street. Right, right. No, and I've actually verified <laughs> with the person. The street does exist. The post office is just full of it, but uh, we won't get into that. That's all right. I, I've gotten several pieces of mail for Canada here. So nice. nice. Oh, let's say you live in Ontario, right? No, I live in Ohio. Well, that's close <laughs> enough. <laughs> it's I did, I did, uh, I did find something interesting this week. We could make a cocoa project out of this or David Light Photography. I'm not sure which. Avoca floppy floppy. Cameras. If you had the original Coco floppy controller, you could read the uh, image card out of these cameras. You mean the 1793? Yeah, it's a floppy disk. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Save that for I the David Ladd uh, uh, yeah. floppy special coming up yeah, there. Yeah, that's, that's special. Oh, well, anyway, I just wanted to let everyone know. I'm, I'm kind of curious about that because um, I helped uh, one of my uh, coworkers. Um, I traveled to his office. They were moving from one building to another. And uh, he says, I got a box here for you, Brian. And uh, some stuff, because he knows that I'm into the retro. And one of those cameras was in there, along with some 8-inch floppy disks that he had from a old, oh, old yeah. system they had from long ago. But the one that's like in the upper right-hand corner there, that looks that looks a, quite a bit like that. And so what were you saying? The, the, the original color computer, the, the original floppy disk controller could read those disks if you... 
Yes, if you have a high density capable controller, yep. you can read the discs out of this thing. Okay. Oh, things, but you have I mean, to modify the heck out of the controller. Well, yeah, you have to change the controller. But yeah. I mean, that's David Ladd's favorite thing. project. Who wouldn't Ooh. want this camera? I mean, geez, <laughs> but it makes you look professional, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like you're serious. Yeah, I got the you got the flip up thing. And, oh, look at this! Like one feature that I didn't know early, early, uh, early example of the pop up flash. Oh, there you go. Perfect. How many? <laughs> How many megapixels do are the picture the what images? Is this thing? Jeez. Um, Half. <laughs> I'll stick with my Canon yeah, G7X. Six forty by four eighty by sixteen. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that that is exactly <laughs> what it is. But we we but we've got some big optics on the front. So hey, there you go. Yeah. Oh, well. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. No. Here's here's the here's the new equivalent. A little smaller. <laughs> But it's still got the pop-up flash. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, uh, actually, I did get it. I did have an acquisition this week. Uh-oh. Neutroid. Oh, oh Neutroid. Oh, <laughs> Regurgitator. <laughs> Unfortunately, your address was correct. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think Ron had uh, a few things to show. Oh, Ron's garage. Oh, yeah. I believe he did. Oh, yeah. Ron's garage. Yeah. Oh, there's a whole. Okay. They got to play. He's a, waiting for his opening. intro, though. Yeah, there's okay. an intro. Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, all right. So, this button. Okay. Okay. Take it away, Ron. Let's see. Let him run away with it. I don't think I have. I don't think it's prepared. Hang on a sec. I have to switch to my uh, proper screen here. And after this, we'll have to take um, a break. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Get an update from Bob. Sorry for the delay. Well, we do have a, a commercial we have to run too, so we'll do that. But we'll come back after the commercial. All right, stop. Right. Yep. Yep. Okay. There we go. All right. So we have uh, Veterans Day today, everybody. So yeah, like, remember to stay here in Canada. I'm not sure what it's called in other countries. Yep. And um, I was fooling around with uh, this little icon in the corner of the screen see it it's bing and it's uh ai <clears throat> and this is a futuristic tandy color computer three <laughs> that looks more retro than futuristic to me. <laughs> yeah. it's got blinking like lights and the, everything and it's still from in, the in 50s gray. It, it's in the battleship gray yep yep all right does it have the original star trek computer voice it probably does, yeah. That or a side of it. And then Hugo posted this. This is pretty cool. He must have did it himself, you know, with uh, AI. And then that um, looks old. I asked uh, Fred Flintstone using a Radio Shack computer, and this is what they come up with. 
So we're hams also. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, huh? Kind of radio, radio. radio. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's there's no rock or um, you know, any kind of uh like his car that you had to push or wind up or anything to get going. Like the bird that did the stone tablet and then had to race it over to the destination. Yeah. Right. Check that out. Or the woolly mammoth vacuum cleaner. Yeah. It's a living. Yep. Okay, so then there's that. And then there's uh Rainbow Magazine, and uh, this I'm going to take you to um, another site of mine called the Rainbow Color Computer Magazines, and uh, we've got a bunch of uh, rainbows. I don't know why they spelled things wacky. Uh, maybe they're thinking, um, you know, if you if you look at some of the stuff, the writing in that, it doesn't make any sense at all. It's just having text there. Did it do that for copyright reasons? Maybe look at yeah, maybe Rainbow. It's some more. It's just stuff. Yeah, I think that proves that we're still safe from AI for a bit yet. If it can't even yeah. do this, yeah. and, and it also look, spelled yeah. radio with two eyes. So yeah, and look, uh, the, the edges are you know looks like it, we've used it since the nineties. You know, that is a ran still more accurate. Ran blow knockoffs yeah. I've seen from overseas. Yeah. Mm. So what, what what do you guys think of that? Probably want to um, see if you can actually. You know, hone it down to something else, maybe. Um, I can't maybe. say I liked any of the retro computer designs it came up with. Yeah. No. Oh, come on. That, no, that gray one right there is great because that's obviously got a sound card upgrade. That's what all that stuff <laughs> next to the monitor is. You have a light show going on, too. Yeah, the blinking lights are to help the sound. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you want to see some of the other ones? Well, I, these you can't select. There's just a screenshot. I, I was kind of you know, put off by it. So I didn't do any more of it to that one. Not like I did here. And with the yeah, I noticed the Amigos, a lot of them have been fiddling with some of the AI image generators too, yeah, for all kinds of things, making up video games and everything else too. Yeah. So it seems to be a pretty popular pastime. Well, they've done it with a uh, uh, 68 Dodge charger, you know, and they, they, uh, they have uh, the AI comes up with, you know, pretty neat looking body, but then the fin on the back, if it's a, um, <laughs> NASCAR. the The fin is missing. They have just one fin up, and then doesn't go across the back. And I'm thinking, well, what what is that? I think you know, maybe it's like an F eighty five or something. Or <laughs> it's crazy. I got my computer back from Sloopy, and it worked. Sweet. Still works. And this is the one that Paul Barton had not fixed it before he passed away, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. It it did break in shipment. I was able to glue it back together in the back corner. And then when he uh, he sent it back to me, the front corner here was chipped off, and I was able to glue it back on. But you can't tell from this view. From 500 feet, it's a looker. <laughs> <laughs> the old 20 by 20 standard. Yeah. Huh? Now, I got a question for some of you guys that are really smart on uh, disk uh, formats. This is Cocomax running on a Coco 2, okay? And um, I, I would. My question was, I don't think I've ever seen a dragon running a Coco Max. Have you? And uh, you know, I've never seen anybody showing pictures or you know making the, this nice colorware thing flip up. You oh, know, when it starts. Well, you, we wouldn't get color on it first of all because the dragon is pal. Um, okay. Coco Max thing. could run on a dragon. There's nothing stopping it after some patches, etc. 
The problem right. is the disk formats are completely different between the two. You'd have to make an entirely new disk image with new binary which, files. Which is what I did. I took uh, and emptied a, a disk of Cocomax, which was the uh, hacked one. So you didn't need uh, the little um, converter thing, the white thing in the multiple. I interface. Yeah. So I uh, took it all out, and then I, I got a uh, VDK. VDK? Um, yeah, formatted um, disk empty and, and loaded it all back in. The problem is I don't know which ones are um, binary or which one. I know that basic programs are, you know, um, uh, basic BAS or, or they could be, um, what's the other thing that could be um, ASCII. Yeah. <clears throat> so save the basic programs in ASCII and then reload them on the Dragon because they're tokenized differently. Yeah, you need to translate it through by saving it in ASCII. Oh, they have to be ASCII? Okay, because I yes. did the one basic. It well, once you get them transfer the Dragon, you can load the ASCII and then resave it as a regular basic, and that'll work because it'll convert the ASCII characters into the tokenized uh, basic. On, on what? On the on Dragon the, itself. Uh, or Well, yeah. they, they, so, they, didn't so even show, they didn't even show up on the, on the DSK, on the um, v, VDK. You know, when I put it on the... Um, SD card on the um, dragon, it didn't show up. Probably so none, none of the listings did. Does the Coco SDC work on the dragon? Yeah, yeah. There's a dip switch that's setting for it in, inside. Yeah, I, I have it. So it should all work. Yeah, it should work with that, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, oh. I don't. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I just took a stab in the dark and tried to do it that way and it didn't work. And I figured I'd mention it here. Maybe somebody can get back to me on it later. Okay. All right. Next thing. This, I think, uh, Sockmaster made. Yeah, yeah, way back. It used to be in his site. Yeah, and so yeah, I had That's always it. fun. I put an SD card slot in here and a little light, you know, and um, what would be cool Wait, is... You have Socks Machine? I have it, yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody uh, replying below wants one. Or, I want one. Give me your money, you know, stuff like that. Because it's such a cool looking thing. And I was imagining trying to open that up on Christmas when I was a kid, you know, <laughs> and the box would be huge. Because <laughs> look how it it's, could, it's, as, it's as wide as, as a PC's keyboard. Right. And yeah. then you try to plot the multi pack on the side of that, and you're yeah. going to need a new disk. Well, Actually, yeah. that much extra case space, you could probably build the multi pack yeah. in slots on the facing up or something on the right side of the case. Yeah. Hey, but Ron? he hasn't done that. So we need three feet of cocoa. Hey, hey, Ron, um, yeah. 60 in the chat says Mike Miller pointed out that the horde he got recently had a dragon port of Coco Max in it. Really? Huh? Well, yeah, that was one the right. museum picked up, right? The museum in Holland or whatever it was. Well, someone direct me to it if they could, you know, post Not it only here. Can and... it be done? It has been done. Oh, cool. Well, you know, show us. Gosh. <laughs> Here's, um, <laughs> this is a lot of real estate right here. A multi-pack and a one. You know, I, I put an acre of computer. Ron right. was not a TI guy. No. No, <laughs> no. But I had a friend that was. And he had the expansion thing, you know, that went off. Uh, the bus the three, thing, yeah. The two to three bomb. That's where you have to add the second table. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you don't and, have a TI, then you get a table length. <laughs> And now we hear the voice from the picture. This is him in the uh, elevator. 
I, I thought it was cool, and it didn't really. Just looking at this well. pictures re-traumatizes me. Yes. What What did I do? <laughs> yeah. Here it is on hardware. Anyway, um, uh, I think this is pretty much it. I had uh, guts of a basic 16K um, laying around, so I did some Halloween stuff for it. That's about it. Um, there's, um, there's the Halloween part. I feel, I feel like <laughs> yeah. some distinguished individual. Yeah, really. <laughs> so that's about it, guys. Uh, thank you for uh, having time to listen. Pay attention. Stop share. Ah, uh, it's cool stuff. Cool. That Bing Thanks experiment was fairly hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> So let's, uh, if you get a chance and you, you guys play with the AI, you know, save some pictures off and maybe we should have an AI corner to see, you know, how close they get to anything. We've got a channel on the Discord. So, you can put so many different things in there. I had a, a long discussion with AI on um, multiverses and stuff, you know, astronomy stuff. And, um, and it, I guess it's sort of understandable. They, they um they take you out of science and say you know basically you can think whatever you want to think because uh, our language is flexible you know they say stuff like that <laughs> and it's it's kind of like you know go away in a polite way so. <laughs> <laughs> you bother me kid yeah it, it, so it's only a minor upgrade from Eliza then yeah, yeah. pretty kind much of, yeah. They've gone a little past Rogerian, and but not much. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's a bit more politically correct. That's about all they've done. Yeah. <laughs> well, what they do is, you know, I don't. You wonder while you're waiting, they put up a little picture, and and that first picture you see, you're thinking to yourself, "Is this it?" It's pretty lame, you know. It looks. Well, I mean, real... to this day, they describe it as a deep language model. Which, okay, that's Eliza, just deeper. <laughs> it's Eliza for 64K instead of 32. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> so it almost makes sense as long as people are leading it. But as soon as people quit leading it, it just kind of. I would love to see the look on the faces of the OpenAI folks as they watch this clip for the first time. Wait, <laughs> everything we built in this giant building and all that work we did for years and tuning and fighting and visiting Congress, and these guys think it's just Eliza for 64K? What? <laughs> awesome. Okay, 128K. Uh, maybe. <laughs> it's the Coco 3 version of Eliza. Yeah. Has anybody had Eliza talk to the AI? Well, that would be fun. Um. <laughs> A long, long time ago, when they first were building out what we now call the Internet, one of the famous experiments was to get two of these chat programs to talk to each other. And they wrote it up, and it's called the Dr. Meets Perry. And it's the, they had basically wired these two chat things to talk over the nascent Internet of the time. So it's been done. But, yeah, what if we got the Facebook one, the Llama one? To talk to the open AI one and get them in a fight. Wouldn't that be good? Yeah. And then, you know, maybe bring back Microsoft's Tay, which got corrupted within hours of getting added to the internet. Oh, yeah. The people had taught this poor chat bot to be the most horrible thing in existence. 
Yeah, let's do that. Basically, what, what I was showing you was corrupted pictures of what I wanted to show you. Because <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're an interpretation from, I don't know, whoever programmed it, right? Is that what we're getting? Um, well, it's not only the programming. It's a kind of it's deciding what you meant based on looking at millions of pictures that were classified. So it says, oh, all of these are old computers, so how do I average all of these together? Mm. And which ones seem to have the traits that mostly look like what he's talking about? So, so it's, you have to be rather specific is what you're saying when you're yep. asking to do something. Yeah. It's okay. a giant predictive text system from your phone mm-hmm. with bigger database. Boy, it's, you explain that well. Mm-hmm. And 60's obviously AI? used Eliza in the past because in the chat he says, but how does Eliza for 64K make you feel? <laughs> I don't understand. That's when you that's when you included swear words, right? <clears throat> All right. Uh, let's, let's do a break game. and we'll come back. Um, Mark can right. give us an update on Cocoa Tech and plus we'll do yep. the game on challenge. What order do you want to do that in? It's totally up to you, Mark. Okay. Uh, so let me cross that off the list. Okay, here we go. Oh, this button, this button. Hey, Amy. Hey, Taylor. We're watching the Coco Nation show. Yeah, we are. Woo! You should too. It's your good buddy, your good pal, Amigo, and joined by that dastardly The Brent from ARG Presents. You're watching Coco Nation. I thought that should have been longer. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gayer, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Kieran Anscombe, Coconut Bob, Daddy Burrito, Diego BF109, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Wapke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Kevin Holloway, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, Terry Steege, TJB Chris, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., and William Athing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? Storycrafter says, Your name? Mark M. Your systems? All. TS, TRS, Commodore, Atari, Amiga, Apple, V, Next, SGI, Sun, Aquarius, TI-99. Stuff I'm forgetting. Mostly I've been spending time working with my QL clones. Looking for? 
I am itching to write a multi-platform BBS system that can run individual but network nodes on as many of the 8 bits as possible. I'll probably just end up tinkering something up for the QL. D. Smithson says, Hi. I'm Derek S. from Phoenix, Arizona. I'm an 80s kid, and my first computer was a Tandy Color Computer 3. I've been a professional software developer for the past 20 years, and I can still remember being a kid sitting in front of my Coco, knowing that I wanted to program computers for a living when I grew up, it has made me so happy to see a lively community still excited and building on the Coco and other retro systems. Thank you. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Alex Geyer, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Paul Fiscarelli, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. See you on Discord! Okay, and we are back. So, uh, let's talk about uh, uh, CocoTech and the upcoming schedule. That's my cue. Uh (laughs) Hey there, uh, this is Mark Overholzer, and uh, I'm kind of running the CocoTech thing at the moment. And uh, basically, we this last uh, Tuesday we had a uh, we had I had Paul Fiscarelli on with his uh, new tool, based work on it for a couple of years, called uh, the Coco Sprite Compiler, which is uh, designed to do basically animated sprites for um, Coco Three. And uh, you have to look at it; it's on our regular channel. I don't think there's a category yet on YouTube for putting it off by itself, but just scroll back through and find it. It was on Tuesday before the last uh, uh, Coco Game On Challenge. Um, anyway, great tool, lets you import uh, bitmaps and uh, PG, PNGs directly into it, and then it'll convert them to the uh, color map for the uh, Cocoa 3 uh, and your palettes and stuff. And then you can uh, actually take a, a, a sheet of sprites that has different images you've drawn up and then chunk them into individual sprites and then animate them, go through. And it's really cool because it'll, take, it'll generate the code and then uh, push it directly into either uh, uh, XROAR or VCC. This is a Windows tool, by the way. Um, and so it uh, will then animate the thing right there on your uh, emulator so you know what it'll look like. Very cool tool. Very glad to have Paul Fiscarelli and Paul Thayer on. And we'll have a follow-up one, I think, at some point uh, with Paul Fiscarelli on some, I think, some of the other features, but we'll see. Um, coming up next week is going to be uh, DriveWire history. I'm going to have um, Mikey Furman with his Pi DriveWire and going to have Boise Pete. And so we should be covering a lot of history about DriveWire and all the various stuff and all the various implementations that are currently around. And that'll be this coming Tuesday, uh, be 8 uh, p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, and that should be UTC minus four. <laughs> uh, or sorry, minus five. I got the stuff right. Anyway, um, so anyway, come join us. It'll be a lot of fun. Also have scheduled uh, the week after that uh, G-Shell on uh, Nitrous 9. And that'll be with uh, L. Curtis Boyle and um, Rick Uland. And then two weeks after that will be a, a Grease Weasel and S. SBC, I think, is the tool that Paul Piscarelli uses and Floppy Talk with Paul and Mikey and David Ladd. And that's all we have on the schedule so far. And we'll be getting some other things as well. And that's all I have at the moment. These are all on Tuesday, by the way, so far. 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Eastern Standard Time. That can change if somebody wants or somebody that wants to host one can't do it on a Tuesday. So don't feel like that's a fixed schedule. Oh, yeah. It just it fits nicely in the week. But if we need to jigger that a bit, we will do that. So. So isn't that the day that the uh, photon torpedoes arrive? 
it very well could be. Oh, Ken, you ready? Yes. No, oh, he's feeling quiet. Oh, okay. Well, yes, I'm can... ready. <laughs> All right, it was good for a while there. <clears throat> he had to wake up first. All right. What the news? Welcome, everybody, Hello. to the Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week, we played Neutroid Reloaded. We had a total of 20 players. Tied for 19th place, we had Mark B and Mark O, both with 110. Hey. And we had Canadian Retro Things with 470. <laughs> Henry III, 1170. Mr. And did either of you touch the joystick for a minute? 1300. Yeah, Actually, no. <laughs> Flutterball, 1600. My score if I did that were lower. 1770. David Craker, 2200. Eight bits in the basement, 2900. Jim Rye, 3260. D. Smithson, 3360. Sloopy Malibu, 6320. Coconut Bob, 7600. Shenley, 7920. Nick Morentes, 9810. Nerf Herder, 17,990. Brian Walsh, 30,820. And tied for first place this week, we had Buck Owens and Tasman, both with 32,700. Oh, Thanks, everybody I thought that Brian Walsh. We'll see you again next week. It the Coco Nation salutes Buck Owens. Didn't Brian Walsh and, what? And the Coco Nation. I thought Nation Brian was... Walsh got another another uh, higher score. I'm maybe maybe sure I read it that wrong. was his higher score. Oh, was it? Okay, that's all right. Yeah. And the Coco Nation support, uh, salutes the Tasman. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I gotta be different. Yeehaw! Or something like that. I don't know. If I made a mistake on that for Brian Walsh, then just let me know and I will correct it next I week. I probably read it wrong. It's okay. Because I always make mistakes. I'm very good at that. You're just looking at it upside down, Nick. <laughs> yeah, probably. All right. So, uh, yeah, we played uh, Neutroid Reloaded this week, and I think that's all we have to say about that. The other game that we played this week. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> no more regurgitating that game again. <laughs> I think this version was perfect, Nick. You don't have to make another version. Yeah, he's been threatening. Too it's uh, too late. I've already started. No. Winners <laughs> <laughs> have something else to say about that. Okay. So, um, yeah, obviously, I didn't have the best of scores in this game because, um, yeah, I'm not very good at it. Let's just put it that way. I don't have uh, the ability to have good timing, I guess. I don't know. But, um, yeah. So. What, you 
what you're saying is that you suck. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> at, this game, at this game, very much so. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, definitely it was infinitely more playable than the last version. Or the version before that. Or, or the, the version, version before that. that. <laughs> or the version before that. <laughs> and so on. And so on. <laughs> um, so people that got further in the game, what did uh, you guys think of it? Uh, anybody that's on the... Uh... Brilliant You beat me, Ken, didn't you? <laughs> no. I uh, I barely beat Mark and Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, the people probably didn't hear us in the stream there, but there were the, the two scores for the two marks. One was done trying to actually play the game of the joystick, and the other one was just let it go on its own. I literally, I, I literally, the game started and I didn't do anything, and I just watched it bounce back and forth, and I got a score of 110 without touching the controls at all. All my other scores <laughs> where I tried were lower. It's like <laughs> yeah. that was basically me. I think bef- other than the score that I submitted, my other highest score was like 130. Wow. So the moral of the story is don't try. <laughs> Pretty much. There you go. <laughs> so um, I don't know. Any, anybody else on the uh, stream here? Actually, so Nick and Curtis, you're the guys that got the better scores than the other three of us here. So, Well, Nick Nick wrote the game, oh. so he's got a bit of a advantage. Um, I didn't get a chance to play it too much. Uh, it, it, it's definitely better than the previous versions. It's much more understandable. I just didn't have much time to play it. Um, I did want to mention, though, out of the high score list, I think the top four all actually completed the game because there's an end. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there is an end. Level 16. And Nick, the author, did not, just to put that out there. Yep. <laughs> no, I didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> the game's too hard. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not understandable. No, I'm just kidding. No, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, interesting how the uh, the two high scorers got the same same top score. Yeah, does that yeah, mean they got a perfect go. game? No, I think Buck did that on purpose. Uh, uh, did he? Yeah, so he if been, you watch he, his video on it, he gets up close to there and he's just about there and he's just scoring a couple points, couple points, then he got the uh, score, then he let himself die. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, I thought I that was. A... I kind of noticed that those two guys are also listed on the back of the uh, program. Yeah, they were <laughs> the game test. <laughs> they know all those special pokes that Nick gave them to cheat. No, I'm just checks kidding. in the mail, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, uh, the main thing for me is that you just have to get used to the controls, and you have to get used to the fact that if you're starting to head to try to hit one of them on the edge, if you know you're going to miss then just quickly, you know, hit the button twice to do like a 180 degree turn to give yourself some time to rejigger when you're going. Once I kind of got that, that's when I started scoring over a thousand fairly regularly. And I'm just sure it takes some extra practice. Basically, yeah, if you're going, if you're heading for, uh, for, um, to get off the edge, just dodge it just like you would in any game. Oh, I think I'll sit here and let the galaxies shoot me. You know, yeah, that's what you you do, isn't it? That's right. So it's the same in this. You have to actually dodge <laughs> the dangerous things. No, it you just keep actually... shooting until they hit you. You don't have to move. <laughs> <laughs> um, Buck and uh, Tasman, they've uh, mastered the uh, 
technique of uh, milking it. So they know that they'll get as many of the protroids as they can and then at before finishing the round, sit there and just uh, wait for the um, antitroids to appear, collect the uh, antimatter things and then collect, wipe out the antitroids because you get extra points for the antitroids. So they just sit there doing that for as long as they can uh, and then they just move on to the next level. So they they really milk milk the points. Yeah, but Which also is one thing. Let's not forget Sorry. that one or both of them are actual AI. So, uh, yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> so if I was to read, or, or rather, when I redo this game, um, I'm gonna not have that that function in there. Uh, Always I'll, with the threats. That's right. I'll make sure I don't have the ability to milk it. By the way, we've got a couple so comments that. in the chat here I want to do covering uh, Neutroid here. So first of all, from Exile in Paradise, Alan, he says, Neutroid never made sense to me, but with the restored grid, this version finally makes sense. And with the sound and effects is a showcase semi-graphics game. Totally agree. And Scott Cooper, Tasman, says, Nick, I sent you money. Don't tell them you gave me the cheat pokes. And I agree with that as well. <laughs> I blew it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, definitely anyway. an improved version. And uh, this is well, a game, Ken. I think what happens is that <clears throat> it takes you a couple of hours to really get into it. Yeah. To really kind of figure it out. You can't just put it on for an hour or two and figure you'll start getting bazillion score points. You know, you you have to kind of get the feel for it. And that takes a bit of time. And then once you get past, say, three or four hours, I think your scores would improve. Because I'd played it a few times before. I was one of their beta testers, too. Um, and I hadn't played it since then until now. So I'd kind of forgotten everything, but uh, I was starting to get the hang of it again, you know, by the mm -hmm. end of the, the show. So, um, I think Tasman said that to get that score, he did get, took him an hour and a half. Yeah. So it's a pretty long game when you sit there. Bri Brian Walsh says if I had had an extra 20 minutes or so, I would have made it a three-way tie for first. So he could have done better too. He just, he had to oh. cut it off. Can we run this uh, game on challenge for another week? Um, <laughs> let me think about no. that. No, <laughs> <laughs> you can run it on Coco Tech. That hey, just because the game on challenge is over does not mean you can't continue playing the game. There's no rules yeah. We have another that. game channel you can post scores to that's not for the official game on challenge. So feel free to yeah. And then Mark can use his special Mark AI to. Uh, that's Mark Overhose, I should mention, not using his Mark AI to just see how well it can score on itself. Exactly. Hmm, cool. And now, what about the other great game? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, we, we came to the conclusion <laughs> yeah, Nick, that you this suck is a for that European one, sorry. game because, uh, <laughs> boy, there's a lot of pixel perfectness in this game. Well, you can't handle a bouncing dot on the screen. I can't imagine you handle it. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I've actually right now got one of the higher scores in um, uh, Prospector. So, <laughs> I thought yeah. the game was, when I first saw the game, I didn't actually play it. I just let it, you know, I looked at the graphics. I thought, no, oh, that looks quite professionally drawn. In it. You know, this this looks like it could be a really good game. I'll tell Ken. Be. Yeah, that's right. So I told Ken, and Ken put it up there. 
And then, of course, everyone started playing it. Then we thought, gee, this game sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it I have to say, suck. the game itself is not the, bad. It's the controls and the picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the yeah, problem. It's, it, it's, that's, that's yeah, it's, you, you move too quickly and uh, you just, you have zero room for error to jump over things and the uh, hitbox. I mean, if you get within four or five pixels of a bad guy, it kills you. And the other so, thing is that the control to pick up the gold where you have to like center perfectly over the hole, push down and then back up. Because I was so many times bad. I'd be running to get it before the, the thing came bad, over yeah. and you'd miss by a pixel and you can't go down. You can't pick it up, even See, though you're standing literally over top the entire damn thing. OK, tips and tricks coming up as you're uh, running up towards the hole where you have to get it. Just diagonal. Put your um, joystick diagonally and then you run forward and you drop right in. Oh, I didn't catch that. Cool. Oh, I, I may have a slightly that. improved score this next time. <laughs> yeah, I'll give that a shot too. It also works on now, the ladders. Don't like uh, I was having so much trouble with the pixel perfect stuff at the start, but then when I figured out if you use it on a diagonal, you still move forward, but then you drop in or go up. The oh, that's or... all right. Yeah. Okay, that, that'll improve things quite yeah. a bit. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to have another look at that. And, and when you get out the when... deluxe joystick, just put it in the corner. Yeah, that's right. Now, when you do go and collect that gold or whatever it is, and you mm -hmm. drop down into the into the hole or whatever, you're safe at that point, aren't you? Yes, like, you are. You can. That's that's also right. a good good thing is you wait in the hole until all the things are in a good position for you to pop out and go get into another hole. So it's basically okay. a good strategy for the game is just go from hole to hole. Right. Just think one hole ahead. I'm kind of looking forward after these tips here for the next next uh, yeah, game on so challenge live here because I I think that'll greatly improve my score knowing both of those tricks. The game may have uh, redeemed itself. We'll give it a try <laughs> next week. God, yeah, let's not let's not get nuts. It, it does. Uh, I, uh, oh, when, if you get into a position where you have to jump over things, it's very frustrating. But or running off the edge, which is what I kept doing by yeah. accident. Didn't you read the manual, Curtis? I briefly glanced at it about halfway through playing it. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a little bit. Also, it took me a little bit to figure out when you actually clear a screen, how to end the screen. Yeah, that um, part I didn't know either because you had to tell me during the stream there because I, I said I got yeah. them all. What do I do now? A little platform um, uh, forms at the top that you have to run up to and get onto, and it makes a ladder that you get to climb up. Yeah. One of the floor tiles like changes to a different color or something, I think. is Yeah. All yeah. oh, right. Like on the first on the first screen, it uh, actually covers up one of the gaps. I've never made it past the second screen, so I don't know where it is. But it covers up one of the gaps on the top of the screen. And then you just have to run up and stand on it. And it just, poof, you go up a ladder to the next level. Yeah. It doesn't Down actually make the ladder appear like Load Runner does when you complete. You have to yeah, go up does. to where that square is first. Yeah, oh, yeah. You got to go up to the, the square. And as soon as you touch the square, the ladder appears. Yeah. Don't I did manage to make it to the second screen. So, and for those who don't know, uh, this was originally published in December 1989. Rainbow 88. 88. It's got 50 screens built in. If you read the article, you can actually create your own levels too. I don't know if anybody's going to take the time to do that, but I'm really curious whether Tasman and Buck and some of the others can actually make it through all 50 screens on this. If they don't get sort of frustrated, they throw the joystick across the room first. <laughs> or you just make a uh, make a screen that's got no bad guys and just all holes with. Uh, 
with nuggets. There you them, go. So you just get points. Act time. <laughs> okay. So, I'm definitely gonna have to try your tricks there, Ken, because I, I didn't yeah. realize any of those, and that sounds like it'll greatly improve my experience with the game. Yeah, it might be. Particularly the diagonal joystick thing for getting onto ladders and holes, because that was the most frustrating part for me. Was I'd run over and the guy would be, you know, maybe two seconds away from hitting me, and I want to grab the gold and go down the next ladder. And you know, I'd be sit there, ah, I won't go down, and go a little too far, and you still can't go down. You got to go back the other way, and that was just getting frustrating as heck. Yep, <clears throat> thinking nice. thinking eight directions rather than four. <laughs> oh well, that makes sense. Cool. All okay. right, so yeah, those are the two games that we played last week. And uh, does anybody want to know what? Oh, wait, no. Before we do that, let's talk about Some our live. live our live uh, program. So yeah, I thought Sleepy was going to do it, but I guess he had to leave. It's not on here, I don't think. Yeah, so I will see. Where is my... Um, I got too many damn things open on my computer. There we go. There. So here is the live show. We actually had quite a few people there. And um, lots of people were playing Neutroid. Of course. It's, so, it's like take, picking the best of a bad situation, I think, is what is happening. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm just wondering if Curtis ever expected to hear that sentence in his life. A lot of people were playing Neutroid. Well, given the choice at the time, yeah, I can. I even said that during the stream. I actually do have to say I had a lot of fun playing both games. As frustrating as it was on both of them. And the visual presentation and sound in Neutroid is very, very good for a Coco 1-2 game. That yeah. I can't argue with that whatsoever. And Agreed. the gameplay is much improved, too. Like I said, I could get better at it. I just didn't get enough time to do it. So, yeah, I think we had seven people at maximum during the uh, live show on Thursday night. So... And uh, one thing I did learn is uh, nobody bothers to read the instructions. Wait, yep. so, there was instructions? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and when you think about it, arcade games in the arcades, they don't have instructions either, do they? Except they sometimes have on the panel, on like on the, the inside of the. Yeah, but no yeah. one reads those. But yeah, so I think basically you need a demo mode that kind of explains it, or you need some on-screen instructions, like say Robotron. Yeah, yeah. So I think that'll be my new way going forward into the new Neutroid. That uh, I will program it with the idea that no one will read instructions. Right. (laughs) Because in the old days, you could you you were standing in line to get on the game, so you could watch and you could watch someone else. Yeah. But now your attract mode needs to kind of. Explain it. it. Yeah. Well, I do have an attract mode that does sort of show you things, but yeah. Uh, you gotta you gotta dumb it down for us Americans. You gotta you gotta stop during the attract mode and say, okay, this will kill you. This, this is why this is happening. Yeah. Like like Robotron does, because it shows you you have to rescue your family that shows you're running over the family members, and then you have to shoot this yeah, robot. It, and then if you shoot the Hulk, it won't die. You know, like it, it goes through and explains every single thing on the screen, so you don't need directions beyond that. 
did Defender do that as well? Yes. Um, yes. Yep. So, yeah, because I told you had to pick up humans there. and um, yeah, you know what the different aliens were. The school um, and yeah. Joust did too, I think. Yep. Now you said attract mode. Did you mean detract mode? <laughs> <laughs> that's only for neutral. That, that's when Ken and I review the game. That's a bit different. <laughs> yeah. Now you got to admit though, it is colorful. It's very, it's very pleasing to the eye. Yeah, and the ear. It, it's got great sound and, effects. And the ear. Yeah. It's just to the like but the it, hand controlling the joystick. It sucked. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, even that prospector, I thought was a, a pretty good um, game for a type-in game. Oh, for type-in, it's it's one of the better ones. Yeah. And now that I know yeah, those tricks, so, there, that's going to help a lot. That's right. So I'm going to try that uh, this week and see if I can get somewhere with it. Now that I've I can actually see artifact colors correctly on my Coco Three. Now that I've got a uh, uh, RGB to HD, what do you call it? Scart to HDMI. It's it's a Scart to HDMI uh, control uh, converter yeah, hooked up yeah. to your switcheroo cable. There you That's go. That's right. Now where would so you now, get one of those switcheroo cables, Nick? From uh, Mister Switcheroo, <laughs> Jason there. <laughs> Mr. Switcheroo, you got a new I, name, Jason. Mr. Switcheroo. I've, I've been called the Switcheroo guy, now Mr. Switcheroo, as long as you don't call me late for dinner. The Switcheroo is such a good product, you're now called Mr. Switcheroo. Mr. Switcheroo. Well, I, think I, mentioned right? it, I mentioned it last week that I, I bought the Switcheroo originally when I had a um, a Magnavox-style RGB monitor, and I just needed it because it's got a SCART on it, so I ordered that mm-hmm. cable. But one of the connectors on the uh, cable it has an, a, a USB connector on it, and I, I didn't I didn't need that for the RGB monitor, so I never had it hooked <laughs> up, and it, you know it worked fine. But then when my monitor I changed it uh, for an LCD, and I needed to use the HDMI, I plugged it all in, and it wouldn't work. All I got was uh, the composite. I said, "Oh, gee, what's that? <laughs> that Jason's con me." You know, it doesn't work. <laughs> and then I looked out at the back of the Coco. I thought, hang on, what's this USB doing here? I wonder. So I plugged it into the power and voila, it worked. You didn't read the directions, did you? <laughs> it comes, with, exactly the, it comes yeah. with directions to tell you to as, do that. That's does. right. Yeah, so. As I said, no one reads instructions. <laughs> Including Nick. <laughs> but but every switcheroo from CocoMan.biz comes with instructions you can ignore if you want. <laughs> You could be. That's right. That's right. Ignoring instructions so, is not recommended. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no kidding. So I, I think both games this week, Neutroid and Prospector, both look good on the screen. Now, we'll see what people think. that They both look good, but they're both crap. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, just wait till you see the game that I chose for. Uh, oh God, this is weeks. scaring me. <laughs> oh, for next week, okay. so you can actually see if you look on my screen there at the very top. There's a little red bar. Up. Uh, oh yeah, up on the top level, just a little bit yeah. left of center. Now it disappeared. It's not the. It's yeah. not the original version of Neutroid, is it? <laughs> no, I was playing. Um, Prospector. Prospector. He's, t- he's talking about where the ladder appears when you can get yeah. all the gold no. bars in a level. 
I thought you were talking about next week game. You were going to throw at us. Like, okay, now we're going to play the original version of Neutroid. Well, yeah. we got three more we can go through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next three weeks will be Neutroid, 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 and Neutroid. Or as I call them, strike one, strike two, strike three, and you're out. <laughs> or, or you can, or, or alternatively, you can just bang your head off the wall for thirty minutes. Yeah. So are you going to show us the ladder again, Ken? Yeah, well, I don't actually, in this one, I don't make it up to the ladder, but you can see. Yeah, the little actually, orange block that showed up there. As I got the last one, that <clears throat> little orange block oh, okay. up at the top there. I don't know if you can see my cursor or not. Yeah, we can. You can? Yeah. Okay. So that's yeah. where the you have to get up and stand on there. The ladder, and yeah. Makes a ladder for you. Okay. But you have cool. to survive so, up to the top. <laughs> so. Uh, this Thursday, we were playing Prospector again, and yes, now we thanks will. to some of Ken's tips here, I might actually do pretty good at it. I, I did make it to the second screen barely, but I think I'll do better now. The that second I screen that introduces a new bad guy that I haven't figured out how to beat him yet, because he follows you up and down the Ooh. ladders. I didn't last that long on that level, so I didn't even know that. <laughs> I'm depressed. Okay, but uh, yeah, we will be playing this game again on Thursday night live on the Discord channel, the Game on Challenge Discord channel at uh, 5 o'clock my time, which is 8 o'clock Eastern, I guess. And uh, the other game that we will be playing, does anybody know what this game is? Neutroid. Uh, Oh, Crap. It's a clone of an arcade game and it's, it's like the uh, non commercial one. What it's called. <clears throat> this is the one from uh, TD magazine, I believe. It's actually a clone of one of my favorite games on the ColecoVision. And yep, one of the launch on titles game. on the ColecoVision. Yep. Actually, and I'm more it, familiar with the game that Brian Weiser's playing there. It looks like a venture clone. It is a venture clone. It is a venture clone. And I'm trying to remember the name of this because I've played I played this before, but the, the the title escapes me. It's it's, it's not it's the Midnight... Aardvark one called Venturer. It's the other one. It's not yeah. Midnight Mutants. That's something else. No, that that's the one. That's it's actually yeah. You're probably if you're thinking of uh, Venture, you're probably never gonna. Um... Yeah, I'm sure it was something Warehouse. Nope. Oh, Montezuma's, Montezuma's Dungeons. Dungeon. Oh, that's better than Montezuma's Revenge. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, the ironic that, thing is, is that this version of Venture, like this was one that was on TND Magazine, wasn't it? Or is it Chroma Set of Camera? <laughs> one of the tape magazines, anyway, that you subscribed for a year for. But yeah, um, it was TND. I remember that. But but the official one, or not official, but the <clears throat> commercial one from Aardvark called Venture, I think is actually a poorer version of the game than this one. I agree. That's why I chose this one. <laughs> now, the Venture one from Aardvark was, uh, actually, we found on Chronological Gaming. That was the very first Venture clone on any 8-bit system, period. Home computer or console. We had the first Venture clone, which is kind of surprising. So he had it right. Montezuma is something or other. He actually had part of the name right. Yep. So there we go. That is the Game On Challenge for the next two weeks. So see you guys on Thursday. I want everybody there. Everybody. Everybody on the panel. Everybody. Everybody. Everybody the there. Audience. I don't know. It doesn't look like all Brian Weaver could be there. It looks like he broke his cocoa. It's uh, <laughs> just playing all kinds of weird patterns. Um, 
Yeah, he's been constantly crashing with random gimme patterns here for the last <laughs> half an hour or so. Uh, just just running that uh, 512K memory through some different modes and memory tests and stuff like that. So just messing around, listening to you guys talk. We're sorry. And I'm sure that Brian probably has another Coco that he could use for the Game On Challenge. Uh, I'm sure there's one out there somewhere in the uh, tractor trailer. Just swap the gimme chip out. There you go. Can't find them. (laughs) You've got, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that's all I have to say for today. So, Game On News. Go ahead. Okay, is it sharing just the window this time, unlike last week? <laughs> yep. Okay, cool. You're good. You guys don't want to see. I have to see how many monitors I fill up with my desktop icons. Okay, so Jim Gary has been quite busy this week. Um, I think he cranked out four, maybe five. One, two, three, four. And uh, the last one, actually, I think Nick will recognize. So the first one here is called Tank Battle, also known as Tanks a Lot. Um, this one was originally by a guy named Mark Koenig in 1980s. You can see on the screen there, 1127, and was published in the Soft Side magazine in February of 1981. And of course, it uses keyboard controls since it's the MC10. Two players. And Jim the Destroyer. Story you were. <laughs> So if any of you have played the tank portion of uh, the Tron arcade game, this is kind of like that, except two players. So you're going through a maze and trying to shoot each other. As he pointed out in the comments here, it's kind of boring because he's just a single player at the time here. So basically the one guy's a sitting duck and he just shoots him. And this one actually, I think if I remember correctly, runs in SG6. So it's 64 by 48 four color, not 64 by 32 uh, eight, nine color. Next up, he did one called Lines of Action. I'll start playing this one in the meantime. Uh, this one was by a Canadian named Cloud Susi. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And then a person named Saul Goober converted it to basics. Apparently, it was written in a different language originally in 1985 for the 8-bit Atari line, and it appeared in Raw Magazine in the December 1985, January 1986 bi-monthly issue. So he converted it over to the MC-10. Has some instructions built into the game as well. And I will mention uh, YouTube's been starting to hit me finally with the, uh, yeah, you're not supposed to watch with an ad blocker thing. So I've tried to pre-play all these so that it kind of lets the ad go through first, but it's quite possible it'll interject an ad in the middle of it. So my apologies ahead of time if that happens. We'll just have to vamp through the ad. Yeah. Here's the game itself in action. This looks like a sort of a board Two different colors for each of the players, etc. I don't know too much about the game, so I can't really explain it all that well. Next up, Manic Miner inspired platformer in 8-bit basic. 
Manic Manic Curse was a hugely popular UK release on multiple platforms, including the Dragon. And we have a <clears throat> Coco Portive as well. He even did the right graphic intro in here. That pretty well matches the original Dragon version of it. Now, he's released this game before, but he's got updated keyboard routines by Greg Dion, the person that does the MC10 uh, basic compiler. It's got the music. Yeah, I'm just going to turn the volume down a little bit here. But basically, what he's improved in this version, since he has released this one before, these new keyboard routines basically allow the use of more than one key at once to be registered. And I think it also allows key repeat. So you don't have to sit there and just keep tapping the key to move left. So it should make the game play a lot easier. Yeah, he's got all the elements. So he's got like the ladders and the gold and the you know moving creatures and bats, etc. So it's quite, quite well done. And the last one, I'm sure Nick will recognize what this is. Can you oh, tell, Nick? Um, I'm actually not in front of the computer, but describe each pixel for me, and I'll see what I can do. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of green ones. Okay, that doesn't narrow it down. <laughs> there's some dark green ones on the light green pixels. Yep, and they form letters and numbers and stuff. And then there's and some there's colored semi-graphics blocks. Yeah. Is that, does that narrow it down for you yet? No, no, I give up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this one is uh, basically based on the arcade game Rally X or Rally SG, if you're familiar with Nick's version. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and I'm this one features a computer. machine language routine for refreshing some of the screen, because, of course, it has to do four-way scrolling. Uh, and this routine was written by Darren Atkinson. You may remember him from such hits as the SD card reader for the MC10, the Coco SDC, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So uh, a little bit of coding magic there, but uh, we'll play a little bit and show you what that one looks like. There's very minimal sound here, I think, because he wanted to keep the speed up. I mean, it's still written in basic, even though it has this lemma routine to you know move a chunk of the screen around. It still has to redraw the next frame uh, you know, based in basic, so it's not super fast or anything, but uh, it's playable. Even got the smoke screen here, and uh, you know, four-way scrolling maze, etc. And the, and the MC10 doesn't have the play command, does it? It's just sound. No, just sound. That's only a one-bit sound. It doesn't even have six-bit sound like we do. That's oh, a little yeah. map on the right there, and that works. Pick up the flags. Oh, there's a sound effect for you. Nick's got Ooh, some the competition. Box. <laughs> this one's actually closer to the arcades than Nick's, I have to say. It's uh, an interesting sound. I was impressed with this one, though. This is pretty good for a basic program with just one little ML routine. It shows you that, you know, using a single ML routine or just a couple small ones, which was quite common back in the day of Chromoset and, and TND, that you could make a game that almost feels like, a, you know, a, an assembly language game just by one or two things being sped up drastically. That's all you really need. So for those that want to write basic games, I mean, I, I was thinking about this, actually. Uh, a lot of them say, you know, I can't write this type of a game X because basic's too slow to do something, usually scrolling or something like that. So maybe, right. I know we recently had somebody publish, was it Paul Fiscarelli or I can't remember who did it now, but somebody made a routine you could generically call for scroll. You do a couple of pokes to set up where you want the scrolling to happen. 
And then you can actually tell it, you'll scroll left, scroll right, scroll up, go down. And within a window, you define by a couple of pokes. That was and then Glenn you make the rest of the game in basic. Sorry, go ahead. Was, that was Glenn Hewlett, wasn't it? Oh, right. Yeah, it was. You're right. Because we had like graphics packages, but they always tried to do so much that there was never any room left for your game that you were trying to write. Yeah, that was the biggest problem with um, Sundog's um, GraphExpress because it took right. so much of the memory out that you basically got like 12, 15K to play with. Where maybe just a few core processes could, yeah. The other problem was like there was a lot of screen enhancements that gave you like graphical fonts, you know, scrolling windows and stuff like that, even gave you, you know, character sets that included little spaceships and stuff. But most of those would require the player to buy that package first and then buy your game on top of it. So nobody ever bothered. Um, I mean, now that a lot of stuff has been released, you know, in PD, like I know the screen 64, I think it's called by uh, Intellectronics. We've actually got permission from the author. If you want to write a basic game using that uh, graphic package, go ahead and include it with it. But that was one big problem. And it's one of the reasons I've been trying to speed up a lot of the graphics routines in Nitrous 9 as much as I can is to enable basic programmers to be able to get something not, you know, like a full assembly language game, but definitely in between what basic and ML would be doing. You'd be getting up to, you know, fairly decent speeds for certain things. And I'll be doing some tech talks on some of the graphic techniques in there at some point. But yeah, this one, this one he did a really good job on, I think. I, I quite yeah, I'm liking like this that. one. In fact, if you converted this over to the Coco, and then did a double speed up poke for like a Coco 3 or even the you know Coco 1 and 2 30% speed increase one, I think it'd be quite playable. Anyway, that's what Jim's been up to. What I've been up to this week is I released a couple days ago on the Discord. Uh, this is for beta testing, so please download and try them out. Let me know if you find any bugs. Uh, for reference, I put up the uh, original version, and that's uh, DICOM's Paper Rut. So it's a clone of Paperboy from the arcade. It always played a little slow. I know a few people have complained about that over the years. So that was one of the ones I decided to tackle for 6309 optimization. I did manage to optimize it a bit for the 6809. I don't notice a huge difference. I think it's slightly faster. So it might things, if, if the game gets busy with cars coming up behind you and stuff, I think it might play a little bit smoother on the 609 version. So you could try that version too. I mean, it just should be a little bit better than the original. But the 609 version, just running in native mode, runs pretty decent. Like there's a noticeable speed up if you put them side by side. And of course, on a Coco 3, you can add the double speed poke on top of that. Or if you're like Bob and me, you can add in the triple speed poke for the Gimme X and give it a shot there too. That's probably going to be too insanely fast. But uh, please uh, play with it over the next week or two. And if, if it looks like I haven't broken anything, so you can compare it with the original download I put up there as well. I put all three versions up. Um, let me know. Uh, let me know if you hit any problems uh, compared with the original. And if there's not, then by next weekend, I'll upload it to both my site and then also to the Color Computer Archive. Which channel? Uh, general game posts, I believe. Game posts, okay. Yeah, you you said to report any bugs. Uh, what exactly am I going to be looking for? Oh, well, if it has any signs of Neutroid play in it, then that's a huge bug that has to be removed. Please describe this bug <laughs> you're talking about. What is this bug of which you speak? <laughs> that's how you return a serve, folks. <laughs> it was a pretty soft serve but <clears throat> <laughs> 
Anyway, it's it's, it's it's the only version of Paperboy we have in the Coco. There was never one released for the Coco 3. I don't think the Dragon had a separate version where some games, you know, we did have versions independent of each other in both sides of the pond. Um, once this has been kind of tested here, I've I've mentioned in the, in the Gate General Game Post too that if Karen wants to take a shot at making this available in the Dragon 64, because I believe this required 64K, but the program itself is small enough. It fits in a single 12 granule bin file, so it'll fit 32. So I don't think it has to do anything really fancy like you had to do on uh, Lucifer's Kingdom to get it to work. So basically, and it's a joystick game, so most of the gameplay is joystick-based. You don't have to change anything for the Dragon. So that this could be another new Dragon game, too, with a 609 and a 609 version to try. Next up, Brian Palmer, fellow Aussie of Nick. He's been doing this a uh, fair bit lately. So he's been taking some of the old soft gold, Australian cocoa magazines, Australian uh, rainbow, et cetera, and finding some of those game listings that were not in any of the American magazines and then typing them in because there's no versions on tape that people have been able to find. <clears throat> and, you know, sometimes he needs a bit of help on debugging them and stuff too. But he typed in another one here. This one was called Quest by George McClintock. It's a type in text adventure with a little bit of graphics on the uh, intro screen. Originally from Australian soft gold magazine. Um, so basically it's on the, uh, Coco group on Facebook. Uh, you can download the disc image as well. See these screenshots that you can see here if you're watching the video version of our show. Uh, but download it, give it a shot. See if you find any bugs, report them to Brian. Um, it's basic. So, I mean, you might even be able to figure out what, what went wrong if you take a look. And, um, I, I'm, I'm glad that Brian is doing this because there's a lot of little gems there. Like I know Craig Stewart, of course, who is Nick's kind of rival in the Coco three game space selling at Tandy. In the mid to late 80s. What's that? Rival. I could even know the guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you guys were both selling stuff at the same time through Tandy. Uh, but yeah, his, his, some that. of his very first machine language games in the Coco were in some of these magazines and never showed up in, in North America. It's like he did a head-to-head two-player uh, biplane dogfight game in P-Mode 4. I think it was a Coco 1-2 game in machine language. And that's when I saw you know, much, much later on, but that's another one that we never saw here. So uh, kudos to Brian for going through and actually taking the time to type these in or even trying to OCR them and then trying to correct all the errors because uh, this is recovering some of the much lost software. I'm doing another month for a chronological game for August now and half the games from August of 82, nobody has that came out new that month. So it's it's kind of frustrating. Hopefully some people could dig out some old tapes or discs or something that they've got you know around and, and find some of these missing ones if you go to the timeline part of my games webpage, i highlight italicize the ones we're missing so you can actually go through and get a complete list of everything that's missing and once i complete the project i'll make a grand list and then just you know basically hopefully people can volunteer copies of some of these games that we've lost because there's i'm already in the hundreds of games we don't have that were advertised between the launch of the coco and august of 82 and i mean that's only two years basically <laughs> Uh, next up, uh, Jack Chadwick does uh, a follow-up. So we covered last week that he created this, not quite a poll, but basically comments on a Facebook post in the Coco group asking what were the best games on the Coco 1, 2 and the best games on the Coco 3 in your personal opinion is. And this week he's going the opposite direction. So now he's asking what is the worst ones on the Coco 3 and the Coco 1 and 2. Uh, Brian Palmer, in total agreement with David Ladd, goes, Coco 3 and his Predator as the main character's colors make him camouflage and the controls were crap. And Perry Dewick also agrees, uh, least favorite Coco 3 game, Predator. So that seems to be a fairly common one. Um, 
I'm not going to go through all the responses because it's, it's actually still happening. This is an ongoing conversation. But I was just wondering for the people on the panel and the people in the chat, what are some of the worst commercial games? Because I won't I won't hit people for your magazine games, type in games or freeware because they're free. I mean, you didn't you didn't lose anything. But what game did you spend money on or you would have if you hadn't pirated it uh, that you thought, you know, if you charge 20 bucks for this, that's a crime. I agree with Robocop and Predator, the tiled commercial yeah. knockoff side scrolling Wisniewski games. I have to say, I don't mind Robocop. It's that one actually plays okay. I mean, the sound's kind of trash, but it had a fair bit of gameplay in it, much, you know, multiple levels, et cetera. And I, you know, it's a fun game to play. It's, it's visually, actually, you'll see a bit later because there's a story coming up here about Robocop. But anyway, but there had been a lot of Nintendo 3 and, uh, the Coco didn't do Nintendo 3 that well. And that's what these games are trying to be, is the tiled side scroll. And, and it, it, it does so many other things better that I... For I me, it was Dexter that was the letdown. Okay, yeah, that's another one. Same. Yeah, I think Nick would agree with that, too, because it, it, it cut off. Like, it looked good for the first five levels, and then the other levels aren't there. Yeah. Somebody ran out of development money. Well, that one I think was more Tandy said, no, we don't want that big of a ROM in here because we're not going to pay the extra 50 cents for the chip. Because, mm. I mean, that's what happened to Daggerath. Daggerath was originally a 9.5K game and had more to it than the commercial release. And Tandy said, we're not going to let you go over an 8K ROM, even though the Coco 1 and 2 could handle a 16K ROM just fine. It was purely on cost, and they spent months. That's why it's copyright 1982 and didn't get released until the summer of 1983, because they had to go back and crunch it down by a K and a half to fit it on an AK run. Ron DelVoe, you weren't much of a game player. Was there any games that you ever saw back in the day that you went, why did people pay for this? Well, a lot of the stuff on uh, Rainbow... Uh, on disc, you know, that were games and stuff were pretty lame. Uh, it seemed to me, I, I don't know, maybe because they were free. I don't know. Or, yeah, you know, a lot of them are written in basics. So only certain types of games would run really well. Yeah. And um, really, there's so many that I, I couldn't categorize them. There's, I know the ones I like, but, you know. Yeah. Defense is one of those, I know. Few and far between. <laughs> That defense I love. I, it's real challenging, and I try to get a high score as I can. Sometimes I do, and then I forget to take a picture that I, I even went that high, which <laughs> is amazing to me. But <clears throat> yeah, you know, it's 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 kind of fun going through the SD card and um, looking at games. And every once in a while, you find one that's pretty challenging, pretty good. But you know, things that have um, characters as their you know, little guys running across the screen or, st you know, I, I can play the uh, MC-10 for that, you know? Yeah, you're not into that type of game, I guess. No. If I could, one more thing. It's, it's, it's amazing how much they threw at games like Predator. And then you play baseball, you know, rich old color baseball. And the uh, the playability of the game is so much more even though it's just little stick figures running around. But I used to get people, I sold a Coco because of that game. 
<laughs> my neighbor yeah. came over and played it with me for a while. And, oh, you sell these? Okay, yeah, I want one to, to play color baseball. Now, you look at how rudimentary the graphics and, you know, but the playability is there. Yep. And I think Rampage of- falls under that category, too, except that Rampage actually compared favorably with, you know, other versions on the Nintendo and the oh, Atari and Rampage. stuff here. Like, that was one that I, a lot of people that I've seen that do the cross-platform thing say that is one of the best Rampages out of everybody. And uh, in fact, Bo co- Naren said that when they reviewed it. it you know what, co- what, what game I really like is that white side uh, game of Battleship. I oh, the one that, that clicked the cassette relay to simulate the Morse code? Yeah, I think that, <laughs> that was a, awesome. That I didn't was even know it slick. did that. I'd only played it on an emulator before, and I tried to reel, and I was like, what the hell is my cassette relay going? Click, 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 click. Yeah, and then you go, oh, it's doing Morse code. If These you think the- of it, it's a slick game because the flag comes up, and you turn it to the right color, and the way it leaves, and you know, there's a lot of thought put into it. And I, yeah. I, I thought it was a real polished off nice game. I agree. And if you think about it, guys, was that? Both of these play to the Coco strengths where it's not just another side-scrolling tile game or something repetitive, you know, Mario again. It's, these are all different. You know, the, the, the clicky cassette relay, you know. Yeah. I win a ton of well, battle ship clones on the Coco well, from everybody, the, uh, from Tom Mix to Spectral to whoever, but that Whitesmith one um, that Ron's well, talking about is by far the best. What What, what was that one called? Battle Stations. Yeah. Battle Stations. Even it's on my opening, website. The opening graphic is cool with the with the guns from the ship next to yep. the lettering. Really nicely drawn. But the, the thing that really got me on that one was the cassette relay to simulate the you know the Morse code tapping thing. Because your, your machine makes audible clicks like real Morse code. Coming from inside the machine, like I didn't know what the heck was going on the first time I ran on real hardware. I was quite stunned. <laughs> That's not an audio sound. <laughs> no, it's coming right from inside the computer itself. Physically, yeah. it's it was that that floored me, it scared me at first. I thought it'd crash and was going to wreck my machine. But <laughs> what about the submarine game? Which Is one? There... Subbattle Simulator, maybe or yeah, or yeah. Sea Dragon or no the the simulator. The, it seemed to have good graphic screens. Yeah, that was pretty decent. It was four color, three twenty by one ninety two, so it's Coco three only. Um, but it's a simulation. It's not. Yeah, it's not a strict game. Like you got to know some stuff to play that. You you might actually have to read the manual for that one. <laughs> yeah, but the, the whole I'll warping between between battle places was. I lost it there. Yeah, a couple of comments from the chat. So David Ladd has joined us. He says hello there, everyone. <clears throat> hello, David. Um, Tom Eric Gunner says, as uh, we're talking about the worst games uh, or more, least favorite games, he said, Nobody mentioned Neutroid, really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Scott Cooper goes, Pac Man for the Atari 2600 was a huge letdown. Oh, wait, wrong show. I, he's not wrong, though. No, he's not wrong. <laughs> well, um, you know, Rick mentioned uh, Predator, and that that summoned me out of the ether to come. <laughs> really really <laughs> so what did you think of predator david just play the video would, would you really like an honest opinion try I to keep it family know. friendly but sure <laughs> it sucks <clears throat> circular <laughs> devices it was bad I agree with him. <laughs> the funny thing was when we interviewed Greg, that was his favorite game he ever wrote. 
Yeah. The, yeah. Even funnier was David didn't say anything about Predator when we had him on. <laughs> no, but because, because, he was no, in because shock. Curtis asked me to politely not start any issues during that interview. So <laughs> I, I, I felt it was best for me to just step away because trust me, I've been like horse crap or <laughs> horse hockey. <laughs> The one thing I will say about Predator, if you ever do get good at it, Mr. Dave 639 actually did. Um, there is a lot to the game. Like the game is long. Like there's a lot of levels. There's a lot of sub levels. There's a lot of new stuff that appears as you go level to level. Um, so there's a lot of exploring to do, which is normally what I like in a game. It's just that the controls are so friggin' impossible. It ruined it. The graphics are okay. I mean, it's not 320. It's a bit lower res for the speed of doing scrolling, like Nick was mentioning. Same as RoboCop was, but RoboCop was a much better game control-wise. Yes, I like RoboCop. Yeah. And they both use that MMU hardware to add in some extra memory on the cartridges, too. But Predator, you know, had so much potential because it's such a long game that you could play it for months. Even if it did have good controls, you could play it for months before you finish it because there's so much to it. But the controls really, really let it down. They sucked. Yeah. Now, well, I milked that talked, story. <laughs> well, you, you talked about controls. I just played up uh, uh, Prospector now on the Coco to confirm that diagonal um, joystick movement, and it does work. It does make it a lot easier to get in and out of a uh, on and off a ladder and picking up the uh, gold and everything. What you gave me? Of course not. <laughs> Ouch. Um, the game is a little bit fast, though, so it is easy to uh, still die, but at least the um, the diagonal motion does work. Were you, were you playing a level one or level two or three, Nick? Uh, just level one. I, I, I turned it off now. I'll play it better later on. Because that it does but, affect uh, the speed, so I thought maybe you accidentally picked the middle one. Oh. Damn, now I've got to turn it on again. <laughs> okay maybe that's what i've done wrong again if only it was a manual <laughs> do it live do it live now by the way dave david does also come out of the ether here um talking about predators well wow, predator what a great game so many levels and cool enemies very fun challenge in the ice levels uh so i'd like he's he's actually quite good at it and um like I said, the game does look like it with with tweaks to the controls probably would be a pretty decent game, honestly. And there's Mikey Six and of course says color scripts and Ed Tasm are his favorite games. I would vote for Ed Tasm over scripts it myself. No <laughs> offense to Robert Kilgus, but I think I've only yeah. gotten like the first two or three screens, and I thought that was the ice level, the way you slide off those platforms. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think of the castle game where uh it's split screen, you know, there's one on the top, one on the bottom, you play against the computer, and um, the thing goes, you know, there's a, a thing you hit back and forth, a little sparkly thing. There's a few that fill a dead description, War Kings by Tom Mix, Castle Guard by Tandy. Castle Guard. Over, or what's the one from Computer Shack? Uh, can't the Castle Guard I used to think was stupid at first, and then I'd play it for a little bit, and then it, I'd let it play itself, you know? And then, and then I tried playing it, and I thought, well, this is pretty challenging because you can't really control it. That that was my exactly. problem with the game, actually, because I'm used to like it's yeah. based on Warlords from the arcade and from the Atari 2600, and uh, the arcade version actually allows four players at once. You each get a corner. Ooh. I War Kings, I think, plays closer to the original version. 
where you can control the ball. It's almost like a pong game at angles. Yeah, right. Whereas Castle Guard was kind of loosey-goosey on the controls. You kind of try to like fling the fireball and it might go in a slightly different direction than you aimed. It might go a little bit slower, faster than you planned. And that was my only problem. But visually, it was one of the first artifact games I saw that used the extra colors, not just the base four. And uh, it's it looks visually quite... It looks like we have eight to ten colors on the Coco artifacting. Yeah, so that little looks sparkly great. thing uh, that moves around is pretty cool. Yeah, the fireball. Yeah, yeah, yeah I would agree with that. Um, Exxon Paradise, Alan. Which I mean, Alan, you should just pop in and just say these things out loud rather than just typing in the chat. But um, he says a game that would be expect to be a failing on the Coco Zaxxon was not a disappointment. I was so happy to have that Zaxxon port, even if it was cut down from the arcade. I would have had my brain exploded with the uh, Z89 later, but the Coco Zaxxon was amazing for the time to be able to play at home. I agree. I actually took that one to school and compared it with the Apple II version, and ours stomped it. Yeah, I typed that stuff in to not interrupt the constant stream of noise already coming out of everyone else. No, just add to the noise. That's part of the fun. Anyway, yeah, go go put in your votes there. And he kind of wants one for the Coco 1, 2, and one for the Coco 3. And we've kind of discussed a lot of Coco 3 ones here. Any any Coco 1 or 2 games commercially that people thought just were not worth the money? Like, I like for example, we were talking about the game of the week that's coming up in Montezuma's Dungeons. There's a commercial version that came out two years earlier um, from Aardvark that is not the greatest. It's got very minimal sound. But I wouldn't say it's horrible. Um, it's just primitive. And you know, like I said, it was the very first venture clone of any home computer or console ever. So I, Curtis, I'll give Curtis, it a bit of slack. Curtis, here's the thing. Um, <laughs> in my experience, I've never had to really pay for games all that often. Okay. No, that's why uh, I put the when, caveat up front that, you know, that you would have had to pay for if you were okay. you know, not. A yeah. Because <laughs> boisterous um, pirate when they just keep coming, you know, and, and you, you, you have friends and you share, you're excited to play all, even if they're bad, you play them because, you know, you got them and they were free or whatever, you know. But would you come back and play them again? Because that's usually the test. Like if you played once ago, Jesus is terrible. Then you never played again. Well, the, the problem is when you have in the, in the beginning, we only had discs. Then you only had a finite amount. And um, what would kill you is if you wrecked a disc and one of your favorite games was on it. And then you had to wait until you had the next uh months to go back to the um, meeting and get a, another copy of it because a, a backup it copy? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was the real experience back then now now you have sdcs you know you have three or four copies of it put away you know oh, no, and I does was... anybody have a coco one or two game that they particularly thought was not worth paying for neutroid <laughs> because, oh, you got the fake background. Yeah, but I can fix it. No, you don't want to do that. Yeah, I do. No, you don't. I don't. But can Ron fix it? Hi, Ron's wife. <laughs> <laughs> Exposed. Oh, she's really. Yeah. She, she wasn't on. You know, she goes, How come I'm not on? How come I'm not on? Come on back. What game do you like on the Coco Elaine? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> She's not going to participate. So Mac. Okay. So much trouble. 
Okay. Well, anyway, uh, put put your comments up in the Facebook group. Uh, just follow that conversation and put in your own your own votes in there, and we'll kind of gather up next week and see what what people voted as. I guess you could call it the most overpriced games too, if you wanted to. Like I said, I can't really slam the basic ones or the ones in magazines and magazines because you weren't paying much for those anyway. And it's almost like a volunteer network. It's almost like freeware stuff. How many Nitrous Nines games are really good? Uh, I might not know. Like Sub Battle runs under Nitrous Nines, so that's one that you had mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all the Sierra games, uh, a lot of the Floyd Wrestler games. There's, you know, the Pac OS 9 game. There's Rescue on Fractolis. Yep. Cronus Rift. Right. Um, when you get into OS 9, I mean, when you get into Coco 3 games, they're OS 9 games. Yeah, if they're coming from Tandy, they usually were. They, except for cartridges. They really stuff. were. Yeah, except you know, tr- Truly, I, one game that I dislike for the Coco 1 and 2, Neutral. and I've, discuss, I've discussed, well, in all series, and I've discussed this with the author of the game, and I'm sure it's coded just fine, but I do not like Megabug. Oh, okay, that's a surprise. I never even sure tried it's coded, to get into it. But it's just, it's not it's not for it's me. not your thing exactly yeah because that was actually a cross-platform one that's also on the atari the apple II, etc so it was popular enough to you know be and they renamed it every time for some stupid reason even though it was by the same company right i mean go in a facebook coco group if you want to put in your votes for what you think are the worst games on the coco one two and three for commercial games or at least least favorite doesn't have to be based on technical merit. It could just be the game itself. The whole concept just sucks. No, I, I used this to is, think Dallas Quest. I used to think Dallas Quest was terrible, but as the time has gone by, to, to not you know hear the Coco's intro with the song and having <laughs> the graphic up, and then and then Sue is sitting there, you know, waiting for you to say something nasty to her. It was kind of fun after a while. Right. Yeah, I didn't mind that one, but I liked adventure games, so that was. Once I got past that first maze where you couldn't get, you couldn't get out of, except yeah. by blind accidental chance. Yeah, sure. I, I, what really set me set me uh, up on that one was the uh, David Ladd rendition of the theme song. <laughs> <laughs> Cat Dallas, and who shot J.R. Mewing? Galvez. Yeah. I guess growing up in the city, I didn't really hear the music so much. It just kind of... Well, some of the graphics in the Dallas uh, um, game, like when you when you mess up, there's a cowboy that comes up and says you, you're dead or whatever. And the, the artwork's really good. The horse is upside down or whatever it was. Right. Yeah. I, it was oh, pretty I, good, actually. It had The one thing it added from Sands of Egypt, which was by the same company a bit earlier, besides animated graphics, which they both had, was that there was music and sound effects in Dallas Quest. There was none in Sands of Egypt. It was just dead silent the whole time. Right. Like when you find that broken bugle and you try to play it and it plays that really off-key set of notes there just on purpose. Like that, I, I, I oh, laughed out loud when I first yes. saw that. As, as, especially when you had the stampede coming at you and you had to use it or else you was <laughs> yeah. dead. Yep. Oh, I played that game so much. And then here, I'm just showing on the screen. I won't go into it because we went into it last week, but this is the original vote from the previous week where he was asking people for the best games in the Coco 1, 2, and the Coco 3. And for some deluded reason, he picked Nick games for both himself. <laughs> so 
And the oh, ironic, the really Hodge. ironic thing is, is that one of the two games he picked, the Coco Three one, he liked the best, is actually the one that Nick, out of all the ones he's wrote himself, he probably hates the most. Yeah, I remember hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> that, might, that reminds me, I've got to send him the uh, the check. Another one? Because <laughs> Taz said he already got the other check you sent, so. <laughs> <laughs> Robocop MSX yes. edition. Well, basically, this is the history of Robocop. So, this is a coverage of the entire Robocop franchise in the arcades, as well as every home port. And it's an hour long video. And it, it does some comparisons. And actually, the Coco one was ranked fairly high on these. And actually, if you compare it with some of the other ones, like the Apple II version, you can see why. Um, but I'll just play a little clip here. So they got the very tail end of the MSX version here. So you can kind of compare. And the MSX is based on the uh, Spectrum version, which is why to avoid color clash, the entire player is white and black. And then you get color only on the, the status part at the bottom. Look at the picture on the wall or the window. <laughs> now they had better sound because they were using the Spectrum that had the sound chip. But... A version was released for the TRS-80 Coco by Data East and looks to be based on the NES version. This game was one of two super cartridges designed for the Coco with a built-in memory manager unit. The other one was Predator. In this version, Robocop has been inflicted with an even more significant case of rigor mortis as he only has two frames of walking animation. Speaking of rigor mortis, the music isn't bad, <laughs> although it does sound like something you would find playing at a funeral parlor. Another highlight of this version are the topless crackheads who are very proficient at flying kicks. I went through some of the other uh, ports that are in this video here, and uh, a fair number of them run like about half to a quarter of the speed that you were watching the Coco 3 run in, which surprised me. So actually, our version actually does stack up probably in the middle. I mean, it's not as good as, say, an Amiga or Atari ST version, obviously. But uh, as far as the 8-bit machines go, we weren't, far, by far, weren't the worst version of it. Um, Way better than the... Predator. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, this game, I played quite a bit besides Thexter. Um, this game it's and Thexter, I played a lot when I got the Coco 3. Like, here's the uh, ZX Spectrum version. There are some new minigames, such as a photo puzzle in which you have to make an exact But you notice to avoid the color clash, everything's too color, basically. The criminal database. There are also some third-person perspective sections where you have to shoot the bad guy holding a hostage. The playability is very good, and the animation is fairly smooth. If you have the one but it's definitely slower than version, our version, you are greeted with excellent in-game music. At least he doesn't look like he's, uh, from the movie. needs to go to the toilet. <laughs> but here's the Apple II version, for example. It looks really nice and colorful because it's composite, but there's no scrolling. It doesn't scroll and it features choppy animation. Ah, and as soon as you get a couple characters on the screen, it really slows down. Arcade game, but it does yeah. control well enough. There is no music and the sound effects are tiny little popcorn farts, which thankfully are not SPD. <laughs> <laughs> Did he see what parts. I heard? Yeah, yep. yes, he did. He did. <laughs> oh, thank God we don't have smell-o-vision. <laughs> One bit sound, yay! 
I mean, to be fair, the Apple came out in 77. So you're dealing with technology three years older than the Coco. And, you know, by that time, things had caught up a bit. Color-wise, though, this is one of the better color games I've seen on the Apple. Now, Mark, you're probably more familiar with this game than I am. Is this the 2GS or the 2E extended graphics modes, or would this be just really well-done color mixing? I think it's too good for, you know, I haven't ever played this, so I don't know. It looks more like the enhanced graphics, the 2E or 2C, or maybe the 2GS. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of looks like it. Except I, I'm hoping it's not the 2GS because the 2GS should be running it way faster than this. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably the extended 2E and 2C mode, but I, yeah. I, I, they did a lot of dithering, color dithering too. So, yeah. Yeah, but there's some colors there that aren't artifact based. Well, they did have six basic colors. They had the, uh, the phase shifting you could control with the one bit per bit. Yeah, the one phase bit per shifted bite. ones. <clears throat> so you can get the uh what is it the blue and orange green and uh purple blue and orange yeah yeah right black and white plus the black and white we we had but that one that one it's got a lot more colors though in it yeah and Skin this could have been tones. composite because they could do the same tricks we do on composite you can kind of sneak extra colors if we put two colors beside each other yeah and maybe oh, there's doing. a few grays though the broken windows are exactly the same yeah, you're right, actually. So that must be the enhanced 2E style. Yeah. Those have 16 colors in high-res mode. So <clears throat> like that makes sense then. Yeah. But still, we we came out surprisingly well in the 8-bit arena. Like once you go to the ST and the Amiga and some of the later stuff, of course, or PC stuff or arcade or whatever, we were even close. But not bad. not a bad showing, to be honest. Now, here's another Manic Miner video from Retro Sutra, and this is going through and comparing uh, a variety of uh, versions of Manic Miner. They've got four kind of more popular ones here listed as part of their intro screen. So the ZX Spectrum, the Sam Coupe, the Game Boy Advance, the Amiga. They cover a lot more systems besides that, including the Dragon version. And uh, you can definitely tell that the Dragon one was was based on the Spectrum one because <clears throat> the graphics are exactly the same, except there's no, you know, the color squares you can identify our uh, program for on the spectrum but basically it's pixel identical because they had the same graphics mode we did 256 by 192 you just could change a block of every 8 by 8 to a color um sound wise this is one where the intro screen on most of the versions will actually have a little piano keyboard on the bottom and it'll show which notes are playing but on the spectrum it sounds absolutely horrible um there's a dragon version, kind of get the idea of speed there. I'll just play the little intro at the beginning here. That's actually a song. Yeah, so I played the actual you know, multi-voice music. Uh, let's try and find the spectrum here. That's Watch your ears on this one. <laughs> now granted this this is i i believe this is on the one bit sound earlier spectrum not the ay mm -hmm. chip equipped spectrum so obviously they could have right. done it much better but uh don't think you got the timing right <laughs> i like actually hearing that i'm wondering why did they bother leaving that in there because <laughs> that could not have sold the machine well but you can tell with the uh the graphics here the the graphic characters are identical pretty well, um, except you get the color built in. And the sound is pretty well identical to the uh, Dragon version. 
Well, I don't know if the Dragon version used one bit sound too, and they just converted it straight over, or if it did use six bit and just kind of duplicated the equivalent. Oh, pop popcorn fox. <laughs> The only other difference I saw between the Spectrum and the um, the Dragon versions, the, the little keys you have to jump up and get, like this one here and this one here. On the Spectrum version, they cycle through colors. On the Dragon, they blink on and off because, of course, with black and white, what color are you going to recycle it through? But yeah, if you want to see a comparison with, you know, even getting up to uh, a whole bunch of, you know, more obscure UK-based machines and even some, you know, 16-bit stuff later on. Um, What's the like Amiga the one look like? Because... BBC Micro, Amstrad. The picture you had is six. How come uh, when it's black and white, they can't show like shades of gray? Here's the Amiga version. Because they're black and white. Yeah, that's it. This one's even got stereo. Uh, what's this one? The Amiga. Oh, this oh, is they stole Amiga. the music from Elite. Yeah, this is more pleasant than the other one. Yeah, Spectrum was pretty bad. <laughs> it has a little quaver to it, though. Like, what? Oh, yes, oh, I definitely still... like the sound on this one much better than the other one. Yeah. It's still very retro graphics, though, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they basically took the exact same shapes for most of the games. Yeah. Or most of the ports, I should say, and just left them the same. They just, you know, there's no color clash and color. In the yeah, screen. I thought they'd uh, enhance it, but no, they didn't. <laughs> now, here's Manic Miner 2 on the Amiga from 1990, a couple years later. Quite an improvement. Ah, uh, yeah, that's an enhancement. Oh, yeah. I like that. I never cared for Pitfall. Well, I like Cave Walker and things like that. It would be nice if we yeah, had some, some more of games like this for the Coco 3. Right. Yeah, who wants a... There's a wind-up with a big, fat nose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have a bit of more humor, I think, in this than the original. <laughs> kind yeah. of a Cubert nose. Yeah. Because even your main character that you're playing here kind of looks like he's half sleep or something. Yeah, and he's got that <laughs> one tooth. <laughs> Mr. Magoo. And, and you know that wind-up thing just sticks on you somehow with its sucker cup nose, so. Yeah. It's useful. Yeah, I like it. But I like these comparison videos because I, you know, some of these versions I've never seen before, so you get to finally compare with, you know, some other machines. I might remember a few, like Apple IIs. I had a lot of friends with those. A few people at TIs and Atari 8 bits and stuff, or even some of the 16 bit machines like the ST and the uh, Amiga, but there's a lot of these machines I've never seen. And it's fun to see, like, with whatever hardware base these different machines had, how well did they do? How good did the programmers know the Coco? How good did they know some of these other machines and compare what they look and sound like? And then, speaking of uh, War Kings, which we talked about earlier when Ron was talking about Castle Guard, uh, this is the Tom Mix version of that same game here, Ron. But that was the game they picked for Tim and AJ for My Drunk Sibling, episode 128 of, or sorry, 108 of Sibling Rivalry. So I'll play a little bit at the beginning and I'll fast forward to the gameplay. Spoiler alert, AJ won all three games against Tim on this one. They always come up with these cute intro graphics. AJ, welcome to another episode of Sibling Rivalry, the show where we play games with each other. Yeah, old video games from the 80s and 90s when we were kids. He's got Kool-Aid. 
Not quite. <laughs> well, at least you were Kool-Aid. my mic a little better. Back when we played it, right? And drinking it, cause Correction. Ah, I got oh, one. Oh, gosh. Oh, I didn't get one. I got one. So have you played this version, Ron? We're breaking down walls, no. AJ. We are. You know what? It reminds me of Quicks. What the heck what? is this? Yes! <laughs> By all means, give me more points. Oh. I won because Tim played stupid. AJ didn't win. Tim lost. <laughs> I won. That's There's win. a flatline sound. Anyway, uh, you guys might recognize the author's name, C.J. Rosland, if you're longtime readers of Rainbow Magazine, because he actually had an assembly language teaching column in Rainbow in the early 80s, like 82-ish, 83-ish, uh, called Charlie's Machine. And uh, he used to do things uh, explaining how graphics worked and stuff and write little assembly language listings. And he did some other commercial games. Like he did Zach Sund, the other clone of Zaxxon, and a few others as well. And the last of the game on is um, Expert Tech, which is a Spanish-speaking site. Uh, he's got a real Coco that he hooks up to an amber screen monitor. And this time around, he's actually playing an arcade-style game, 3D arcade-style game from Tandy called Androne, which I'm sure some of you are familiar with. Mm -hmm. So I'll play just a quick clip with some translation on the screen. Vamos. Ahí está, Androne. Vean. Si puedes, tiene una vista ahí como de dimensional de andar en laberintos. I still remember the elevator. I thought that was a cool effect. Bajamos a un nivel desconocido. A la derecha puedo mover que hay una especie de brújula y debajo hay una cantidad de energía. And I, some people have called this kind of a 3D Pac-Man with some shooting elements. Would you guys agree with that? Or is it a little yeah. bit too different? I, I never cared for this. Too simple. I don't know. On later levels, it gets a bit more complicated, but uh, like it, it's it's harder to kill the the alien things. I didn't mind this one. It's not the first time we saw a 3D eat the dots thing. We had several on the Coco before this came out. Well, I like the fact that it's got the uh, Spanish to English translation down there for you. Yeah. Well, no, I turned that on in YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I know. For those of you who don't know, you can go to settings and do the auto-translate and, and closed captioning turned on, and you can actually do that with most videos, actually. You know, it's too bad they didn't use their AI features to actually yeah. do audio dub-overs. <laughs> <laughs> that would actually be a useful use of that technology, I agree. <clears throat> so can you turn on English dubs of an English program to see how bad it screws up <laughs> so that's it for the game on news now before i get into the regular news i'm going to cover some upcoming events etc uh just as reminders to people here so let me switch screens if i can that's not gonna let me do it okay i'll stop share first when you want the latest in trs 80 tandy dragon mc10 and all of their hardware cousins. No matter what it takes. For where news breaks. From around the world. To your nation. The Coco Nation News. With L. Curtis Boyle. The 
You see how he used to notch in that, that board to hold the solder? So our first news item is, Bob, how is it going? It's going pretty well. Um, still struggling to find some of the parts I know I have around here somewhere. Uh, <clears throat> most oh, yeah. of the sockets in place. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Wow, that's quite a bit of progress since we last checked in. It almost looks like a computer. Yeah. Yeah, you know what's funny, Bob, is I was checking, because um, I got one of these boards, uh, um, two that I haven't assembled yet due to, well, some issues going on here, but uh, uh, I was going to do something like the new C64 board that's being sold. I was going to use those new low-profile Ziff sockets that have oh, a yeah. lever <laughs> that's on right. the end. I'm like, those are like almost 20 bucks a piece. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeehaw. I actually have some regular Ziv sockets that I forgot to use, but that's okay. All right. Well, one time I wanted to do like a, I don't know how many people here watch Adrian's Digital Basement, but I wanted to do <clears throat> a Cocoa version of the, instead of the Ziv 64, I wanted to do a Ziv Cocoa. Where all of the all the socketed components were in ZIF sockets, right. and ZIF stands for zero. What insertion force? Insertion. All right. How yeah. about how about when they come out? Yeah, it's also zero. Okay. <laughs> so, so you never pinned anything. You know, it's a shame. Adafruit sells like forty columns ZIF sockets for four bucks, but that's the only kind they sell. That's the only size they have. And they're yeah. cheaply made, but you don't you aren't going to use them often in an application like this. You know, you're going to use it once, twice, three times is a lot. So you don't need 3M tech tool quality sockets. <laughs> well, it was just something I thought would be cool to do. Um, yeah. especially of course, Adrian uses the board for testing. And I figured, well, if you've got a board. That's known good, which of course these boards are really nice looking. And I oh. figured those nice looking ZIF sockets would make a good complement. And then, like, you get a whole bunch of 6309s in that need testing. You could just pull it out, pop a new one in, test it, pop it out, put next one in, you know. Yeah. You know, over time, as any of these chips get hot enough to make the white turn, turn a little color, like around the gimme or something. Eh, don't worry, the dust nah. will take care of that. Yeah, I'll we'll do some soldering and get some fresh flux to cover the brown up. There you go. <laughs> uh, since we're about oh. to get into the news here, uh, if, if some people get too bored and fall asleep during the news segment, as, as per normal, um, Bob, do you want to give uh, your YouTube URL so people can actually watch you do this live too? Um. I don't have a URL handy, but just uh, if you go to YouTube and search La Coco Strangiato, like stranger, but by the time you get to the G, it should pop up, I think. Um, Bob, are you going to be putting the uh, 128K RAM in there, or are you going to leave those empty to put a so, yeah, 512? The plan is to build it completely stock. I'm going to build it 128K and right. put the RF modulator, and then I will do upgrades after that. And then you will right. clip the two two uh, 
Oh, put the little caps in and then clip them back up. And then clip them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I've got a small problem here. This pin 40 is plugged. You got a tiny drill? I don't have any tiny drills. And you don't have a super sucker solder solution. What's well, a plug? Well, it's with. not solder though. It's like the white paint. Oh, it's like epoxy. Ooh. How about a, a needle? needle? Yeah. Does that mean there's no metal around I... the pin? Well, or maybe your no clip, uh, or like your clip off, uh, your clip off wires. If you have a thumb tack. That I could probably find. Yeah, you might be able to just poke it out that way. Yeah. Now, or so heat. What what's going on here? Because this this cocoa that you're building up has this weird yellow connector on the back, and ah, uh, my cocoa three right does not one. have such a thing. So this. <laughs> <Right>. is, <laughs> what, what's going on here? One, so I had to make do with uh, you know yellow and white, whatever I could find. Oh, 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 oh you're going with yeah. actual standards instead of Tandy <laughs> using whatever color came out there. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> I, I don't have an M port on mine. By the way, the, the person that created this board design here is actually in the chat now, too, Bob, if you had any comments for him. <laughs> uh, everything has uh, been pretty smooth other than that one plugged hole and... Like I said, there were a couple of components that he's uh, moved since then, so they're in different locations on his uh, interactive bill of materials, but it's been pretty straightforward to find it all. And also, Mark has posted the link directly to your YouTube stream if people want to watch it uh, Excellent. Thank directly you. there. Oh, I thought I posted it, too. <laughs> <laughs> and why the name Athena? That's a Rocky Hill question. Yep, he's yeah, in the chat, so he I, can answer. Yeah, that's why I said it. But that was also part of my logic in calling, deciding to call this just a Coco 3A. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Kind of goes along with the Tandy theme, you know, Coco 2B, whatever. So. <laughs> well, it goes along yeah. with the theme of Tandy Assembly. Yeah. So, but also, so Tandy Athena, how the A can stand for Athena, so... The, hey. the answer so, was because it's a clone and um, he's a fan of the Battlestar Galactica reimagined series. Uh, and one uh, of the one of the Cylon <laughs> clone characters was named Athena. Okay. okay. I thought it was a Coco 3A because maybe this was, is this a Canadian project? <laughs> <laughs> I just had a hacker thought here. Your How's the soldering hole? going, eh? Well, your, your plugged hole, it's less important to clear the hole than it is to not break the pad on top from the pad on the bottom. When is it actually better to just lay a little blob of solder on top and then put the suck it down like a BGA situation? Where you Run a bodge wire from the, around the edge of the board? Well, no, because in theory, the pad on top and the pad on bottom are connected through the through plating. Oh, yeah. Unless you were damaged the through plating trying to clear out the hole. So at what point do you just leave the whole plug and solder to the top? Yeah, right. Well, uh, I would probably notice that point before I 
screw anything before up. Before you screwed it up that far, yeah. <laughs> pin 40 is actually used. That's uh, plus five, isn't it? Yeah, you kind of need that part. I think so, yeah. <laughs> Are, yeah. Aren't all the pins used? No, always. Uh, not necessarily. Not always. Really? Yeah. Huh. Uh, Pedro's saying I wouldn't try a blob of solder. For, for instance, a 7.4 LS30 doesn't use three of its 14 pins. Hmm. 16 pins. However many pins it's got, it doesn't you use three You get those extra ones for free. Yeah, yeah. they're just there. Oh, when wow. Decoupling caps are too wide for the the holes on the board here. So I'm going to stand them up weirdly. Right? I'm going to just get some newer ones, uh, better fit rather than force those. I just stand them up like vertical resistors and everyone thinks you're weird. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Did you try and uh, make sure that all those sockets have the little cut out in the same direction or do you flip them around for some of the future people that might be using the <laughs> board i actually uh i actually did on these 40 pin sockets there's no notch oh really so i'm gonna take my silver sharpie and put a dot on these once Thank i get them all in there that's good yeah they're labeled on the board itself they're on the silk screen but right they yeah. should be on the sockets but you don't see it I see two of them. Yeah, of them. one of the Not things the that ones. I do on sockets that don't have the nipples, I'll just uh, um, take the the soldering iron and make the divots in the socket. So that way at least... Weld it right in there. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, you know, if they didn't do it, then I got to... So then when you get <laughs> plastic on your end of your uh, soldering gun, then you have to wipe it off with your fingers, right? No, I just use Curtis's hair. <laughs> I quit soldering. That's why I still have hair. Because <clears throat> I know yeah, most of your soldering people don't. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's also because I like snorting the the fumes from the uh, the resin. Ah, such a rush. That explains. I don't, I don't even know what to say to that. He has a third hand. Yeah, I like that technique. I just hold the board in the right place. Interesting. So, hey, Bob, you're still going to be doing this for a bit? Um, Yeah, I'm almost out of solder. Yeah, the spool's <laughs> starting to trail around, and it's not unrolling by itself anymore. Because so. basically, Bob, I'll go into the news Ooh. stuff now and also the announcements for upcoming stuff on the show. And then uh, if you get done to as far as you're planning on going today before I get to the end of it, just kind of interrupt. And right. show us your where you're ending off for the day. Go for it. Send solder now. He's gonna stop when he runs out of solder. <laughs> I didn't see a real time clock anything on there. No, that's gonna be the next board revision. I think where they start adding the new stuff, just like the dragon boards. I I, I think I saw um Bob's uh, watch in one of the frames. <laughs> There's your clock. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Julian Brown, who actually is the one who's creating some of those dragon boards, along with Kieran, says in the chat here, naming boards is a fine art and needs careful consideration. Yeah, it's there forever. Huh? <laughs> anyway, so announcing some stuff coming up. Um, before I get to the ones on the screen, a couple that are just going to be verbal here. So we've actually started getting some interviews scheduled again. Um, so the first one coming up will be November the 25th. So that's two weeks from now. We'll have Joe Ahern, hope I'm pronouncing that name correctly, and David McNally, 
who created the newsletter magazine Terracity <laughs> Computing, which was renamed to Color Computing in the last year of its existence, that they started as 13-year-olds back in June of 1987, and they ran it up until 1992. So they're going to be on to talk about the history of that, uh, kind of showing things off. Um, so definitely come out and check that. There is actually... Uh, Joe has uploaded every single issue they did, including an unreleased one they never quite finished back in the day. That's on the Color Computer Archive. You go to the magazine section and just look for Terracity Computing. You should find it there. And uh, looking forward to that because, I mean, I, having 13-year-olds actually keep on track enough to publish a magazine newsletter for five years and get it big enough circulation-wise, they actually had people like Bob Vanderpool writing articles for it. They actually had advertising from third-party advertisers, et cetera. I'm, I'm quite impressed. Uh, I know how hard it was just to do a you know a, a Joe Blow-style newsletter in our computer club, and they, so they took it how, to a lower level. How old was Mr. Vanderpool? He's like 14 or 15? <laughs> oh, no, he's quite a bit older. Oh. He's a professional developer already by that point. Um, but look, looking forward to that. So I did I have... No, I don't think I do. I was thinking that I might have had a, a window open to it. Oh, maybe I do. Ah, here we are. So this is the Color Computer Archive. You can see a note from the publisher, which is basically explaining the history of when they started, et cetera. And they've got the issues from June of 87 right through to the previously unreleased, partially complete February of 92. And just to show you what the uh, the 13-year-olds came up with, here's the very first issue they did. And then compare there is with some honest love for the cocoa in even that first one. Yeah, mm -hmm. agreed. And here's what it ended up being near the end, five years later. When you start getting into multiple languages, they started using OS9, all kinds of stuff in here. That's Reviews. The downfall, is it? What's that? Nothing. <laughs> No, they didn't write about Neutroids. So there was no downfall. Um, <laughs> they have a review of Predator. Uh, did they do? I can't remember. I've actually gone through these all briefly here to kind of start preparing questions for them for the interview. But uh, at any rate, um, they'll both be on in two weeks. Uh, Mark, I'm just waiting for them. Uh, we're probably hoping to get maybe a test Zoom call in uh, maybe on a Monday night or Wednesday night or something like that. Uh, I have to make sure that their schedules can coincide. Now, I think they're more in the East, so I think they wanted a bit later. So it might be better maybe to have Mark on. Well, actually, no, Mark, that'd be even worse, wouldn't it? Like 8.30 Eastern, what would that be for you, Mark? Both Marks. 5.30 my time. What time would that be for you, uh, Mr. Bosley? Uh, 8.30 Eastern would be 7.30 my time. Well, it's not too bad for either of you then. So once I get uh, you know confirmation back here, we'll see if we can set something up. Just to they both use Zoom before, so it's just a matter of you know making sure the camera works properly and the volume levels are okay. Oh. So anyway, if you want to go check these out and you and maybe get some questions yourselves here to ask during it, because of course during our interviews we have live questions from the panel and live questions from the chat. But if you want to be a little bit prepared ahead of time, you got two weeks to go through all these issues. And there's actually some pretty cool programs and stuff there too. So. No more math. Hey, Curtis, do you yep. know if, um, how much do you know about the um, archive? Does it ha actually have um, a backup somewhere? I have you no know? idea yet. That's a uh, gleam that one. Oh, I wondered if you would know that. I, I, I don't. Message at one point. I don't think I heard back from him, though. But yeah, I'd like to know if he has a backup somewhere. 
Very quick. That's a good question. Like part of the whole legacy thing we've been talking about in the past. Exactly. It'd be tough to do all this work and then poof. Yeah. I mean, he does do that zip file every six months, or whatever, where he puts everything into one big zip. You can download the whole archive in one shot. So that, if anybody's downloaded that, they have a backup from that time period. But that's I only think, done every six months. So you might lose six months of something. Well, and you'd have to rebuild wrong. the whole site. You know, if the site went down, then having a backup is a long way from having the site backup. But at least you would have this, the code, the, all the disk images the, and manuals and magazines and stuff. Oh, so that man. would be better than nothing. But yeah, you're right. It would take quite a bit to recreate it. You know, another thing I thought about is um, all these programs are all zipped, correct? Uh, hmm. Yes. Yeah, Maybe not so, all of them, but yeah, I think the majority. So isn't that a big inconvenience now since that uh, hard drive space is not anything even to worry about and why wouldn't they just leave them as dsk files and not zip i do know no. the reason for that um I, if you I, have multi-disc programs is the person downloading a disc going to know he needs disc two three and four to run this program properly without it crashing well can't that be in a folder well that's what a zip that's what essentially what the purpose of the zip is you download one file and you get all of the files you need yeah, but and, and the whereas if you just had a folder, like you might download Contra's disk one, thinking that's the only one you need, and then when you try to run it, it doesn't run because you didn't download one, two, and three. Whereas if you download the zip, you're getting all three right off the bat. And the other thing too is, Ron, not everybody's as, uh, um, you know, anxious. <laughs> no, not everybody is a, as privileged as you having high speed internet. There are still other people out here that are on dial up that still. That's true. And also, you also got to think is that this is something that you have to take account when you're buying hosting space, a 186K file or 180K versus a 1K file takes up less space. And a lot of web hosting are not unlimited. So do you really want to have GIM have to pay even more per month to have every file fully extracted? Think about all really? of those Nitrous 9 disk images that are 128 meg each. Yeah, but you know, if, you, if, you, if you put everything together, what do you got? Maybe, uh, you know, 100 it's, gigabytes, that's it. It's huge. It's it's huge. I mean, that's it isn't a terabyte. Yeah. I mean, okay, would, but, but you, you got to think play... people downloading things. You're also, when you're hosting, you're also metered. So when you transmit stuff, the, the larger the files, the more data you're consuming, which means, again, and, who's going to pay for that? And you're tracked download by download. So the size of each download right. is multiplied by the number of people downloading it. So every byte you can save on network is worth saving. So. Yeah, because otherwise you start getting into extra tiers where you're doing, like if you're serving the, like if you're serving the stuff um, like the archive does, you know, if if you've got a five hundred people downloading Nitrous Nine, one hundred twenty eight meg each, versus you know sixty five meg compressed, I mean that's literally doubling it. And you might get in the next tier where now they they're having to pay their internet provider a hundred dollars a month instead of fifty dollars a month just to host it, or you know escalating even beyond that. So, Ron, there's two other reasons also. Uh, one of them is kind of minor with old stuff, which is time date stamps are preserved in the zip files. But the other critical thing too is they're uh, error checked with CRC thirty two. Uh, which means there's one chance in 4 billion you download it and you uncompress it and it says it's good and it's not. So 
thing about the disk image is something might happen to it and then it doesn't work right. And then you go, huh, what's wrong with this? So. As long as the last three letters, the extension are good, the file's good, right? Whereas, <laughs> yep. if, yeah, you got a very So, so basically, we got to protect the people that want to go online and download it 300 baud. Okay. Well, there's more to it than that. <laughs> I know. It's way more. Than I know. That. Yeah, way more. Yeah. <laughs> that Nothing like backward compatibility. Plus, it's tradition. It's well, plus the fact, uh, like under Nitrous 9, you can actually unzip the files yourself because we have an unzip utility in Nitrous 9. Yeah, that's handy. Yeah, we need that extra stuff. Yeah, and, and in PCs, you don't even know it's zipped. You can treat a zip file like a regular folder and just go in there and pull crap out of it. So it doesn't really even matter on PC or Linux anymore. Yeah, yeah. and actually with the most current update to Windows 11, it supports RAR, 7Z, and some other formats too now. Huh? So anyway, that, that interview is coming up in two weeks, so be here for that. Have your questions ready. Um, we're still waiting. Uh, Doug Mastin, uh, the author of Contras, uh, is going to be doing a dual interview as well with uh, Glenn Delgren of Sundog. Um, he took a bit of a step back on his physio uh, a little while back, so the uh, he was hoping to be able to ready to do the interview by the end of November. I don't think that's going to happen still possible but i mean now we're starting book interviews too so hopefully in december we'll get that uh going and i'm working on a third interview right now <clears throat> that basically he said yes and now it's just a matter of booking time and you know i, I want to try to book him ahead and uh, far enough ahead of time that we can actually pre-announce as so people know they're coming up so be looking forward to another interview getting set up as well and <clears throat> now back to the uh, upcoming events so the first one uh, vcf southern california february 17th to 18th uh, 2024 at the Hotel Fair Event Center in Orange, California. Uh, this is the return of VCF in Southern California. I don't think it's been there for a while. Hopefully, we'll get to see some Cocoa people down there. And they can come and give us a report either during the show live, if, if possible. But if not, uh, a little summary at the end, kind of like Mikey did for the Tandy Assembly meeting in San Francisco here, uh, like he did earlier in the show, would be great. <clears throat> of course, the 32nd annual last Chicago Cocoa Fest, the constantly getting more inappropriately named every year um it's happening whoops that's the update on september 7th it's actually on may uh 4th and 5th to 2024 at the holiday inn and suites chicago carol stream um which is where it was last year and we had a, a lot of fun there so looking forward to that one that's the coco's main event as far as trade shows go and then uh boat fest retro computer expo 2024 uh, this takes place June 14th to 16th at the Social Event Space in Hurricane, West Virginia. That's, of course, Aaron and Brent and Boat and Spouses and a ton of people come out there. This is much more gaming-oriented, though they do hardware upgrades and stuff, too, and have some hardware for sale. Frank is one of the sponsors from Retro Rewind, and he actually does repairs and stuff there. Or he gets his peons like Jason to do it for him. But uh, it's always a fun time. Uh, Ken, Ken was there last year as well, and we had a good time there. Except for trying to maybe navigate up those stairs when it was kind of creaking along. But no problem this year. New event. It's on ground level. Just remember, don't use your GPS. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, on that one block that. anyway. <laughs> also, don't go driving through a pouring rainstorm through a back alley to get to a restaurant. Because um, they have potholes about the, the size of Texas there. That was just so. because the GPS told us to go there. Yeah, it was right. literally. And it actually 
wrecked the guy's car and it was a Mercedes or something, wasn't it? No, it was a Camaro. Camaro. Yeah, it was not cheap to repair. And he had to fly back home because it was not even drivable. So when they when you see the sign, don't trust your GPS in this area, there they mean it. They mean it. I mentioned a driver can bring a boat for boat fest. <laughs> <laughs> you could sail through the potholes. Yeah. Well, we took a look at that pothole afterwards. Like, geez, it was like what eight feet across and a foot and a half deep or something. It's and of course, with all the water running, it just looked level. So boom, bottomed out in it. If it wasn't for that little chevette in the bottom, you would have went way down. Right. <laughs> I think it was Frank's skid plate that uh, we left behind too. <laughs> well, I lost my skid plate during the ice storm. That's when it broke in my car during that same trip. Because that's when we slid off the side of the road and we we're kind of at an angle on the curb part. <clears throat> that's probably not enticing people to attend these things, is it? <laughs> oh, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and Frank is reminding to watch out for deer as well. I was there when that happened because oh, yeah. he was live talking with Boat and uh, you know, we were watching the transcription. He actually said the transcription afterwards. Well, I would recommend a Dodge Ram when you go. Yeah, you know, deer, you got to watch anything. out for couches. <laughs> yeah, that's on the way to Cocoa Fest. Basically, both these shows are dangerous to drive to is all I can say. Yeah. But yeah, that was, uh, you get experiences on these trips. Let's put it that way. Okay, so on to the actual news news now, finally. So first up, we got uh, Chibi Akumis, who has um, done a ton of uh, semi language programming tutorials on a variety of machines and game consoles, and actually has several books published that cover these two. 6809 is covered in one of them. Um, so right now, he's actually getting into something he has not covered on the Coco before, and I don't think he's done a Dragon version of this yet either. And they are going to be different, which is how do you do disk I.O.? Everything he's done so far is either been directly in the emulator or cassette-based or ROM cartridge-based. So this is actually how to call in, you know, file formats, uh, you know, how to set up, you know, calling ROM calls, et cetera, to set up, you know, saving and loading, et cetera. And he's got two parts to it. So he's got the video version here, which I won't play. You can go check it out. It's an 11-minute video. But he also has his uh, sort of text web page version. So if you're not into watching videos to do it, you can actually go through. And this kind of follows along with the video, so you can actually view this while you're watching or listening to the video as well. Uh, but Chip basically showing you how to do it here and how to automatically fire it up in emulators, etc. too. So uh, if you want to learn how to do disk I.O. on the Coco, it's a really good tutorial for it. And that is one thing I think the original Coco disk ROMs are a bit slacking on, is that uh, the official quote-unquote ROM calls that Tandy and Microsoft actually detail in the manual are very minimalistic. It's basically read and write sectors, and pretty well that's about it. It's uh, they don't have any of the file system exposed with these calls. You have to do everything manually. You want to update the granule table, better do it manually. You want to actually write to the disk, you better figure out where on the disk to go, seek to that track and sector, and start writing the, the sectors, which is dumb. That's not the way a real OS would do. You actually would have some stuff for like open a file or create a file, you know, like a real OS like Nitro 9 or Flex does. So, how well, does he? Go what ahead. does he do? Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, so I think he just calls them wrong calls, if I remember. Okay. Like, not just the Discon one. Yeah. Because the Discon gets complicated. As you did. I think you hit that problem too, Nick, at one point, didn't you? Yeah, like yeah. It's, it's more complicated than it needs to be. 
And you can't trust just, well, you could probably nowadays since we only have two official ROMs, but you couldn't trust back in the day jumping to a direct ROM address because once disk 1.1 came out and everything moved, it broke a ton of commercial software like Telewriter broke and uh, VIP Writer broke and a bunch of other stuff all broke because we were doing the direct calls. So it was just kind of a bad design that they didn't put in more exposure to the file system as opposed to just the disk system. And of well, course, later on, you had ADOS and RGB DOS and all this other stuff too that you had to worry about. Keep in mind that they weren't delivering a DOS; they were delivering disk basic. Basic, and yeah, exactly. Yeah, but the, they could have had a couple of extra vectors at the beginning because they had an K and a half empty on the ROM still. It wasn't like they didn't have the space. Even after one point when they added the DOS command, where they could have just added in like a instead of just disk on, you could have had disk open, disk close, could have had a stuff picture. like that. Three people. Well, actually, they are in there. I have used them when I did my digi scan. That's mm. what I did. But you—they're not official. You've got to know where to jump in. No, the, but that's the, the point. Like, if ROM. you wanted to write it to be backwards compatible with disk one point zero, your probably doesn't work. No, it does because well, I checked do to then? see what. Yeah, well, it's a different jump point. So at the beginning of the code, I say what what version ROM have you got? Okay, and you just change what the jump is. And then, yeah, you just change the jump. So they are in there. Uh, but then you have to worry, worry about what, what does uh, Disto CDOS do? What does RGB DOS uh, do? What does ADOS do? What does ADOS 3 do? What does ADOS 3 Extended do? What happens yeah, next well, week? You know. Whereas if you actually just made it an actual <laughs> indirect call like this con was, who cares? As long as those well, people line that up correctly, you can update it all you want. Because at this point, how much control did Tandy have over what um, Microsoft was doing? That's a good question. Yeah, The two nothing. disk ROMs were 81 and 82, so that's pretty early on. They might have had some say. I don't know. If Mark was in the chat, I would ask him. But Well, not to go off too much on this. Um, so with disk basic, uh -oh. um, I've done some of my bizarre copying stuff with custom sector layouts. And this uh, con works great, but you also have to know where the um, number, the maximum number of sectors are located, because this con technically will only access sector one through 18. So you have to patch this basic so you can access sector 20, or in the case of high density, sector 40, or invalid Everyone's sectors like that, some yeah. of the copy protection, sector 254. Since you're talking to a nine-year-old over here, uh, what does DISCON stand for? DISCON. Yeah, huh? it's it, it, it's the assembly language routine that you call for accessing the disk in out so to for reading the, the sectors. So why is it named what you're calling it instead of I.O.? That's what uh, Tandy and Radio Shack and uh, Microsoft called it. It's actually in the manual labeled as such. I'm not sure exactly. Right. Obviously, the DSK part means disk. The and CON part. Yeah, who knows? Uh, I don't right. know. Yeah, okay. console. I don't know where that comes from. but Yeah, unfortunately, okay. don't know, Ron. It, it's what they called it. And unfortunately, when someone names something <laughs> and it's their product, you kind of go by what they yeah. call it. So... And it's no. in all their manuals, so that's pretty well what everybody calls it. Otherwise, nobody has a clue what you're talking about. Well, maybe <laughs> maybe their, their sister was named Connie, like mine. Right. We'll, we'll just call it Con for her. Oh, that's why we have a colonel, and Commodore has a colonel. It's... 
Anyway, uh, David, is this going to be some of the type of stuff you'll be discussing on the the floppy episode of Coco Tech that you guys are doing? Um, th- there's all kinds of probably random stuff that will be discussed. I'm sure everybody is so l- sitting on the edge you. of the chairs. David, um, are we going to have to have our Coco set up with a controller and a floppy drive system so that we can follow along? Well, you're going to have to probably ask Mikey since. He's going to probably be the one that has most of the information, but yes, there'll be um, Mark Overholzer. So do we have, um, so it's will be me, Mikey, and have we confirmed that Paul? Okay. So it'll be three of us. So. So can you tell us how to read the drives, the floppies off of this camera? Um, what, what, what kind of floppy drive does it use? Uh, three and a half inch uh, high density. That's so fair, I guess. <laughs> oh, three and a half. Oh, that won't be Somebody a problem. Shut him up. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, oh <laughs> Let's let's save all the disc uh, talking there for the actual <laughs> Coco Tech disc episode, which is coming up when again, Mark? Uh, that one will be the first Tuesday in December. So that will be um, December fifth. Yep, December 5th. Sorry. Yep. December 5th. So for those of you who love floppy talk, and I mean you, David Ladd, um, that's the show to come check out, December the 5th. And for all the the rest, that's the date you've got to avoid. (laughs) (laughs) Not as much as you had to avoid Neutroid, but pretty close. (laughs) Oh, don't worry. We'll be getting our flexing on. Uh, next up, Kogotan released his next uh, semi language episode. Of course, he's the person who's been recreating his, uh, or now modifying and finishing his uh, Moon Patrol clone that he wrote as a teenager and didn't quite finish because he didn't quite learn everything he needed to know yet. And this one, he goes through the V-Sync and 609 interrupts, how to interface them uh, using the PIAs because it's a Coco 1 and 2 game, so no gimme chip here. And uh, he does a... Uh, he he let some mistakes go through. And the, the favorite one I had in here was uh, how to acknowledge interrupts and what happens when you don't. <laughs> so when you start triggering a V-Sync and then you forget to bleed off the interrupt so that it knows it got acknowledged and then the game gets stuck in a perpetual loop. So it's pretty, pretty interesting. But if you want to learn how interrupts are working, and this is usually used for V-Sync and stuff. And here, Nick has been using stuff also for doing background sound in some of his Coco 1 and 2 games too. So... And of course, the gimme, a lot of people use that because you have a programmable timer, which is so handy. Kudos well, to Mark that, Siegel for getting that in there. Is that halt and catch fire one? Is that what that is? You know, uh, like the movie? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Halt, you know, where I know, I know the movie. That, that, no, V Sync isn't going to give you a halt and catch fire. You're good. Oh, okay. No. Nah. I haven't seen the movie, so I'd have no idea what you're referencing there. I know there's it, a, it's about a hidden compact. instruction that did that. but Yeah, something. I don't know. It's about compact, I think. That's the show report. Um, if you didn't catch the URL from Mikey earlier, uh, this is his summary of the Tandy Assembly meetup in San Francisco, which he kind of showed on the show. But if you go to our show notes on the Discord, you can actually grab the direct link thing and read it to your heart's content there. And this is the actual video that he put up, which is... Not the actual live lightning talk that wasn't recorded at the actual Tandy meetup, but this is his recreation of it with a little bit extra. And you can get that on his Mikey N6IL channel on YouTube. And that's basically kind of a summary of his entire Flex series so far. Uh, Tier City 
retro computing um did another episode on his tale suburbia which is a game that's coming close to a close it's kind of a graphical adventure game in suburbia and uh and this one he starts going through figuring out how to save the state of the game and uh between modules too because he has multiple and he's designing it for tape um i personally i, I prefer if he change it to disc but it you know whatever folds your boat type thing um, so basically, he's going in here and, out, uh, and figures out how to do the save state uh, as you progress through the game. And each module has its own separate save point. So if you're completed module two, you have to remember to load in the save state for module two type thing. I do give a suggestion that in the uh, comments here on, on YouTube of maybe a few ways you can kind of embed what version you're actually trying to load so it can check itself and go, nope, that's not the right version. You better You better pick the right one. But the game is getting close to completion, and he wants to get back to his Coco Ultimate game, which is an Ultima style game. Uh, next up here, we got on Facebook the Tiers 80 Coco uh, page here. Uh, Mark Maltese, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, and this is a basic program listing. Now, ironically enough, this is actually a basic program listing written by one of our two guests in two weeks. Uh, I believe it was by David McNally, which is kind of a bit of a ghost animation thing he did. And uh, it was a type in from their magazine. And somebody actually typed it in and fixed it up, got some bugs that reaped out, and you can actually download it from the Cocoa Group on Facebook and give it a shot yourself if you want to see what that is without all the typing. And then Richard Kelly also put up a disk image here on the Cocoa Group on Facebook. Well, this is Easy Directory version 2.1c. This is kind of an auto-launching program, so it's kind of like a really junior version of the Cocoa SDC Explorer. Basically, what it'll do is a read directory, skipping itself, its own entries are not included in this, uh, and anything else you've got on that disk, it'll then ask, you know, you can kind of go through with the arrow keys and pick one to run and it'll automatically launch it. And it's only 18 lines of code in basic. So it's a really small little program. So you want to see how to do that kind of thing, how to ma manipulate, well, not manipulate, how to read a directory track and extract information of files, what type of files they are. Um, it's a very short listing. So it's actually a pretty good tutorial kind of, of how to do that kind of thing, too. This was a rather strange one I found quite by accident. Um, Bert Rickles channel on YouTube, and um, there's apparently this thing going on between multiple um pages on YouTube about reading out the Antarctic Treaty. I don't really know what spawned this because I only caught this story this morning. Probably but flat they, earthers. What's that? Probably flat earthers. <laughs> But anyway, it, it's trying to come up with different ways of reciting the Antarctic Treaty between the countries about basically having the Antarctic Green neutral. And he decided to go retro with his entry, and he's actually got a Cocoa 1 and 2 program because he grew up with a Cocoa 2 when he was young. And he wrote a little basic program that you load in first, and then all the chunks of the text of the actual treaty is saved as a data file. And he turns the audio on in the emulator so that you can actually hear it so that people who aren't familiar with the Cocoa know what it sounded like. And it'll read like a paragraph at a time and display it on the screen and go through it, which I won't do because I, mean, I don't think we need to hear the cassette sound again right now at this point, um, especially after hearing the Spectrum version of Manic Miner's theme song. Um, <clears throat> but it's basically a 10-minute thing where he kind of goes through this. And I made a suggestion. I said, if you want to go all out, using the cassette interface on a Cocoa 2, you should try doing it the way that some of the old uh, Walt Disney programs did, that Tandy sold, the educational stuff, where you would actually load in the program, they could display graphics and text, whatever else, but then you'd actually have the auto recording of somebody speaking in the background and just turn motor on audio on it. As long as you time it right along with the tape, then you can actually get it reciting along with the actual text on the screen, which I think it'd take it even more in the retro Cocoa direction. It'd be kind of cool. 
But yeah, I, I, I might have to check out some of these other ones because there's a bunch of other people from other retro computers and modern computers just doing different ways of doing the same thing. So you uh, asked so him meant, this? Did he try it? Is he going to think about it? I, I just commented on this morning before the show, so I haven't oh. had a chance to check to see if he's responded or not. So, But rather interesting take. Now, it was kind of funny because, I mean, he just wrote this like in the last week and created the tape image and everything else for it. And uh, the emulator that he's using, what I'll let you guys guess, what emula version of the Coco emulators do you think he's using for his uh, thing? Just some random votes from you on the panel. 1.4 VCC. Okay. Anybody else want to take a guess? Um, I don't know. It has a screenshot out there that's kind of like hiding it so you can't see which one it is. No. Yeah. An old DOS um, boom. Oh, visible. You're 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 right, Mark. That's the one. Oh, what was it oh. called? Jeff Vesivore's or, or how Jeff Vesivore's yeah. very first yeah. Coco one and two one. Yep, that's yeah, the one he's that's using. it. I got whatever that, one. that was called. Jumping so away, the fact Mark. that he picked one from 1991 or 1992 with all the new ones we've got available now that kind of surprised <laughs> me. <laughs> So I'll have to probably send him a second message. I didn't bother mentioning the fact that, you know, there's a lot more emulators that are even more accurate. Uh, but you know, when you're trying to go retro, what would be a better Dude, choice? That's retro. I guess that's true. If you're running a DOS-based emulator to run a Coco 2, which is even older yet, yeah, I, that makes sense, I guess. Well, VCC doesn't do um, Coco 2 or 1, correct? No, it's a Coco 3 only one yeah. there. Yeah, right. though um, this program doesn't use anything that's exclusive to Coco One Two, so it runs fine. But yeah, but you got XRAW. Yep, yeah. and MAME mm -hmm. or MESS if and you want to pick an yeah. older version of it. There's been a few others over the years, but yeah, I, I mean, there's uh, the one that Robert Galt did. Um, what thing was it called? They had the built-in multi-pack with the graphic of the multi-pack slots. Oh, yeah. oh, I don't know if I ever not, saw that no. one, but yeah, I've I, seen that. David Kyle. Um, what was that, Mark? David Kyle? Yeah, that name's familiar. Yeah, there's, there's a few other ones. Jeff's was the first, and then there were several other ones that came afterwards before. I did the emulator um, group on our category on uh, Discord. People told me, oh, there's this one and that one. Oh, okay. So, yeah, there's Kyle. Yeah, David David Keel, Kyle, something like that. That's yeah. the one I'm thinking yeah. of. Not, not Robert Galt, sorry. Robert, I think, was involved with testing it, now that I'm remembering. Well, doesn't um, DriveWire have graphics of the drives? Yeah, but Server. that's on the PC, though. So, and, and and that's the original version three one, though. I don't think you have a graphic of that with the Java version or. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I know that's Mikey. Pretty sure I haven't actually seen his run yeah. since he last put on the show. So. Okay, so this isn't using the speech sound pack for re replaying it. It's like turning the motor on and off, or no. Well, this case is just text. He's just he created a cassette file, you know, print number negative one type thing, and he, he stored all the text there. Oh, and he just reads just it. Printed. Okay. Yeah, I suggested he should go back and do do the whole multimedia nineteen eighty two thing. Mm. Yeah, because I thought maybe it was a speech sound pack thing, and I'm trying to imagine reading and listening to all of that. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably prevented by the Geneva Convention or something. Yeah, that would drive me more insane <laughs> than playing neutral. It was a cool thing. I just it happened to pop up when I was doing the search for stories here, and it was I didn't even know this little challenge thing was going on. So 
Anyway, the, the link for that particular YouTube video and his description does give him some of it. And plus his whole introduction to this explains what some of the other people have done before him and what the whole challenge of it is so that you guys can check it out. Uh, next up, uh, George B. Jansen, of course, did our little assembly language beginner series on our show, is now doing his own YouTube version of that, too. And uh, we posted about his first one, which is kind of just an introduction to it. And it's to be Cocoa 3 oriented, which is kind of nice because most of the other assembly language tutorials we've been doing have or have seen, for that matter, uh, from other people have usually been Cocoa 1 and 2 type stuff. Uh, but in this particular case here, he actually was going to be doing something a bit different on his next episode, which he's currently working on. But then he watched Coco Tech episode two, talking about the sprite stuff. And one of the things he'd uh, done a little bit of work on was some software sprites using his own routines. And he said, as a bit of a teaser, he sent me uh, a little MP4 file here showing his little sprite uh, demonstration routine. Um, so I'll play that now. I'll have to get him on to show his tool off because I bet it'll work with Cocoa Ones and Twos. He's using text characters here as kind of a sprite, so then he has them all kind of fling back to spell the title. <laughs> That's cool. And there's a sprite editor, and he actually duplicated one of the ones that Paul Fiscarelli showed, the Galaga ship. Uh, the Coco 3 Sprite emulator bothers my eyes. Ah! Shadow. You need your three so, an alternative take. Um, I don't think it's quite as advanced. Like It's not doing pre-compiled sprites. I think these are doing the more generic masking style ones. So it's a bit slower, et cetera. But it might be a bit easier for a beginning assembly language programmer to kind of get their head around and, and figure out how it works type thing. So anyway, look forward to that episode. I like he mentioned before, uh, he doesn't have a fixed schedule for his series. It's just when he has time and you know gets it done. But um he's actually working on the next episode now, and hopefully it won't be too long before that comes out. Uh next up, an update on the dragon. I can't remember. I think John might have actually been in the chat. So uh he can chime in here. But uh basically he's been working on getting his uh, revision three. That was Dragon a uh, 32 board, which now has extra additions. We mentioned last week that he's, you know, has it built in to handle up to 256K of RAM. He's got a little satellite daughter card thing that you can swap between your outputs between PAL and NTSC. So what he was doing, oh, sorry, that's, uh, I'm doing the wrong story. Duh. This is John Whitworth, sorry, the one on the screen. I'll get into Julian's in a second here. So John Whitworth, of course, is uh, Dragon Plus Electronics. And uh, he had that special we'd mentioned uh, for Halloween where he was actually offering a 5% discount. And he found out from viewers and then checked it out himself. And actually something happened where the uh, WooCommerce update broke that. So none of this stuff was working properly. Um, so as uh, kind of a olive branch, even though it's not his fault uh, to people that were trying to buy stuff off site, he's going to be extending the Halloween promotion of 5% off until the end of November 19th, UK time, 2023. So you've got some time if you need to order some stuff from him. Uh, the new coupon code is HumblePie5, and a minimum of 20 pounds cannot be used with any sale items. But if you want to get, um, you know, his Sprite super or a Sprite board, or he's got a bunch of other hardware, I can't even remember off the top of my head, but uh, you can go check that out. And the 5% discount has been extended now for another week. So now I'll go over to Julian's, <laughs> which I was talking about earlier. Um, so basically, this is... Uh, 
is Dragon 32 reproduction board, but now he's been adding extra functionality to it. The daughter card to switch between Paladin and TSC. Now, earlier in the week, he tried doing the NTSC one. He plugged in the daughter board, and it came out as a bit of a mess. It was really fuzzy and blurry, like far worse than you're seeing on the screen. It was almost unreadable. And there was color crap all over the screen, et cetera. So he's kind of, uh, as he says here in his comment, uh, for the audio listeners here, after much fiddling and faffing, that's a new word for me, uh, the first Rev3 board is working with NTSC, more testing and checking if the various options do to still. Now, it's, he mentioned in a slightly later comment that it's still kind of oversaturating the artifact colors. This should be the red and blue, but you can see it's kind of bleeding over on the side here and on this side here where it's kind of like going a little bit too far. So he's working on getting that kind of cut down, but at least he's got readable text now, whereas the first version he tried earlier in the week, it was not readable. It was producing a signal, but it was not readable. So, you know, two steps forward, one step back type thing. But good to see him continuing on that. Dial and the last in. welcome. Sorry, was that? Oh, he's just dialing it in. <laughs> yeah. And then the last one uh, that just showed up uh, yesterday or today, I think it was. So you remember we covered a book project over the last year and a half or so uh, by Stephen Goodwin. He was going to do a book called uh, 20 Go to 10, which is basically a whole bunch of retro stuff, a bit more on the UK side, because that's where he's from, obviously. So he does cover some other stuff as well. And basically, it was instead of just being a regular book of the history of retrocomputing um, of various machines, which, you know, everybody and their dog's been doing, he actually decided to pick numbers. And it would be like, you know, what does this number mean? And what machines does it apply to? So, And he also has a kind of as a choose-your-own-adventure. So if you're reading a particular chapter on a particular subject, you might get some other numbers mentioned that are, you know, the number will then tell you to go to a different page or a different section of the book to read that. He, he kind of describes it as a choose-your-own-adventure based on numbers. And he uh, went to the Compu Center of Computing History in Cambridge, which is where the Dragon Meetup normally is. And, of course, they had to move here because they were doing renovations that were quite ready. But they had a little gathering here for his book launch here near the end of October, so just a few weeks ago. And his book is officially out now if you want to order it. Um, and he gave a tech talk kind of describing creating the book, what his thinking behind of the way he did it, uh, going through the whole editing process back and forth with the open source people that actually are publishing the book. Uh, they printed like six, 700 copies that he had autographed and stuff here. Um, really interesting talk. And I will mention the dragon gets some pretty prominent mentions and, and descriptions in here too. Like it's, it's, it almost covers other machines like the Jupiter Ace and a few others too, the Spectrum. But the dragon is actually mentioned pretty prominently in this book. So I think he was pretty impressed with it. So I'm going to play just a little bit of the beginning. It's an hour long uh, presentation here, but just to give you kind of a feel what it's for it. And then you can go check out the discord notes to get the uh, actual link to watch the whole thing. Well worth a watch. I, I quite enjoyed this. Hello. <laughs> Thank you. As this part of the slide says, my name is Steve. As this part of the slide says, I'm a bit of a geek. If we've all turned up to the correct book launch, this is a little talk about the book 20 Go to 10, Writing Retro. Over the next hour or so, I'm going to be talking a little bit what happened before the book, what was my life like before I started writing this thing. I'll then talk about some of the things I've learned whilst writing the book. That will bring in some things about old computers that will certainly interest the computer geeks amongst us. And then what happens once you've finished writing? Once you've put that last full stop on the page, what then happens? So for those that haven't written a book and would like to perhaps write one in the future, this hopefully will start, stand as a lesson to you to not bother. <laughs> but before all of that, 
Who am I? What have I done to earn a place on this stage? Or as the slide should normally be called, the ego slide. <laughs> this is where the speaker bags about themselves for 10 minutes while everyone else fiddles on their phone on Twitter or X or whatever it's called these days. So who am I? Well, I'm a software developer. I'm a computer geek. I've always been a geek. I've developed in most fields, on most platforms, from IoT embedded stuff, education technology, cloud mobile, computer games. If it exists, I've probably had a go at it. I've authored some books on software best practice and very geeky things which have sold to professional software developers. They sold about four and a half copies each, so I'm happy with that. Um, but they did pay me at least. And I open source advocate. I speak at FOSDEM. I've, I've keynoted FOSDEM and a few other conferences because I stand up in front of people with an idea or something that I want to share. And as obviously I'm a retro computing enthusiast, I have a number of my own machines. I mess around with them, I program them. I program the big machine outside the mega processor that you saw when you came in. And none of that's important. What's important is what's not on that slide. I don't actually work for the museum. I don't work at the, the university where I'm researching history. Everything I've learned and everything I've studied has been through what I've done, through people I've spoken to, things I've read about, which is a very long-winded way of saying, if I can do this, anyone can. So what are we talking about? Well, before the book, there was... Hey, I don't want to about any more of that. It's uh, definitely worth listening. He gets into some specific retro machines. He reads some ex excerpts from the book to kind of give you a feel of how the whole quote-unquote choose-your-own-adventure style works on it. Um, but definitely looks like a, a really worthwhile book. It ended up being a fair bit bigger than the original plan. The original plan was having around 170 pages and then a whole bunch of people, because he was crowdsourcing Patreon and stuff on there to get uh, suggestions. It ended up being another 40 or 60 pages bigger by the time it was all done from all the suggestions. Um, and it goes through a bit of the history of some stuff. I will mention he's got a general description of the dragon and the whole Motorola reference design because, you know, some people were calling it a Coco clone. Well, they're both clones off the Motorola reference design. He goes a bit into the dongle uh, history. There was a multiple copy protection bits using dongles. And he mentioned specifically buzzard bait on the dragon as one of those and explains how that worked. Um, so there's a lot of really cool stuff in there. And the book really sounds awesome. So I think I am going to have to pick this book up at some point. And that's it for the news this week. All right, let's go power up Bob's Coco. <laughs> Not even ready to let any smoke out yet. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, let's see if so I. How far have you made it now since we last talked to you, Bob? Um. Oh, here, let me. I'm going to switch to my desktop and show you my bill of materials list here so you can see what is much greenier checked off on the yeah all the green stuff is placed now do you um have to buy the um you know the transformer and um i have a spare transformer yeah but that's cheating isn't it i can also run it off of dc you understand he's got about 17 spare transformers yeah. since he's changed all of his other Cocos to run off of a USB. Oh, so you got to remember, he's the guy that also made one of his Cocos to run off a USB port for right. power. So he's got lots of spare transformer parts. I've, I've got a couple of spare transformers, but you can actually still buy AC transformers. They're not 
out of production right. yet. Yeah, but I think what Ron might be getting at is mm-hmm. that if you already have a transformer and you're not hand winding your own, like has been done, <laughs> that's is exactly this really a legit rebuild. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> Oh, by the way, this is a bit of a surprise, but uh, we just got a a compliment in the chat here saying, good show, guys, from Nick Morota. Long time no see, Nick. You have to have to pop on one of these days. At the very least, pop onto the Game On Challenge and show us how to play all these games. Yeah, but do we have the Nick Morota sound clip? Nick Morota! There it is. There it is. Yeah. (laughs) Far too long since I've heard that. Also, I don't still know how, kept handy. I don't know if anybody's seen these two together lately, but this is the pepper board and the daiquiri board. Well, you have you have Brian now. You don't need those. Oh right, he's got. <laughs> yeah right. Of course, uh, if, if Brian's going to charge you fifty four dollars for one. I can imagine you might you might want to use those. Brian, are you there? No, Brian had to leave earlier. He actually had mentioned that in the, mm. the chat and Zoom here. So there's one resistor I'm missing. I don't know why I have it somewhere. I can't find my power connector. Okay, well. Or my 18-pin sockets. You realize, Bob. Two mounting holes. You're required to pull out your Ohm's Law chart and figure out the seven resistors that will create the one resistor you're missing. Yeah, right. <laughs> and wear them in a little fan shape over the top of the board. Well, it's just uh, what is it, 270 ohm half watts. So. Right. So, you know, E201, you should be able to figure that mm-hmm. out in just a minute. I'm looking for a capacitor. Always something that's stupid it. you can't find. That's, that's quite a bit you got done here during the span of the show. I'm impressed. Yeah, I'm actually surprised myself. <laughs> Probably. I would say 80%. Let's see your um, solder roll. Oh, the empty spool? Yeah. (laughs) I'm almost at a forced quitting point. And how much of that went into your hair is my question. Uh, Just fumes. And and, uh, how old is that roll? Probably had it for quite a while, I'll bet. Um, you know, this rule was here at SMU when I started almost 20 years ago. I've been wow. You <laughs> finally killed it off. It. That's wow. full on lead in that one, eh? Hey, doesn't everybody have some, you know, spools, a couple of them floating around? You know, you use a little bit and put it away. Right. Of course. Also, is your uh, soldering iron or whatever uh, an oldie too, or is that fairly new? Yeah, it's an old Weller. Uh, got the probably seen plenty of these before. Just the, the green base with the dial on it that reads out allegedly in Fahrenheit. Does it have the sponge? <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> yeah. Does it have a sponge? It does. I have it here on a little coaster. Yeah, I got one from um, uh, Paul Barton. It's like a tur- turquoise one. with a, you know, has a circular <laughs> spring that you put the. Mm-hmm. There it is. Like that? Yep. 
And just imagine, folks, when he's soldering, all that stuff you see in the sponge is going straight into his lungs. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, God. <laughs> Would probably be pretty painful. Now, this so is I was going to ask, uh, for the uh, people that are a bit newer to the hardware thing, like Ken, is this something you'd ever think of tackling, or is it still a bit beyond your ability? Well, I would think about tackling it, absolutely. I've been oh. thinking about it. This is easy. This is like straightforward. Yeah, it's just I've, I've built good, lots of boards. There's no engineering. Yeah. Soldering something on is a lot easier than desoldering. <laughs> I have a. Um, yeah, I was out, like, I was a sign painter for years, you know, and my I'm left-handed, and I have uh, some that's uh, got a short somewhere because it shakes, you know. Like, yeah, I don't know okay. if you can see it, but it's shaking. And uh, <clears throat> if I go to solder anything, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's terrible. I, think it's, I mean, I'm, I can't even sign my name well. I'm, I'm pretty shaky handed myself, but I, I do know, you know, you have to brace your pinky on something just so you can hold it stable. If I'm holding it like this, trying to solder, that ain't going to work. Yeah. You've illustrated the two, the two, um, schools i guess of uh soldering do you use the wet sponge or do you use the brillo pad in a little tin cup brillo pad I never i never actually saw the brillo pads until recently so i'm probably i might try getting one of those soon yeah i was i was wet sponge for many years but no give me the brillo pad it works way yep. but, but doesn't brillo pad have all that blue soap in it no it's a fancy thing uh I use both myself. The, it's, a, uh, it's just a wire ball that you, uh, yeah, like scrape everything off of your. I use none of the above. <laughs> so yeah, you you poke into this thing, and all of your solder and crap yeah, ends up in the bottom of it. They blow you up here, hand. Okay, blow you up real good. So, yeah, and instead of that spongy, spongy thing that, that Bob has, which is the old school thing, nowadays you get one of these and you poke your soldering iron in it and all the solder crumbs and stuff ends up in the bottom and then you just dump out the cup and you just keep poking it in here over and over. And yeah, the sponge doesn't wear out. You don't have to go get water. And you, don't, re and you don't recycle all that stuff in the bottom? Make yourself some new... Oh, that's how I make my build a splat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the ones from Heiko have both the, the sponge and the uh, uh, Brillo pad. Oh, you here. turn it around and you got the pad. Well, you, yes. it just just has both. The, the thing I've noticed is modern soldering irons with the plated tips that they have nowadays. As long as you don't kill that plating, that tip is gold. Mm -hmm. You never retin anything. You never clean but you anything. Don't, you don't mean actual gold. You mean the good. Well, yeah, it's it's good. Old <laughs> old tips, you had to maintain them and you had to file them and replate them, retin them. And... That's why I recommend this stuff called tip tinner. It looks like yeah, but you stuff. don't even need that anymore. You just get uh, a brand new tip and keep shoving it in one of these things and just go until you're old. So, what's that thing <laughs> cost you? Like sixty bucks or what? No, it was like twenty dollar thing, and oh. I've had it for ever. <laughs> I like the tip tinner because then especially you can uh, dip the tip and then it uh, stays nice and shiny and it cleans off really easy. You run it through the little uh, Brillo pad. So that's good oh, yeah. because you want transfer. And yeah, there's one stuck on my uh, 
top of my thing because occasionally you do break your your immaculate plating, but man. And I think of the struggles I had as a child keeping my soldering iron working. <laughs> All right. Well, are we about uh, about done for today? I think so. I so sure. I'm for a wrap. Okay. Outro, here we go. This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation Show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022 D. Bruce Moore. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. I like the way he says the Coco show is over. Go home. We don't need you anymore. Yeah, it's from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. (laughs) Rob Inman's very funny guy. He's great, yeah. So how how many hours do you think you're going to have in this thing based on what, how far you've gone so far? Let's see, how many hours was today's show? (laughs) Four and a half. Okay, so... Plus a little before that, so yeah, we'll probably be in the six to eight hours by the time I'm done. All eight hour so, day, you got a cocoa. So tomorrow afternoon, you'll fire it up. Not if I can't find the missing parts. <laughs> but you have so many cocoa stuff laying around. <laughs> I can take them all out of another cocoa. Sure, you could. <laughs> but then it's not new. Yeah, right. Defeating the purpose. Well, he's going to put his own uh, power supply from another machine anyway. Are you honestly going to put the RF modulator in there? I have to. I mean, it, it's uh, where where did it go? Well, yeah, but you got to play the resistor so. in the bin. In the bin. So you're going to have to. I guess nickel plate's hard. You could silver plate it. If it doesn't blow up, it's a lot easier to do. I modified it with its own R, uh, F connector. I replaced the RCA with F. Ooh. I guess it would be kind of redundant putting a composite mod in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, but wouldn't your OCD get to you if you left that spot of the board open after doing everything to fill up the rest of the board? Well, right. It's not needed. You, you've already got composite. You've already got RGB. So, yeah, RF. RF. No one can do it. We need it. Well, no. Come on. That's where the real-time clock could go. Yeah. And the battery. I also have uh, one of these. A couple of AY chips. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the, the switch, the uh, power switch and recess switch are not uh, stock. And those are actually still available. Uh, yeah, the power switches. I think they're available. I also have an HDMI. Yeah. For this. 
Well, I'm going to run, guys. I've got a cat camping out in my room here waiting to get fed. So Yeah, so, me too. What are you going to do yeah. for a case? All right. You know what? We have probably got to end the stream. Huh? What do you think? Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, I think so. Later, everyone. All right. <laughs> Bye. See y'all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.